Good morning, everyone. Good morning, folks. We're going to call the City Council's budget work session to order. Madam Clerk, if you would read the evacuation announcement. <laughs> Madam Mr. President. Mr. Clerk, <laughs> if you would read the evacuation announcement. Madam President, uh, upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exits to the left or right front of the council chambers or the east or west stairwell outside rear doors of the chamber. Do not use elevators or escalators. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay 8th and 9th Streets. Citizens and employees should assist visually in hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Thank you, Mr. Clark. Uh, today we will proceed with uh, our budget review and we have the spreadsheet before us. Um, I will, it was my intent to start with the very first items and move down the list, uh, except a few of the patrons are not present, and so I'd like to proceed to the first set of reductions and or increases that uh, we have patrons present for, and so we would then move to uh, the Affordable Housing Trust Fund item. And we have uh, two patrons in that regard, um, Ms. Larson and Ms. Agilesto. If you would like to either or both speak to the proposed reduction. Council President, I, I'll offer first, I, I have not spoken to Ms. Larson about her intentions, so I can speak to my intentions as it relates to this. Um, so up until a year ago, the council policy was that we would make sure that a minimum of $1 million was funded in the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Uh, earlier this year, we took action by resolution to increase that to $2 million. The mayor has introduced a budget for $2.9 million uh, the reduction that I'm proposing would bring it back down to uh, the level at which the council has already reached consensus for minimum funding. Um, and that was uh, a balancing act, as you can imagine, to uh, come up with budget increases and, and decreases. At the same time, I do have uh, questions uh, about uh, the annual report for the Housing uh, Trust Fund and uh, the use of dollars. Uh, during the budget process, we received a, a report of recent grants, uh, and it looked like there were a lot of small dollar amounts, like $10,000 and other types that were going more for programmatic expenditures and not necessarily for the gap financing. The other thing that I noted in the report that I saw showed that about a quarter million dollars through two separate allocations had been made to St. Joseph's Villa. And St. Joseph's Villa operates for the region, I understand that, um, for homeless services and rapid rehousing and mostly for families, but it is located in Henrico County. Um, and I was not aware that the Affordable Housing Trust Fund was paying for operations that existed outside of the city. 
So those two matters brought some concern to me, and I think uh, without a more formal presentation on this, I think uh, reverting to the minimum level of funding that the council has prescribed would be uh, a fair step. Thank you, Mr. Angelesto. Ms. Larson, any comment? Um, I'd like to support what Councilmember Agilesto said and also just note for uh, other council members that we did have a lengthy and spirited discussion in finance committee about the funds going to the, um, the trust and we settled on doubling the amount that was going to the trust, going from one million to two million. So, dialing back the the nine hundred thousand makes sense and is in in line with the policy we approved. I believe it was four or six months ago. So, um, that's why I'm putting forth the reduction, and um, I think it it honors the policy that we voted up recently. Thank you, Ms. Larson. Ms. Gray? I, I ditto those comments. I'd like to be added as a co-patron to that. Okay, thank you. Um, Mr. Emmel. You too, Madam President. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, with that, uh, do we have any um, comment from the administration relative to this item? Good morning, Madam President, Good morning, of Council. I'm Denise Laws, Deputy Director for Housing and Community Development. Um, to speak to a couple of points, at our current rate, and even if you double it to $2 million, it's not enough money to be sustainable. While we do provide gap financing, according to the ONR, 30% has to go to serve those at 30% or below AMI. That is why we fund service providers. The service providers are those people who, those nonprofits that, <clears throat> excuse me, that provide a list of different services, including St. Joe's Villa. They're a part of the ESG program and all, and they service people from Richmond. It's not just people from Henrico. In order to be truly sustainable, we need probably 10 million, but 2.9 gets us closer to that. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Laws. Ms. Gray. So, Ms. Lawless, thank you for that. I was under the impression that the Affordable Housing Trust funded projects that added housing stock, affordable housing stock, and that programming matters would go through the regular non-departmental process where they're being monitored for how many Richmonders are being served, you know, Close, closer to a contract for those program services as opposed to running it through the according to affordable the LNR, housing trust. According to the LNR, these are eligible uh, participants in this program, and they're monitored as well. We have a report, and for each $28, each dollar that we put in, we leverage $28. That's and, a lot. No, I understand what you're saying, but I am under the wrong impression, I guess, that the Affordable Housing Trust, I thought, was gap financing to create more affordable housing stock. 
And if it's, if it's expanded to pay for programming costs for low-income services true. provided to low-income individuals seeking housing, that's different than I thought the intent of that trust. Well, it's not expanded. It's in accordance with the O&R. And some people need to be at a certain level to get to be able to get to affordable housing. And so those service providers help to get those people there. You don't just automatically go from homeless to getting a place, a safe, decent, affordable place. So we need those providers to provide that assistance. Not to mention, it is very hard to get a developer to provide housing for 30% below with a one-time funding. Thank you, Ms. Loss. Mr. Jones. Yes, ma'am. I just believe this is going in the wrong direction. Uh, I think we need, I don't think we can put enough money towards uh, a program like this and to see how we can continue to provide workforce and affordable housing uh, to make uh, living in Richmond uh, and or uh, really just making living in Richmond a possibility for so many uh, individuals. So, um, I, I think it's the wrong direction. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Lawson. I'm bringing back to council. Ms. Robertson. I don't know that I have any questions uh, specifically for the staff, but one of the questions that have been raised as it relates to the report and the last board meeting that we had, the advisory board, um, we talked to the staff as it relates to making this presentation to the full council as it relates to the report that have been completed. And so we would certainly uh, ask that the staff move forward with providing that report to, to the council. Um, many of the speakers that came up during the public hearing spoke to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund and what's going on with the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. And just to be clear, by ordinance from the very beginning of the establishment of the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, we mandated that 30% of the funds that were going to the trust fund would be to provide services for families that were 30% of the area medium income and less. That was a mandate as a part of the ordinance. So uh, in many cases, that, uh, that does uh, perhaps provide funding for services that, uh, that are not unit-based, building a unit. Um, but we determined at the time that we created the Affordable Housing Trust Fund that we wanted to make sure that we did not ignore that population that was at the lowest income level in the city of Richmond. And so this trust fund has always been obligated to be committed to 30% of whatever the funding amount is in the trust fund. We've also made it clear that anything less than $5 million in this trust fund, we are not able to leverage the additional kind of support dollars that we need to be able to increase the number of units of housing that are being provided. And so that's always been our threshold from the very beginning of creating this Affordable Housing Trust Fund, that anything less than $5 million, we're not 
providing the minimum amount of money that is necessary to build the kind of uh, inventory of affordable housing that is needed in the city of Richmond. You know, I'm told by some from the administrative level that, you know, 60% of our property owners that are paying real estate taxes now, the values have gone up to $300,000 plus. We are not in a position that we are addressing the need, the deficit of affordable housing that is needed in the city of Richmond. And to, to not respect the fact that we have such a large population that are at income levels, and we're talking about firefighters, we're talking about teachers, we're talking about mm -hmm. city council members, we're talking about a large population of people uh, that, that are our workforce, that are our workforce. And we can move to a city that the only people that can afford to live in it is folk that can afford a $300,000 house or over. And if that's the policy of the city and what we want the city to look like, we've got a whole lot of folk that are not going to be living in the city of Richmond. And I just think, to uh, you know, the mayor is to be commended for looking at ways that we can continue to add to this trust. But I put in an amendment to the budget to bring it up to five, and I will continue to do that until we get there. Um, but to, to suggest to cut to the populations that needs decent affordable housing that is, really makes up the majority of our workforce, um, I would hope that we would not um, uh, find the Affordable Housing Trust Fund as the means by which to cut the budget. Thank, Thank you, President. Ms. Robertson. Other comments? Ms. Ms. Dagelesto and then Ms. Gray. Thank you. Um, and I think if, if we're going to be counting in funding for support services, um, I think we do need to look to add what we do through the non-departmental because I think if you start adding up uh, many of the efforts that we are doing, we're, we're beyond $5 million. We just gifted, gifted, a piece of real estate assessed at over $2 million to Virginia Supportive Housing to support affordable housing initiatives. That, that's not being counted towards the $5 million goals, but it was a $2 million asset that the city just gave. So if we're not getting credit for everything that we do, and it has to be cash dollars, and those cash dollars, in my assessment, are really going to maybe bricks and mortar projects that aren't in the city, we're not doing what I believe we set out to do, and I think the program has become fragmented to the degree that uh, advocates are not aware of every effort that the city is making in this regard. Ms. Gray? I just want to take it from a different perspective. We're asking working poor and working people to balance this on their backs, and we're making housing less affordable for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of our residents, by trying to fund this. So I think that we need to find a balance in how we approach things. I, you know, to say, yeah, we have city council members who, who struggle. I'm one of them. Um, my utilities have gone up every year. My taxes have gone up every year, more than average. I have five people left on my block 
that are still in their homes. I've seen more than 20 in the, in the two blocks around my house in the, in the 20 years I've been there have to move because they couldn't afford to stay. So, you know, I think we have to balance what we do and take into consideration that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. We have to balance it. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Hilbert. Madam President, um, I think that this uh, affordable housing trust fund is extremely important. My uh, day job at the Virginia Housing Development Authority, uh, that's what we do in uh, creating uh, financing for affordable rental units as well as uh, first-time home buyers. And I can tell you that the jurisdictions that are most successful in this endeavor are ones that have their own uh, local affordable housing trust fund. Uh, and some of them, uh, uh, jurisdictions a lot bigger than us, but nonetheless, uh, ones that have just very, very, very difficult uh, time meeting affordable housing needs, such as Arlington and Alexandria and Fairfax, uh, have put substantial monies into these funds. So as we become less and less of a an affordable city relative to housing, I think to retreat on that in any fashion is unacceptable. So um, I'm uh, not going to be able to support this reduction in the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, I just would like to um, state that we have an articulated vision of mixed income housing across the city footprint. That will not happen without intentionality. A trust fund at $2 million only begins, even with the cumulative non-departmental efforts, only begins to scratch the surface in terms of any significant brick and mortar that will allow us to say we have this vision and this strategy to accomplish it. I talked to several employees who said, I had to find a place in the county. I could not afford a house in the city. I wanted to be in the city, but I could not. And so from my perspective, again, it, unless it is mere rhetoric that we are wanting to have mixed income housing in the context of the incredible revitalization going on in our city, then not only do we need 2.9 million, anything less than 10 million would suggest that we are not as committed to this effort. And so uh, for me, uh, I would not uh, support anything that reduces this commitment to affordable housing. With that, I think we've had um, full comment. Mr. Addison, I know this is on the fly. I will allow the opportunity we are reviewing Reduction for Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Your colleagues have had an opportunity to have uh, comment. Uh, administration have made comment. If you would like to weigh in, we'll do that, and then we'll move for consensus. Well, I guess being put on the spot, I get that for being late, so I deserve that at the very least. Um, well, good morning, first of all. Good to see everybody. For the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, I, I know we've talked about 
equity and working on, you know, attainable workforce and affordable housing um, development around our, our, our city with many policies and programs. I think funding this the best we can is important, and I hear your comments about it. we need more funding than we're currently putting in there, but given our budget constraints as they currently are, every dollar counts, and so I think um, I'd like to keep it at its current funding level of 2.9 if possible. At two, okay. At the current 2.9 that's being recommended, is that correct? Is that what you said? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I just wanted to be make, make sure I heard you clearly. With that, the uh, I would like to call for consensus on... Okay, not to cut it. Yes, yeah, so what is here is a reduction... Okay, so what is proposed is a reduction for Affordable Housing Trust Fund, $900,000. Do I have a consensus to reduce the Affordable Housing Trust Fund by $900,000? Thank you. Next item would be, you have that. Okay, thank you. The next item would be the reduction of GRTC increase. And the two... Um, Patrons for that paper, uh, Ms. Larson, Mr. Angelesto, would you like to speak, Ms. Larson? Um, so we've made a lot of investments in our bus system over the last few years, um, and my understanding is that GRTC was working in uh, working to have the the bus fares and the amount of money that we were giving them stay steady. So I under I mean we got some feedback on what the increase is going to, but why the the commitment that's been made in the past to keep the funding level is not being honored and I haven't heard a, a solid explanation on that um, okay. I, I will say I hear from folks that take the bus on a regular basis the, the, the fare gathering, the ticket gathering is not consistent people are taking the bus for free I don't understand why there's no enforcement. If GRTC is basically coming and asking us for another million dollars, why aren't they spending funds to make sure tickets are collected on the buses? Okay. Um, we've spent a, a very large amount on the Pulse. You know, it's a, um, it's a nice bus. Um, a nice system, but if we're going to let these little details like gathering fares for people to take said system fall through the cracks and then come and ask city council for more money, it, I have a huge problem with that. You know, if, if they can't, if there's not enough um, of a system in place to collect it when people get on the bus, then say, you know, we're going to have roaming enforcement. And if you get caught without a ticket, you get a $25 fine. I mean, that's a, 
that's a good enforcement. Should I spend the, you know, two dollars on the bus ticket, or should I risk it that I'd get fined twenty-five dollars? So, I would like to hear more about what GRTC is doing to become neutral with their funding instead of coming to us year after year and asking for more funding. And one last thing. I have a route that originates in my, um, at the edge of my district, and more than half of the folks that take that route are from Chesterfield, and Chesterfield does not contribute. So I realize we cannot resolve that problem amongst the nine of us, but I also think that, you know, regionally, Henrico is stepping up, and they're investing in the buses, and they're opening the doors to that. We know for a fact that folks from the county are taking this route to get into the city, and Chesterfield is not contributing. And I'd like to see them invest in it. Thank you. The other patron, Mr. Agilesto, would you? Thank and, you. And Ms. Larson, I, there's representative, there are representatives here from GRTC, so after Mr. Agilesto has opportunity to comment, I'll invite them to come forward. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> so I, too, will just simply say I've heard the same uh, feedback about uh, people not collecting fares. I've heard uh, s similar feedback about how uh, existing routes <clears throat> continue not to be communicated effectively, <clears throat> that routes are being canceled <clears throat> And residents aren't, they're asking questions, but nobody will actually confirm with them that it's being canceled because it's currently just being a proposed cancellation. And until there's action taken, they don't want to say, yes, it's being canceled. But that's not transparent because if it is being proposed and when the action occurs, you know that the board will most likely go with the recommendation of the staff. So tell the riders what's up. So there are problems still with, with I think, how GRTC uh, operations exist. Uh, I had um, two areas that I was looking at because, again, even though city council is an owner, uh, part owner of GRTC, I don't feel like we're getting su sufficient reporting from them and accountability from GRTC as it relates uh, to council's responsibilities. This uh, $960,000 that is being proposed to be reduced is the incremental uh, increase from last year's funding. We are now close, I think, to 15 or $16 million worth of subsidies for GRTC. When the pulse was being discussed and proposed, the city council was about 12 to $13 million worth of subsidies. And during that conversation, oh, this was going to transform all of our operations. This was the, the solution to public transit, and it was going to generate enough ridership that the city wasn't going to have to continue with its increasing subsidies. But here we are, 2 to $3 million more in subsidies, well after a year of the pulse, and the ridership is up. The ridership is up. One thing that I know is... The feds and the state fund 
public transit based on ridership numbers. And one of the dilemmas that we had was decreasing ridership. And with this decreasing ridership, you lose some of that funding. But if ridership is up, shouldn't that funding be restored in the GRTC budget? I haven't seen anything that is showing how uh, other revenue streams are being applied. And I think it's important. If we're being asked to increase our subsidy, what percentage of the budget is that? Where is there other revenue coming from? And I don't think we've gotten a report of late or a presentation. I don't serve on land use and housing transportation, but if you have, please, I would expect it to be shared with all of council because that's now our policy. Furthermore, and I have been a very outspoken um, <clears throat> proponent of getting VCU committed to GRTC again. When VCU pulled its partnership, GRTC lost $2 million of revenue annually. $2 million. That was a decade ago. The city had to fill that gap. And GRTC has maintained and continues to maintain, even after the pulse has opened, their own shuttle service in the city right-of-way. City council controls the right-of-way. If we don't want a competing uh, provider out there that's cannibalizing ridership for GRTC, well, then this city council needs to act. VCU did a one-year pilot. It was so wildly successful that they're concerned what it's going to cost them to continue to allow their students and their staff to ride GRTC throughout the entire city. Now they're saying, well, we just want it to be the Pulse and the new uh, Route 5 um, route that is, is the main and Cary Street route that I advocated to bring back, which is widely popular with VCU. They can't pick and choose how they want to partner in public transportation. That's how we got into trouble with Chesterfield County. Pick and choose how you want to partner. So, Madam President, my point is there are other revenues that we have not fully brought to this table. I do not think that the city council has leveraged its authority to bring those dollars to GRTC, and I demand that this budget gap is filled by extending the contract with VCU. Get them to renew. They only gave $1 million for their preliminary contract. Get them committed. We cannot have two separate systems. Separate but equal is not Richmond. And we can talk about how much VCU is great for the city of Richmond, but if they continue to live in their own universe and exclude the rest of Richmond, that is not an appropriate partner. Thank Those you, are my points, and I just simply ask that the council demand that the funding come to the table for GRTC from other sources other than continuing to ask the city to increase its subsidy. Thank you, Ms. Angeles. So I see that we have a couple of representatives from GRTC. Um, if you would like to come forward to provide any comment relative to this proposed uh, reduction and any comments that um, uh, council members have made thus far. Ms. Gray. I just wanted to add to um, what was said about fares not being paid. A lot of times it's not um, a lack of an attempt to pay a fare. The, the stations are broken down and people are unable to pay, and they don't have any choice. And I've had a lot of elderly residents who can't walk the distance, but they're unable to pay at the pay stations because the systems aren't working properly. 
So they've called me up and said, I rode the bus and I wasn't able to pay. What do I do now? So a lot of those fares that are free aren't people trying to take advantage of the system. They're people who were unable to pay it. At It wouldn't take coins. It wouldn't take the iPhone. You know, So they were unable to pay the fare but still needed by necessity to get on that Pulse bus to be able to get to their destination. Thank you. Welcome, Mr. Williams. Mr. Mitchell? Herring. 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 Thank you. Welcome. Um, Garland Williams, Director of Planning and Scheduling, GRTC. I have with me our Chief Financial Officer, Barry Herring, and our Chief Operating Officer, Cheryl Adams. Um, a lot of things that were discussed, I guess, uh, uh, looking at the 965 first. The 965 is for enhancements. It has zero to do with keeping our system um, at a status quo. So we're not asking for additional money to make the system as, as currently in place work. So the 965 is designed to allow for enhancements in certain areas across the city, bringing more equity in areas where they have service that is reduced um, or ends around 7 o'clock at night um, doing enhancements there or on the south side where there's no Sunday service, there is a proposed um, change uh, to add service there or putting in a new um, shuttle that will provide uh, service from Wickham Court um, and Mosby uh, to the new grocery store at 26 um, Street. So I have the have a handout that I would like to pass out to council. Mr. Clark or Ms. Shaw, your closest. In our discussions with the city when um, the additional money became available, we went through an uh, iterative process with them to allow us to figure out what um, potential enhancements would make sense and be able to be funded with the amount of funding that was available. Uh, the first check that had to be done was GRTC um, in conjunction with the state, we do a, a, a document that was called our transit development plan. If the items or service is not highlighted in our transit development plan, it's very little, um, uh, it, it, it's a much more arduous process for us to get it funded or get reimbursements for the state um, for running that service. So we had to make sure that any potential enhancements was in that document first. We went back and forth with the city, and these were the items that the city chose as potential enhancements after we gave them a list of potential items. So these are the four items out of a list that came um, enhancements. The, the first one was a, a new service that operates in Churchill um, and going to the new grocery store. Um, the second one was an enhancement to a route um, 86, which operates south side, which is uh, Broad Rock and Wickham, primarily in the, the main corridors. Um, an additional enhancement on the south side on Bellmead and Hopkins Road. Um, these are extending service that currently um, stops at 7 p.m. right now, extending them to 11.30 at night. Um, 
providing uh, that uh, coverage service. This is these are hourly service routes, so it provides uh, coverage for them late at night. Um, also, the enhancement on the 2B, which operates um, North Avenue, Jank, Melothian, Turnpike. Um, it does have service Monday through Saturday, but there's no service Sunday. So there was a, um, an effort to potentially put some enhancement, some additional service out on Sunday. Um, the other piece was the um, $53,000. This was um, an attempt to add more amenities as our system has becoming more permanent. Um, we we are having um, a, a additional requests for shelters, trash cans, benches, um, uh, and the like. So this would help us um, provide that local match um, for the, the, the capital money that we already get from the feds. This is what the 965 covers. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other? Yes, Madam President. Mr. Hilbert. Um, uh, Mr. Agilasto and I uh, don't see eye to eye on everything. Uh, but in this particular case, I have to amen what he just said. Uh, we uh, talked about uh, the agreements that the funding, the subsidy that we uh, have given GRTC and we're $2 million beyond where we said we couldn't go anymore, uh, regardless of whose fault it is on these fares not being collected, they aren't being collected uh, and that's a big flaw in this. I work with uh, folks who just wanted to try out the Pulse, and they live in the surrounding counties, some even that don't touch the city of Richmond, and they didn't have to pay, and they could have certainly afforded to pay, but nobody asked them for a fare. So, uh, and, you know, I was probably the last one on board with the Pulse, uh, but I voted for it, and so here we are with another subsidy. Um, and the, uh, as far as my own district, the bus stop across from the North Avenue Library and in front of the ABC store there is a disaster. It uh, has folks uh, loitering there, creating havoc within the library. Um, I appreciate that the ABC store is probably not going to be the uh, the uh, the haven of of uh, of everybody that's uh, caring about the neighborhood, but um, it's disturbing to me that this is not being taken care of, and it's disturbing uh, just that we're asked to to fund uh, some more to uh, to a a program that that just hasn't worked, and I think that uh, VCU. Uh, does need to step up. This is uh, very troubling uh, that they do a lot for our city, but they don't pay any real estate taxes for the most part. And for them to undermine our uh, our public transportation system, it seems like to me, and I've talked to them about this, is, is really not good. Uh, and so uh, for that reason, I cannot... Uh, support this increase. I'll be voting for this reduction. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Williams, did you have a comment? Yes. So there's a, um, I want to, if I can, clear up a misconception. The Pulse is a honor system um, service. No one will ask you for your fare um, when you board. It is your requirement to pay your fare prior to, like you would on a subway. 
Um, so we do have enforcement. GRTC has enforcement officers. Um, there we are contracted service with a group called Top Guard. Um, uh, Top Guard Security. Um, they provide services for us. They do random checks uh, six days a week, seven days a week. Sorry, seven days a week. Um, we spend between three hundred and fifty and four hundred thousand dollars annually for the checks. That only is a dent in the the amount of um, required money necessary to do one hundred percent checks on everybody to make sure they're paying their fares. Um, this is not a this um, issue or concern or problem is not just isolated to GRTC. It's an industry um, concern where um, scofflers are trying to avoid paying for their uh, fares. Um, uh, ex you know, we are working what we consider to be um, an acceptable amount of um, aversion um, without having to um, basically triple our budget to make sure that every single person who gets on our system gets a check, um, which means we would basically go from $350,000 or $400,000 to $1.2 million just for enforcement, which eats into our ability to operate. Thank you. Mr. Jones? Yeah, I just find all of this very interesting. One, we don't have enough public transportation in our city, especially on the south side. Um, there was a lady that came, there was a family that came to um, my district meeting last week that it took over an hour and a half to travel in district, in district. Uh, we've sat down Southside Community Center to talk about the challenges uh, of individuals getting around. Again, Haynes Avenue to Jeff Davis, two hours. Ten, a 10 minute trip, two hours. Um, we cannot say we are committed to public transportation uh, with that type of service. And the thing I hear all the time of, of, hey, we need more routes and things of that nature is we need more money. And so, you know, I don't know how we solve this. Uh, I don't think cutting is necessarily the answer. We, we've got to look at something to solve this problem. Because, again, um, there's a great number of Ninth District residents that rely on public transportation that can't get it. And I would love to have, I'm sure it's interesting, and I'm not pointing fingers. I don't understand how you can get on a bus and not give a ticket to the person driving the bus. Um, I don't. I don't see how that happens. I don't see how someone gets on a bus without paying. It's it's off board fare collection. No, but if there's, a, I'm, I'm, I, I, I no. Trust me, I understand that part of it. Okay, so it's not that I lack, you know, information or whatever else to understand the process. I just don't understand the premise of someone getting on a bus and not paying. That doesn't happen on the south side. person gets on the south side, they better pay their fare, or I don't believe they're going to have an opportunity to sit down. Am I right or wrong? Correct. And on Sunday, that'd be calling amen. So, so my thing, again, we, we talk about equity. Equity has got to be the same in policy as well that no one should be able to get on something like public transportation and not pay. And don't let me, br and, and I'm not trying to play a race card, but I can play, you know, <laughs> a locality card. It's not happening all throughout the city where 
individuals are able to get on. And we all, we all know the, 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 the backstory on the pulse and the this, fight on the pulse and things of that nature. Hold on, well, Madam okay. President. Because again, we ask for, we, we, we need, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad Mr. Gordon said, we need a bus stop to drop individuals off at, uh, Southside Community Center. We have a satellite for the Office Community Wealth Building. That's right there. And individuals can't get in. And the, the, the main thing that's asked or the main thing that was said, well, hey, we have to move a route off of German School Road that's, that's used on a regular basis. And that route has been there, uh, for years. And so we as a city, we've got to get serious about public transportation and what we need to do to make that happen. I have enhancements to, I have enhancements to my district right here. Uh, and if that means we need to charge and figure out what we need to do with Chesterfield County, if that means we need to sit down with VCU and do what's in the best interest of our city, we've got to do that. But I don't know if it should be an either or versus a both and. Because Thank again, you. if we cut this, there's services on my side of the city that are not going to take place. There are enhancements and new routes that are not going to take place. And so I, I would challenge you to figure out that pulse issue. I, and that, that's just me. Do tr treat everyone on the pulse like you treat everyone, you know, on Southside. You get on. You need to. You need to show a ticket. You need to do something to the person who's behind that wheel. Because again, if if let let, let my residents decide whether they're going to pay or not. Mr. Jones, I'm done. Thank you, uh, Mr. Gordon. I've seen that you've joined us and so commented. Then I'm going to bring it back to council so that we can move forward relative to this one, if you would allow Mr. Gordon, sure. did you question you want him to be able to respond to Ms. Gray or no? I have a direct question for the GRTC folks. Okay, Mr. Gordon. Let me make we'll, a, a yes. statement. Good morning, council members, uh, President Newgold, Vice President Hilbert, Reggie Gordon, DCO for Human Services. In the work that we do in human services, in particular um, OCWB, as pointed out by Councilman Jones, most of the people that we serve are bus dependent. So I cannot um, understate the number of people who have requested, begged for enhancements to service. This is how people who are bus dependent get to work, get to school, get to the grocery store. So what the idea of curtailing that service sends a message to them that is inequitable. So that is why I wanted to just stand to support uh, what the colleagues at GRTC are saying because this is responsive to what we've heard from the people. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Gordon. Ms. Gray, and then we'll bring it back for count. Did you have a question as well for Ms. Okay, so Ms. Gray and then Ms. Robertson, and then it comes back to us to decision relative to uh, consensus in the matter. So Ms. I Gray. I actually have two questions. Um, the first question um, came up because a lot of former VCU students still have IDs, and there's no process to validate an ID. They can use an expired ID and ride. Um, no. Many are, and they Not tell anymore. me Not anymore. The VCU rolled out their new ticket card system um, in last week of February. Last week of February. So, so they prior, prior to that, you were just able to show your ID. We would press a button and allow you to ride. If you're riding a local, if you're riding a BRT, you just show it to the ticket enforcement officer and you were okay. Now you have to have the VCU 
um, issued card to allow you to use the system. And does need. it scan that or they it just does. have to show it? It scans. It you, scans. Sh- you have to tap, yes. Okay, well, that's good to know. How many citations have been issued to date and what has been the net revenue from those citations? Uh, zero citations have been issued to date. Um, in working with our board, um, there was a decision once we launched the system for the basically first four to five months, we would basically make sure we educated everybody this is what has to be done, um, basically almost doing warnings. So now we're at a period of time when we're starting to ramp up and we will start doing the enforcement and issuing citations. So how many warnings have been issued to date and are they being tracked? None at this point. Okay. Verbal warnings, not actual, there's nothing on the, the thing to do, a, a written warning. If a patron is uh, determined not to have fare, we will escort them off the bus yes. and, and have them buy a fare and offer them to report. Correct. Thank you. Ms. Robertson? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I am not in support in, of cutting these uh, extended services to Southside and making it possible for uh, residents that live in the eastern part of the city to have access to grocery stores where we don't have uh, grocery stores and to get to a place that we finally will provide uh, food, food, a basic necessity, uh, and to provide transportation for families that needs to be able to get to the grocery store, I think it's, it's a humane thing to do. Uh, and the same as it relates to the, we've known the deficiency of services uh, uh, to the south side. And, um, and there are lots of people that work downtown, and especially uh, with VCU, on VCU campus downtown, that their work shift, uh, in order for them to get to work, sometimes they have to leave at 7 o'clock in the afternoon for 11 o'clock shift. So this is just, <laughs> this is just, you know, the, it's just the right thing to do. Um, however, I am, I do agree that, you know, the partnership and relationship that we have at VCU is one that I question um, as to whether or not it is uh, cost effective for the city to continue to provide the services and whether or not the terms and the conditions of the relationship with VCU needs to be revisited. So I don't know if there's a way that we can get a generalized uh, statement as to relate to what that relationship is and the cost versus the uh, benefit of that um, here right now. And if we can't, Madam Chair, I think we need to understand that whether or not we do need to re-talk that relationship and partnership with VCU. Sure. But I think these are two separate uh, discussions that we're having as it relates to this amendment. Um, and, you know, if we negotiate a different uh, revenue stream or source as it relates to our partnership with VCU, then I think it's time for us to come back to Greater Richmond Transit and ask what kind of impact that would have. But for today, 
based on the amendment before us and the services that are being provided, I do not support the cut. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Larson. So I just wanted to make sure that I heard everything correctly. So you all contract with a third party to do enforcement. That's correct. And pay them two hundred, three hundred thousand. Between three hundred and fifty and four hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay, mm-hmm. but they have not issued any written warnings or given any tickets to date. They have and issued. They have not issued any written warnings. That's correct. Or giving out any citations. And the board had said they wanted several months for the pulse to be in place before these warnings were issued. But at this point, the pulse has been up for a year and a half, two years. So I, if we're ten, if ten we're con, I'm sorry. Less than a year. It began um, June. So it's ten, ten months. months. Okay. So still past the time the board said they wanted to have this grace period to educate folks about the pulse. But if we're paying this company over a quarter of a million dollars to do enforcement, but they're not actually doing enforcement, then maybe we just get rid of that company and absorb the cost and the extra money you're asking us for. Uh, Earlier statement by Mr. Herring, he basically said uh, and can confirm that when we have the fair enforcement officers check individuals and we've seen that they are, their ticket stub is not valid, we escort them off the pulse and require them to pay um, at the next station before they can continue their trip. So they are being escorted off. The fair enforcement officers, it, um, uh, it, it's a great deterrent. So if we don't have the deterrent and it's not honor system, fair enforcement off board, um, if you take that component away, um, our, there's a, con- a major concern on our part that our revenue on the, the pulse would dramatically drop. I'm not taking anything away from, I'm not, I'm making a suggestion. Okay. I think you all need to be a little more um, efficient in your budget. And I, I'm frustrated that we're being asked for, for more money. And I, I understand the honor system and all that, but what we council members are hearing anecdotally, mm-hmm. people aren't, the enforcement is not happening. We're not hearing about people being escorted off the pulse and asked. We're hearing about people who are taking the pulse for free. And like Councilmember Hilbert mentioned, I mean, a lot of the people who I hear are doing it are people who can afford to pay and should be paying. And so that is frustrating when I'm looking at giving you all an extra million dollars in funding this year. Ms. Gray? So we passed an ordinance to um, make it against the law to ride and not pay a fare. Ten months into the operation, that ordinance is being disregarded. And I don't see the incentive to not ride. If I'm a person who's riding for free, and I know I should be paying, 
And the biggest consequence I have is that, hey, I have to get off at the next stop. And there's more than likely not going to be anyone on that next bus who's going to check to see if I paid. I mean, why would I pay? If I'm a person who just isn't going to pay and I'm not penalized at any level other than, hey, you're going to have to get off at the next stop and then pay a fare and get back on. This doesn't really disincentivize a person with the mentality that they're going to ride for free, not to continue doing that. If the worst-case scenario is nobody even takes my name down, they're just saying you got to get off, then what would stop me from continually riding for free? Any additional Any additional comment, and then we're going to. Madam President. So, yeah. um, Mr. To, to answer uh, Councilman Gray and Councilman Larson's questions, um, the goal for the Pulse is to enhance our ridership, and it has. It's transformed our system. We were a system in 2000, um, FY17, um, and FY18, we were, we were losing ridership. Um, this is not, uh, we're not isolated. It's industry-wide. Everybody was going down. When we transferred in the system, putting the RTMP, we have seen our ridership go back above FY17 levels, which is remarkable in basically where we are in basically less than one year. The Pulse is an honor system designed that way, built that way. The enforcement component was... Um, a piece that GRTC and working with the city made sure that we had at least um, a component out there for enforcement because there was no requirement that we have to have a an enforcement component for this. But we wanted to make sure that um, if you didn't have this as a deterrent, no one would basically pay. We are working with our our, our security provider we're working through the, the process and going to make, um, we're making enhancements all the time. And we believe that over the next three to four months, we'll be in a position to um, start doing um, aggressive enforcement. Thank you. May I follow up? Yes. I have a, so when we were putting forward this um, ordinance for fines. Every major transit system, I mean, in New York, I think it's 100 or $150 if you jump over and get on the subway. Um, that model, because you're not going to catch everybody who does it, but that model offsets the cost of those free riders with the revenue that comes in. So there is no disincentive to ride for free on this honor system if a person wants to be dishonorable. I don't, I don't think that dis making a decision 10 months into the operation still not to issue citations is the right thing to do. There is no means for recovering all those free rides if you're not issuing citations and making people pay a fine for that. Thank you. Ms. Coffey-Glenn, is there additional? And then I'm going to thank everyone for your comments so we can come back and decision in this matter. 
Yes, Mayor, uh, Madam President, and members of City Council. Uh, certainly, we share many of your concerns as it relates to um, issues uh, associated with BRT. Uh, it's a fairly new system. Uh, it's only been in operation for about 10 months, and certainly more improvements are necessary as you implement a new system. But the proposal before you deals with the expansion and enhancement of services, especially in areas where poverty is concentrated. Uh, these enhancements was, was part of what we heard from the community as it relates to the need for more servicing in South Richmond, East End, and also in some of the other parts of the North Side. Uh, I, I'm hoping that you can bifurcate and understand what is being asked. And certainly we understand the will of council if you don't support it, but it's really about trying to provide equitable service throughout the city of Richmond. And this is one way of moving in that direction. In addition to that, I do want to let the council know that we are meeting with uh, VCU. In fact, there's a meeting uh, this Friday to talk about their services, their programs, et cetera. But there are two separate things that are being conflated as it relates to the conversation today. So I just simply wanted to at least add that little bit to the conversation. Thank you, Ms. Coffey. Glenn, thank you, gentlemen. Madam Bring President, back. if I may just um, challenge Ms. Coffey Glenn on her, on her statement because... Wait, okay, so let, let me And do I this. say this because monies are fungible. Our subsidy is not directly tied to this route, that route, that route. It is a one lump sum that goes into GRTC's budget to make it whole for the operations of GRTC. If we're getting back into the route making business, then we are overriding the council's decision years ago to stop getting into the route making business. Thank you. With that, gentlemen, thank you. Um, I think everyone who has wanted to make comment has. Um, I want to say that while this sheet provides uh, uh, terminology about enhancements, these are necessities. These are not enhancements. Enabling ridership, individuals for whom this is the primary mode of transportation to access services, to access employment opportunities, that's a necessity. And so I take issue with the narrative here, though I understand the presentation. The individuals who are uh, and have been consistently, and you've heard and you've received calls from across the community, whether it's two hours to get to the community center, whether routes need to be tweaked so that they are more uh, uh, accessible, whether or not we have shelters, real shelters from the weather while folks wait for service, that's a necessity. And so for me to talk about reducing, reducing this by this amount that allows our community residents, again, for whom this is a primary mode of operation, and I suggest we unbundle the issues. Yes, have a conversation with VCU. Absolutely, yes, have a conversation with the counties. But right now, in my community, these, in my community, in communities across the city, so it's not just me, are having challenges in terms of navigating uh, successfully. And so with that, I would call for a consensus relative to the reduction of the GRTC. Madam Inc. President. Yes. If I may offer a friendly amendment to satisfy what I'm hearing from folks, we do not have to change and increase the budget for GRTC to accommodate the routes that you're asking for. We can say, yes, we want those routes. We can put that as a text amendment onto the funding that we are giving to GRTC. 
However, if there are monies that are not being collected by GRTC, I have a significant problem. I'm not saying what you're proposing for the enhancements is something no, I'm, the I'm trying. No, for the necessities, Mr. I'm using yes. GRTC's language. They're calling it an enhancement. You call it a necessity. I'm not opposing that. What I am proposing, however, is that we have a business that the city owns 50% of that is, in fact, not operating effectively. And if it is the council's job to spend the taxpayer's money for effective and efficient management of services, we have not held GRTC accountable. And if the contract with Top Card is with the city, which maybe the city attorney is implying, I don't know, Garland, is it, uh, is it with GRTC? It Mr. is with you all. So there, there, I, I understand, okay. but I'm trying to get clarity because there's a lot of concern from people. Honor system. What number of what percentage of riders are paying to ride the pulse? Did we even get that data? That would be good data to get. But we're not. We're getting this passionate plea, which I'm not opposed to. But what I have to do is balance the passion for providing for our residents with the business. And exactly. right now, the business continues to go unaccounted for. We haven't gotten presentations. My question about funding from the feds and the state has still not been answered. And so I don't understand how we can just continue to put money towards here without having accountability. Okay. Thank you. Some, thank you. Some of the information has been provided by staff. Um, again, uh, we have multiple items here. I'm suggesting that we unbundle, yes, hold accountable, but the individuals for whom this is a primary mode of transportation to access services, jobs, and other amenities in this community, that's what this speaks to. We still have work to do to ensure that the strategies that are being employed have the yield we're looking at and the net result. But in this moment, I'm calling for a consensus relative to the reduction of the GRTC increase, 965. Thank you. And I've had my hand up for a moment, and I wanted to make a comment about um, what this is about. Because about GRTC? Yes. Can we move forward? We well, have you, you what took, is it? You took liberties as presider to... No, I didn't take to, liberties, um, Ms. Gray. I simply yes. had comment at the end after well, you, everyone you, else had commented. You made comment about what this is about. That's what it's about for you, and, and you characterize what we're attempting to do. But I think it's important for, for us to be able to say this is about mismanagement of taxpayer dollars. It's not about whether or not we agree that we have necessities in the city that need to be funded. We do have necessities. But if we don't believe that our taxpayer dollars are being spent wisely, we have a right to object to that. And I think that to close it out with this equity and necessity argument characterizes what we're trying to do as something other than manage taxpayer dollars in a, in a proper way. Thank you. Madam and I'm, I'm wanting to be clear. I'm not suggesting that we are not held to being good stewards of the citizens' dollars. 
without a doubt, having strategies that ensure we get the best return on their and our investment, without a doubt. At the same time, there's some harsh realities here in terms of the need for a service for an overwhelming number of our citizens who cannot maneuver this geographic footprint we call the city of Richmond with ease without having GRTC transit as a part of that effort. And so as uh, we all have opportunity to make comment, uh, so do I. And Mr. Hilbert, this is relative yes, to... I, I, yes, it is. I think that we've discussed this matter. I appreciate everyone's passion on it. I will join uh, Mr. Agilasto in putting in a text amendment uh, for these necessities, but, but we cannot... But we've, we've got a consensus on this. Let's move on. Absolutely. Okay. Thank there you. There was a colleague who wanted to have additional comment. I, I agree okay. with that. And, and process-wise, I think you're trying to stick to it. Like I said, everybody's passionate about it, but, but uh, the next oh, item. Thank, thank you. you. I, I want to delineate passion from reality as well okay. in terms of what Fair citizens enough. are dealing with. So I, that's where we are. The next item, reduction in non-department for Owens and minor grant. And so this is being put forth by Ms. Larson. Um, any comment, Ms. Larson? Um, yes. So in this agreement, and I, does everybody, I think everybody has a copy of this um, at your all's desk. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at page six, we have the option to provide services as in-kind um, through the Office of Community Wealth Building, I believe. Um, and I think we should pursue that option instead of the, I'm sorry, it's on page seven. Yeah. The, um, the first full paragraph on page seven the locality may provide the in-kind workforce services and on-the-job training work experience workforce services incentive by offering to work collaboratively with the company to help meet its workforce needs through the locality's Center for Workforce Innovation. And then it, it lists out some details. Um, I think we should pursue that. Um, we have an office that already has those types of services and folks that do this work um, instead of the $90,000 in cash. Thank you. Ms. Mitchell. Good morning, Council President Newbill, um, Council Vice President Hilbert, and City Council members. Um, the item before you actually addresses, the, if you're looking at line, um, page six, it addresses the on-the-job training and workforce um, work experience workforce services for $120,000. The in-kind services are being provided to the company by the Office of Community Wealth Building's career stations. The on-the-job training and work experience program that is being offered, that is being proposed to be offered to the company, provide to the most vulnerable citizens of the city of Richmond 
workforce training and opportunities to work and train at Owens and Minor. This gives an opportunity. So the on-the-job training program is a program where the city would pay part of the um, wage and the company pays the other part while offering on-the-job training on-site. At the end of that experience, people will be hired by Owens and Minor. So it gives people the opportunity to not only receive the training necessary, but also receive jobs with the company. Thank you. Ms. Farrar, was there additional or? Well, I just wanted to um, sort of briefly recap this project that was done in 2017. If you recall, Owens and Minor did conduct a national search uh, to locate its middle office function, and cities all over the U.S. were considered for this um, particular function for the company. The project included a commitment to employ 300 new people um, at this location with an average wage of $57,200. The company would also lease 90,000 square feet of vacant Class A space in downtown Richmond. In order to compete for the project, the city made an incentive proposal that had a variety of uh, benefits that were specific to the company, training being the foremost, most important aspect of their decision. City Council approved the uh, Commonwealth Opportunity Fund Performance Agreement in April 2017. That performance agreement, as you have in front of you, addresses the incentives that the city promised uh, to Owens and Minor and included state incentives as, as well. According to the performance agreement, the company has until March 31, 2020, to make a capital investment of $15 million and create these 300 new jobs in the city. At this point, they've already created those jobs, and they've made an estimated $14.3 million in capital investment, and they have filled uh, that vacant space in downtown. Uh, the agreement also included a $1.5 million Commonwealth Opportunity Fund grant that requires a local match by the locality. This requested funding uh, of $90,000 is in the mayor's budget and, um, and is part of the local match that we are uh, is necessary for the city to make as it relates to this agreement. So we're concerned if that, that if this program is not funded, as previously promised, we would potentially be in breach of our contract. We also are concerned about the perception that businesses will have when we make um, promises to them and later change the deal. Ms. Larson, was your question? So on what page in the contract does it say that the city is required to have a local match of $90,000 the, the, ma the match is all totaled, so when you see the list of the category of local incentives, and by the way, we were able to negotiate a reduction in our lo local match as a part of this uh, negotiation. And so this $90,000 is a part of the $120,000 on page 6 for the on-the-job training and work experience. The other $30,000 that accompanies that will be before city council in the next 60 days. We have an ordinance um, that's coming forth that, that's already been submitted. That ordinance has been in the pipeline for about six months in the finance committee, and we haven't heard a peep about it. It just gets continued. So... 
Does that mean you're going to be coming forward and asking for another thirty thousand? For another thirty thousand dollars, yes, to make the hundred and twenty thousand whole. It's been in the pipeline because we've been negotiating with the company on the on-the-job training performance agreement that must accompany it, and we have received a final um, worked with the company to receive a final. So when it comes before the committee again, it, it won't be continued. Thank you, Ms. Gray. So um, the last time I was on finance committee, we got reports on all of these agreements, and they had not met the stipulations within the agreement. Has there been an updated report that shows that they have met the requirements? Good morning. I'm Betty, I'm Betty Ann Teeter. I'm with the Department of Economic Development, and I want to address your question, Councilman Gray, Councilwoman Gray. Um, that report was prepared last fall. They have now completed the 300 jobs, and they're going to exceed the 300 jobs soon. And, they, and as uh, Ms. Ferraro has spoken about, they've almost completed their capital investment um, much sooner than they were required to. So they're on track to complete all of their requirements. Thank you, Ms. Teeter. Ms. Dangelasta. Thank you. Um, so how many total jobs are now with Owens and Minor downtown? Uh, over 300. Okay, but the agreement says that there's a baseline of 200 that were being transferred from Hanover and that there would need to be a net new job of 300, so a total of 500 employees. So are we at f over 500? No, we're over 300. We're over 300. Um, so we have to deduct the 200 that is the baseline. No, we have not. That's, um, we're still um, reviewing how they're going to transfer and accommodate the, 500, the additional 200 to 150. 200 to 150. Okay. So if I could just provide some clarity, because I, I'm not a big fan of um, accommodating facts that meet a goal. The contract says 500 jobs. Mm -hmm. To stand up here and say that they have brought 300 jobs to the city of Richmond is and not in alignment with what the contract agreement requires. I'm just calling it out because I don't think that's a fair apples to apples uh, statement. And I'm, we can get a report. I thought we were supposed to get these reports quarterly. Uh, and I know we haven't gotten one in, in quite a while. So uh, I would appreciate when, when uh, you all could update the performance agreement report to the city council on the Redskins, on, on this, on Stone Brewery, on all the other agreements that we have. Thank you. Thank you. Bringing it back to council. Ms. Larson, do you another specific question for staff? Um, or no, just... it's, a, it's a question regarding this issue for um, our city attorney. Okay. I'd, I'd like to um, ask Mr. Jackson if he could take a look at the contract and give us an opinion on what our legal obligation is regarding this. I don't know if you've had time in the time we're sitting here or if we could table it and come back to it while he looks at it because I'm unclear um, about all of this and I have some concerns about this other paper that's been pending in finance and why are we 
trying to get this through the budget, and then they're coming back to us asking for another 30000 related to this contract. Mr. Jackson. Um, if I might ask a couple of questions of you folks. Um, reading, and I mean reading right now, uh, not studying, but reading right now, the way the agreement is drafted, it appears that the it originally contemplated that the uh, 120000 uh, was a value that was to be provided through in-kind services. Because when you look at it talks about um, the locality may provide in-kind workforce services, on-the-job training, and so on by offering to work collaboratively with the company to meet its workforce needs through the locality's Center for Workforce Innovation or otherwise, including but not limited to the following, and then there's a list of stuff. Mr. Jackson, I am going to ask, because you have indicated that you're just really looking at this now, that we do push this down, give you a moment to have conversation with staff so that we can bring this back. I'm this close to asking the question that yeah. I need to get well, answered. Well, I figured there would be questions, but you're needing clarification from the administration. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So if we could push this down to the bottom of this list um, and come back to it uh, in fairly short order if you would get with staff to get clarification in that regard. I would like to make one more uh, clarification to Mr. Agilasto, and that is the performance agreement runs through 2020, so the company has to 2020 to meet all of the obligations uh, to include the transfer jobs and the new jobs created in downtown. So as far as we're concerned, in our interpretation, they are compliant um, because they are still within their performance period. Thank you. Mr. Jackson, staff, if you would. Uh, the next item is... May I, may I just make one quick comment? Because there's a difference between being compliant and be, having met the agreement. And I think my question was, have they met the all the requirements within the agreement? And... They, they have until 2020 to meet all of the requirements of the agreement. And I Thank think what, from our conversation, what I heard was that they had met the job requirement, but they have not yet met that job requirement, but they are still working on it. They've met the new job requirement for the agreement. And that was what the um, – there were 200 jobs that were already in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and that's why we split it out. Um, the 500 are new to the city, but 300 were new to the Commonwealth of Virginia. And this is a tri-party agreement between the Commonwealth of Virginia, the city, and the company. So they've so, met the 300, yes. but okay, not, yes. the, not the 500. That's correct. Okay. I am tabling this at this point. If you would, with Mr. Jackson, we will bring it back. I am going to... Um, uh, suggests that we will have um, a more abbreviated but still uh, sufficient discussion to be able to address each item, but that we have many items before us. And so we've spent quite a bit of time on this particular one with questions, some of which responses have been provided to us in the impact statement. So with that, the next item is 
reduction of estimate for tax relief for the elderly and disabled. Ms. Larson. Um, so I think everybody on council knows that we expanded this program and there is an increase um, in this even with the 388 reduction and in discussions with staff um, collectively it looked like the the budget for this with the expansion and the increase was a little ample so we um, it's still a 1.5 million dollar increase and we're just dialing it back um, three 388 and I think this is still um, going to meet the needs of our community um, and if you all remember we added an an extra bracket for the senior tax relief um, and the entire program in the past has has been about three million thank you any Mr. Wack, I see you coming forward. Good morning, John Wack, Director of Finance. Uh, Council should have the, the impact statement information uh, provided by the administration, but I just want to make a, a couple of quick highlights. Um, so the budget has been set at $4.588 million for fiscal year 2020. That was based on expansion of the tax relief uh, from, from ordinance 2019-029 which uh, increased the actual amount of relief for, for many categories, as well as created that new category. So that, that's roughly a million dollars. But we do need to factor in what, what we project the, the uh, taxable values are for these properties. So that, 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 that budget was based on numbers from the city assessor on, on March 5th, he had, where he uh, had projected about 4.3% increase in taxable values uh, from the 2019 land book. Uh, the numbers from last week are significantly higher. Uh, he, he's projecting 6.5% increase in taxable value, so that would lead me to believe that we would need to grant even more uh, tax relief because of that. So I, I do not feel that there is flexibility in, in that amount that, that was proposed by the mayor. And I also wanted to highlight that city code do, does require, as a director of finance, that I would have to prorate the, uh, the tax relief for the individuals that, that qualify for the program. So, for example, if uh, in, in 2020 we only have about 90% worth of the budget, the budget only pro provides about 90% of the tax relief, we would have to prorate it so that we'd have about 1,800 uh, property owners that would have to pay taxes for the first time. Mr. Hilbert? Yes, I uh, wanted to know, isn't this number based on $1.29? Uh, tax rate, and therefore that's why we needed the increase in the relief for the elderly and disabled? That is a portion of it, but it, it's more primarily tied to the, the, the growth in uh, taxable values and, and, and the expanded eligibility. Uh, we, we, because the finance department doesn't have uh, in, uh, income as well as net worth information from, uh, from property owners, we didn't want to um, un underscore how much we, we, we think we would grant because we won't really know until uh, March 2020 uh, who, who applies and how many more. But I, I would estimate there will be hundreds of people that would be newly eligible and there will be also many property owners that would be getting more than twice as much as they would in the prior years that may be applying for the first time. Okay, so 
I appreciate that we would need more and there'd be more people that would need this if we were at $1.29. Uh, but I'm, I'm uh, going to support the reduction in this based on uh, the fact that I'm voting for $1.20. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Gray? So is um, by ONR, would this be an allowable um, grant from the Affordable Housing Fund to offset? Okay, so Funds. that's not what's on the table in this moment. We can go back to address that. I'm this just, is on its own, a reduction in a ordinance that we recently passed. It's, it's very much related to affordable housing, and I'm wondering if it is an allowable expense against that trust account. Okay, so let me be clear uh, as well. I mean, I have this a allows, question. Yes, I'm just getting clarification in this regard. This is not, this allows Ms. Jones to remain in her home as the assessments in close proximity continue to escalate. Is that correct? We have differing levels that we have approved and you've estimated. Is that? That is this correct. This is not about procuring. So uh, just, just to clarify, the tax relief for the elderly and disabled program has nothing to do with the affordable housing program. So participants are uh, it's uh, keeping, apply to them. I'm it's sorry. keeping people able to afford their homes. So it's a retention effort versus an acquisition of affordable housing. But nonetheless, I mean, if home provides foreclosure counseling and we use affordable housing trust money to keep people from being foreclosed upon, why wouldn't this be a valid line item for that? That's all I'm asking. If we're, it's keeping homes affordable versus creating affordable housing stock, but it is still an affordable housing initiative if it's saying people below a certain income will get some relief from their tax burden, correct? I would correlate it programmatically with uh, with affordable housing, but again, city code mandates the amount of uh, relief that individual property owners would be eligible for based on their income and net worth. And, and, and I get that. What I'm asking about is the ONR for, since we can give grants to um, the St. Joseph's Villa for their activities, programmatic activities, not creating housing stock, is this allowed under that umbrella of affordable housing. Okay, so the item on the table is the reduction of the tax relief for elderly and disabled. If we want to come back with some other amendment, that is different. What's here now is this item. Well, and if I'm contemplating reducing it, I'd like to know a potential... Um, revenue source to fill the gap, and that's and my that, question right now. It is very much pertinent to my decision on how this moves right. forward. That's, yes, if that comes back as an amendment at some point, that's fine, but that is not what is before I us. need to know Ms. if it's Larson. a possibility. That's my question. I'm not putting it forward as an amendment right now. I'm asking, is that a possibility? Would Mr. Jackson be able to answer this question, Madam President? Mr. Jackson. I, I think that if I understand the question correctly, you are asking whether funds that are appropriated to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund 
can be used to supplant funds that you're taking away from or might be taking away from the proposed appropriation for tax relief? Uh, the short answer is I've only looked very quickly, but the short answer is probably not without some kind of amendment to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund legislation. In addition, I'm not familiar with how the tax relief program works, but it, if, if I understand it, it's actually a reduction in what you pay in the first place. It's not where you pay it and then get something back. Is that correct? That is correct. It's recorded. So if we have about 4.6 million in, in mm-hmm. eligible participants, we record a 4.6 million expense in non-departmental and a 4.6 million revenue in real estate taxes. So we're essentially paying the taxes for for, for those property owners. Thank you, Mr. Larson and uh, Ms. Larson and the Mr. Jones. Um, I I just want to uh, thank Mr. Hilbert for bringing up what he did because I think that's a good point that the estimates that the administration made are based on the 129. And I would also like to remind City Council that we approved a budget transfer for the senior tax relief this year. So if we reduce it by the 388, still going up 1.5, and they're in the middle of the year and they need more money, they can come forward to us and ask for a budget transfer like they did. We approved it. The program moved forward, and it was all fine. Mr. Jones. Thank you. Mr. Wack, I, Mr. Wack, I just have one quick question for you. Sure. Um, how have we trended in spending as it relates to uh, individuals who are in the um, tax relief program? Uh, I believe it has, has increased in recent years. So in fiscal year 2018, we granted about $2.8 million in tax relief for the elderly and disabled. Um, so that, that's really the only solid number we have. So 2019, the current year, we don't even have, have the full gist of, uh, of, of who's going to uh, receive it this year. But that, I would assume that's going to be a good 9% higher. And then in 2020, rather than the, the 4.3% growth that I was presuming when, when, I, set the, when I recommended this for the, for the proposed budget, we are now looking at 6.5%. Mm-hmm. So, we are, so the taxable values will, will be higher, and I would think that would drive the, the tax right. relief higher. Every year, someone's turning 65. Would you repeat that again, Mr. Jones? I said every year, someone's turning 65. Uh, I know there are so many individuals uh, in the 9th District that I come across that we are informing them of this program, and many of them are hearing it uh, for the first time. Um, And when I talk to individuals uh, on Sunday and I ask about their parents uh, that live in the city, Many of them don't know that their parents are eligible for something of that nature, nor have they um, inquired on or advocated on behalf uh, of their parents. Again, I think as a city, we've got to do a better job in informing our citizenry of the programs that are available. We've done some, and, and, and the question I have is, is there more that we can do to ensure that everyone that is um, everyone that is able, everyone that is qualified, everyone that can register should register. I don't know if we've done our due diligence in that. Um, and not saying that we are negligent. What I'm saying is there's an opportunity for us 
to inform individuals within uh, uh, many of our districts. And so I, I would not like to see a cut somewhere because I, I'm hoping that we would go to all of our seniors uh, and, and short of door to door. I know we're planning in the ninth district, we're planning to send out a mailer uh, towards the end of this year uh, to just inform everyone specifically of this program. And that's something I'm going to take out of my district funds uh, to make sure that uh, uh, that we inform people. I know we've done a great job or we've done the best job we could at the beginning of this year uh, to inform individuals in our district. But those are just the individuals that come to district meetings. Uh, and there are so many others. So, I, again, I still think it sends the wrong message of cutting uh, uh, this program. If it's based on $1.29, I get that. I understand that. I hear that. Um, and, and I don't know if I heard that succinctly, whether it was based on that. But I just think it's a bad optic for us to cut that when we have other niceties within our budget that impact the affluent. And, so, and, excuse me. Completed, I'm sorry. No, I, I'm just saying that, that this, this, I mean, we, we talk about having two Richmonds and trying to become one Richmond, and everything that I see right now in our amendments suggests that we have two Richmonds. And where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. How are we cutting funding to seniors? How are we cutting it to people? You know, I, I'm, I'm through, Madam President. Okay. I'm, just, I'm just concerned about our direction. Right. I, and so before you answer, for me, we have had the opportunity to increase the level. The, our ordinance will allow more seniors and elderly to access this program regardless of the real estate tax rate. We have more opportunity to ensure that our elderly and disabled can remain in this community, period. Those numbers will increase. And now to come back and talk about reducing that in light of the fact that we've given even greater opportunity is a challenge. I think you had, and then I think Ms. Trammell I saw. Good morning, Jay Brown, Director of the Department of Budget and Strategic Planning. If I may provide a very brief response, I want to reiterate some comments from Mr. John Wack, is that the primary reason, the primary reason for the proposed increase for the tax relief program pertains specifically to the expansion of the program. Only a small amount of that increase relates to the proposed rate at $1.29. So it was primarily related to the expansion of the program. Also, um, we, I believe that we are all aware that the assessor came back with um, increased assessed values. Um, so that is also playing a role for the reason why there was an increase in the tax relief for the LA and disabled program. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Ms. Trammell. Madam President, I fully don't understand. Jay, exactly what, what, are, you, what are you saying? That because we up the, um, like, they're, like for the seniors to be able to get more tax relief, that's why we're. In, that's why the mayor is asking for dollar twenty nine for real estate. No, um, um, well, he's shaking his head. Yes, you say what? I'm sorry. Go ahead, uh, Mr. Brown. Yes, ma'am. If I can be clear, um, the primary reason for the increase for the tax relief program pertains to the expansion of the tax relief program by city council. That is the primary reason for the increased amount. Okay. Okay. We're trying to help the seniors be able to stay in their homes yes, or be able to get the tax, more tax relief. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, I know that I'll speak for myself. I've been trying to help the seniors, not just this past year, but years to get this tax relief. And those forms are not easy for them to follow them or try to, because every time they fill them out, 
we've had to go get the seniors, bring them back down here because they left this off or they didn't put this down or that down. And a lot of the seniors saying that we're asking for um, personal information that they're afraid to put on those forms. And if we're going to ask, and I know I am, and I know that I've heard my colleagues say that they're going to be out there more to get these seniors on this program. Does that mean next year we're going to raise the real estate tax to maybe a dollar forty? Mr. Brown, you if believe, you would, you and then we'll go to the free, next. I'm sorry, what? I said if he would respond, then we'll go to the, to your inquiry. We'll then go to the next. No, ma'am. I'm just focused on this year's budget. This program will provides more funding so that people who are eligible can receive relief. By cutting this by cutting this funding, it could impact those who may be eligible for relief. Okay. That wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is something very, very important, and I've kept my mouth shut for about two hours now, but I'm not now. I don't, I fully don't understand exactly, because to me, if I know that I helped, okay, I took about 15 more forms to the people before the deadline. They called me back and said they didn't want to fill them out because they fully didn't understand because they're complicated, and they are. And then they have to go to the bank. I had one yesterday, a senior Monday go to the bank and ask them to please, because she doesn't have a computer, thank God at the bank, First Union faxed everything over here to Valerie so that Valerie could look at all of this, so that she could stay on this program. If we're going to have, I mean, I don't know how many thousands of seniors in my district that probably could qualify for this if they could get on this program. We're saying now that if we don't approve the dollar twenty nine, it's that's not okay. If I understand we're going to have more seniors who will be able to take advantage of this. We'll have more we only had one level before. We now have several levels that seniors will be able to of seniors with income and assets will be able to take advantage of this. So we should have more of our seniors who would be eligible, not less, no matter what the rate. Madam President, I understand that part. And also I want to just thank the free press for their articles because that they have put in it in the in their paper because I know that um, seniors in my district have gotten back over thousands of dollars because they were taking a, they did not know that um, they were quali that they could qualify to have those other reductions on their utility bills and they when they got to tax relief no one explained that to them so now it's been four or five years later they are getting this money one in Parker's district who just found out about it because I told her about it, and she's getting back, I don't know how much money, but she was grateful, and now she's done told some of her neighbors who had never heard about this program. Thank you. Mr. Addison? So I want to know, I want to know, Jay, if you can get me the information on how much money that these seniors, don't have to have names or whatever, that they have gotten back with this program that they did not know about, how much money have we given them back? So there may be an opportunity to provide something in the aggregate, but certainly not individually. I mean, I th no, think we're yes. No. Okay, Miss Reed, did you have comment? And then Mr. Addison had a question. Good morning, Council President, Vice President, members of City Council, Lenore Reed, DCAO for Finance and Administration. I'd like to address the comment uh, on the table in regards to the tax relief program for the elderly as it relates 
to the in proposed increase in real estate taxes. Uh, one had nothing to do with the other. Uh, we came before council to address the expansion of the program, indicating that it would uh, have increased costs associated with the program. We definitely agree with the program. We want the program. We like the program. Uh, these are the additional costs that will be associated with administering or enhancing that program with this expansion. Uh, and council individuals are absolutely correct. I think the finance staff has done a wonderful job going out and educating the community in regards to the program. But there's definitely more outreach that can be made, uh, especially in the districts that the two council persons spoke of. And we're, we're willing to do that. And we're looking for ways to continue to educate our uh, citizens in regards to the program so that we can see expanded use. Thank you. Mr. Addison? Thank you, Council President. Um, in, in light of this conversation, one of the questions I have is what is the current utilization of the current funding uh, for this program? Is there a understanding of how much it's being drawn on? Like, How are we doing performance-wise with this program in the current fiscal year to date in terms of its utilization, remaining balanced funding, so that as we make a decision around whether to cut this or change the amount, et cetera, I know that we're not near zero for the funding for this program, and we're supporting what this goal is as a whole. I know we gave 1.5, I think it was, or one point, some, some amount earlier for this fund exactly. I just want to make sure I understand where do we stand year-to-date with the funding. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, in fiscal year 2018, we granted over $2.8 million in tax relief for elderly and disabled. We don't know how much we're granting in 2019. People were applying through March 31st. We are still going through the applications. There are also eligibility requirements because this is going to tie to uh, the relief granted in January and June. So, so we don't know in the current year. Thank you. Okay. Um, are we ready? Last question, Ms. Gray. I had my hand up for quite a while. Um, I think that this begs the question that um, why are we going through this exercise without deciding what and determining what the tax rate will be? We have a majority of us who are saying keep it at $1.20. That would prevent us to have, having to go back and forth on what this might be, and, and then it will tell us how much money we're working within to adopt a budget. So I think that that should be first, and we need to get that notice out so that we meet all the deadlines for holding that twenty. I know we have some legal timelines in which to do that. So I would suggest that that should be first in our order of business, that we determine where we are with the tax rate. Thank you. Uh, the uh, process that we are utilizing will allow us to understand what revenue is available, what level of increase we might need to consider. And so what's on the table at this moment is the reduction of the estimate for tax relief for the elderly and disabled. Uh, do we have a consensus relative to that reduction? And, Madam Chair, my point is that that's relative to the tax rate. That is not relative to the tax rate in this matter. This is an item that is not the tied to the relief, tax rate. The amount of relief needed is directly related to the tax rate, and it's the presumed amount, at $1.29. The amount of the 
the, the amount of dollars needed will be attached to the number of persons who will access this program because we have increased the level. So we'll have more seniors and elderly accessing this regardless of the tax rate. We'll have more people will, who will have an opportunity to have relief in this. I am calling for consensus. Madam President. I'm calling for consensus. Madam President, is that still – well, I, I mean, I think she has – I think she's making some good points here. I understand I, that, Ms. Ms. Trammell. The process, and I've had an opportunity to sit with staff to figure out how we go through each of these items that folks have taken the time to propose. Then maybe to we should just them. go ahead and just give the mayor his daggone budget instead that of is going not and taking all this time doing this stuff when we can't ask the questions and we and it's like you know. And this is, and then we have certain count. Colleagues, they get mad because we're over here asking questions. If we fully, if if I say that it might be that it's going to raise the taxes more, the real estate taxes more next year, because I know that these seniors are definitely going to take advantage of this, especially with you know the finance department that comes to our meetings and and they even have offered to help our seniors. And when Thank we can get them down here, they do take their time to help these seniors so that you. they can stay in their homes. That's the whole Especially point, Ms. Trammell, to enable our seniors to stay in their homes. The item on the table is whether or not we would have consensus to reduce the estimate of tax relief for the elderly and disabled. Do we have consensus to reduce that item? Thank you. The next but, item is the reduction Madam of funds. Yes. Since we can't always see their hands, can you let us know if it failed? Yes, or there were two. I'm sorry. There were two. Okay, that's three. Fine. Make our staff is actually registering. So, so, let me understand: if a majority of us make a determination that we'd like to move forward with something, you can override that with process. Well, I'm Excuse sorry. Me. Go ahead, Madam President. Okay, um, what we're looking at here is a process that allows us to go through the proposed amendments to this budget and at the same time have a sense because staff is either reducing or retaining these amounts that then let us know what it's looking like in terms of overall reduction that would be needed at this point. It looks like about $12 million. Yes, based on what has been agreed to thus far, if the body wanted to bring the tax rate down to $1.20, we would still need to find about $12.2 million in reductions. So the, hence why we're going through the reductions so that we can determine after we go through them all what tax rate we will be at and if council at that point wants to continue to make reductions. The next item is reduction in finance munis replacement. Uh, Ms. Larson, comment? Um, so this is an item that we have moved out of the budget, I believe, two years in a row, three years in a row. And um, we took it out of the budget in collaboration with the administration last year. Um, I am putting it on the table as a reduction as a compromise, I would be willing to put forward a piece of legislation that would support paying for it out of our fund balance because it's a one-time funding 
item, um, and so we wouldn't have to take it out of the operating budget for this year. Thank you, Ms. Larson. Uh, yes, uh, Ms. Brown. Just to make a clarification, I believe you said that you want to take it out of fund balance, but I think you, when we spoke, you said that you would want to take it out if there is um, any surplus at the end of this year. It would be put in at part of the surplus, not actually taking out of fund balance. Yes, um, you're correct. Thank you. Um, Mr. Black. Oh, I'm sorry. If I can just add one more thing. So this is not defunding this item. It is just looking at funding it a different way. Okay. Mr. Wack. Again, John Wack, Director of Finance. Uh, Council should have the the impact statements for for this reduction, but this would eliminate all of the uh, funding we have in finances, uh, fiscal year 2020 operating budget for the replacement of our revenue administration system. Uh, We have a a number of city audit reports have recommended that we uh, replace our revenue administration system. So to uh, remove that funding would would, uh, prevent us from from closing out those recommendations. Also noted in in the impact statement that uh, we are multiple versions behind the current version of um, our revenue administration. We're not using the latest software. We're going to be at at the new uh, version 11.3 in August of this year. Uh, So if we eliminate the the funding, I, I still think we would need a significant amount of funding for um, to upgrade to, to the current version used by other governments. Additional comment, Ms. Reed, and then we'll move forward. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, um, council members. I understand the concern in regards to the munis because it has been slow in the replacement. And I came before this council and said uh, one year, yes, you can use those dollars because we were not quite ready to move forward with replacement. Well, we are ready to move forward with enhancement and replacement. Um, First, we have to enhance the system that we have, and I had the staff work diligently with the vendor to ensure that if we went to the latest version of the Tyler software that we have, would it give us the capacity that we need? Because the audit report said that we are in need of replacement. Umesh indicated, the previous auditor, we are in need of replacement. When I came to the city, they were ready to sign a contract for replacement. The only issue with that is that we would have never been able to record the revenue. We would not have known because the system that they were going to use did not interface with our current financial system. That became an issue. The other issue is that we needed to do a lot of cleanup for this system. And so I think we've made a lot of enhancements. I think we've done the cleanup work and we're ready uh, to move forward. What you see before you are the operational components to the capital. Uh, And so for every capital uh, dollar that you have, you're going to have an operational component that does not belong in capital. And so that's what you see before you today. We are ready to put an RFP out shortly for our needs requirements to have uh, responses. I've met with individuals in the counties, our counterparts, to see which systems they were using and how um, they were working uh, for them. And so I think we're ready to move forward. One known thing is that what we're, this operational dollars for Munis, and it should say revenue collection system, we have to, we have to 
do upgrades to the system regardless because we are on a version that's almost unsupported. And it's going to take us just a little bit of time to do that replacement. And so I'm asking that we not take the dollars, at least for that, um, and look for, for other avenues. Thank you. Additional comments, questions? I would like to call for a consensus on the reduction in finance munis replacement, $900,000. Thank you. The next item, reduction to finance contract and temporary personnel. Uh, Ms. Larson and Ms. Robertson both have proposals there, and if uh, you would speak to that and staff would prepare to come forward who will provide any additional comment. So um, this was, again, working in collaboration with our, our budget analysts and with the ample increases in the um, vacancy funding and increased FTEs to this department, um, a small reduction in finance contract and temporary personnel um, seems to make sense. And that's why I'm putting forward the 110,000 reduction. And I believe Councilmember Robertson has one that's a little bit more than that. Thank you. Ms. Robertson? Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. I'd like to entertain a presentation from the staff as it relates to this. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Wack? Uh, once again, uh, Council should have uh, the, the, the uh, impact statements relative to these uh, proposed amendments. Um, but essentially, uh, years ago, the, the Finance Department was very dependent on uh, contract and temporary personnel. We spent, I, I believe, $1.2 million the year before I got here. L looking uh, forward to fiscal year 2020, there are a number of new efforts where we're going to need to spend uh, for contract and, and temporary personnel, uh, for example, the implementation of um, a cigarette tax is uh, going, going to really impact several areas, including tax enforcement in addition to cashiering. We also um, are going to need uh, contract and temporary personnel to help us with um, moving the rapid system to the cloud. We're going to have to have a significant amount of, uh, of testing work done uh, in, in the fall. Towards, towards the end of the calendar year. Um, so again, this, this is uh, really something I, I feel would, would cripple the, the finances, finance department's ability to uh, fulfill, fulfill its mission, uh, especially in concert. I, I see um, Ms. Larson is also proposing significant reduction in, in, in vacancy savings. Those are, we have three new positions in fiscal year 2020 that are tied to, tied, tied to new programs. The expansion of the tax relief and elderly program is, is uh, tied to two, two positions that are currently that are shown as vacant but do not exist yet. We also had one uh, new position in, in 2020 in the cashiering area for, for the implementation of a cigarette tax. But given that the, uh, the revenue budget for 2020 assumes we're going uh, to uh, tax over 120 million, dollar, 120 million cigarettes in the city of Richmond in fiscal year 2020, we really need these additional resources uh, to execute the mission of finance. Thank you. Ms. Robertson, you said you wanted to 
was there some additional? Um, this is uh, this is a challenging amendments when we when we start looking at personnel reduction. Um, but in an effort of trying to find uh, revenues in the budget to reduce the real estate rate, um, these are areas where we see um, some increase in the actual contract temporary personnel uh, as to the reason why uh, this is suggested. However, the comments that if I'm understanding what I just heard is that, you know, we, we, we want to raise, raise taxes for cigarettes, uh, but it's going to cost us additional monies for personnel. And so I guess the question is, you know, how do we balance out, how do we know what the cost is to generate new revenue sources and how much of that cost, what percentage of the revenue is going to be lost due to the cost or the implementation of, of achieving the revenue? So I heard Mr. Wack mention a couple of times that in his explanation as it relates to needing more contract services as in regard to the, to the cigarette tax. So... You know, a better analysis of what it's costing us to collect the cigarette tax and what the ultimate revenue that's going to be generated as a part of that would be helpful. And how much of that is going to be spent on contract services, which are not full-time employees, I understand that. Um, and what, what do you expect those contract services to be? The, what services are they providing in the process? Mr. Wack, any additional clarification in that regard? Um, the administration did prepare an O&R specific to, to the, the cig cigarette tax, indicating that we would need, uh, I think, put, it may have indicated 1.5 FTEs. There's only one in the budget. So that, that's why we would need, need, need some contract and temporary services. It also, we, we would need to spend ten, tens of thousands of dollars on, on issuing stamps. We're going to have stamps affixed to um, the cigarettes that are, that are sold in the city. So that's, that's going to be a new effort. That's going to take workload. That's going to, uh, we're going to have to secure those stamps because technically each stamp is going to have a cash value of 50 cents. Um, so so that, that's really specific to the cigarette tax. But we also, as I mentioned, uh, we, we, we do need um, maybe if, if, if council is looking at how much was spent in 2018, 2020 is going to be, going to be a bit different because we're going to have the additional efforts um, in particular around um, the, the, the uh, rap Rapids financial system where we're going to need uh, some testing work done. That's going to, going to be costly. So I'm not sure I'm getting an answer to my question, Madam Chair. If I can just yes, Ms. Robinson, and then we'll proceed. Uh, the anticipated revenue that we expect to receive from the cigarette tax as is proposed in the mayor's budget at 50 cents. That amount is what? Three million and fifty thousand dollars is projected and that's that's uh, as, as noted in, in the ONR is tied to a presumption that we're going to get uh, 27 cents per penny per capita. Um, I would compare it. So that's hopefully a conservative number that that will will materialize next year. So the costs are going to be a small fraction of that. 
Do we know what the cost of the $3 million that would, what's the cost in order for us to collect this tax? Uh, off the top of my head, I, I believe, in, including the operating and, and, and personnel, probably in the $150,000 range. $150,000. And, and that's an estimate. We don't, we don't have an inventory of how many cigarettes there are in the city of Richmond. So this is going to have to be a team effort within the Treasury as well as tax enforcement area to, to, to uh, go, go after other, the, the vendors. Are there any other costs be, beyond the category of temporary personnel or contract services that above the 150000 associated with the 150,000 is 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 our, our best guess. Again, didn't really have any um, in talking to other localities that that are in the last couple of years have implemented a new cigarette tax for the first time. We did talk to other localities. We talked to the um, we communicated with the the vendor that provides the stamps from the for, for the state for the Commonwealth. So that so we do know which That's vendor the total we would cost need. Cost that we are projecting that is going to cost us is 150,000 dollars. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Reed. Good morning. Yeah. It potentially, to answer the council person's question, it potentially could cost us more. We estimated 150000 and that's to administer the program. Uh, we know that there will be additional costs associated with enforcement, and that's where the issue is going to come in uh, because we only have four individuals that do all types of tax enforcement uh, for the city. Uh, and so once we administer that program, distribute um, the stamps, uh, that's where the enforcement piece comes in. Um, John asked for additional positions for enforcement. I said no because we could possibly take it out of attrition. Let's go for a year to see what those costs are going to be or how many individuals will need to go to uh, all the places that sell uh, tobacco. And so we wanted to do that analysis, but with other things on the table, such as vacancy funding and, and, and the like, then more than likely we will not be able to enforce. I don't believe in the honor system, so I'm more of an enforcer. And so I like to be able to uh, enforce those things that council put in place. And so if we move forward with the cigarette tax or tobacco tax, I would like to see our enforcement team go out and enforce. Thank you. Mr. Hilbert. Uh, just yes. one follow-up uh, question I'd like to uh, ask in regards to that, if yes. I may. Um, because I'm really just trying to do an assessment of what is the cost that's mm -hmm. associated with, with the revenue that we are depending upon within the budget. So... Uh, I agree with you. I don't believe in an honorary system for enforcement, especially with a new initiative that we're putting out there. If there is no enforcement that is attached to it, then I think we are failing to be serious about the collection of the revenue that we are speaking of. And so if, if – but I'm understanding you to say that there is no enforcement dollars attached in the budget for – well, you were looking at other ways of making that work, but mm -hmm. do you have a dollar amount that what the enforcement, what your projection is of what that cost would be for the enforcement? What we're doing now, we're doing an analysis uh, of 
how much enforcement our enforcement team can actually manage. We utilize the services. We went to the police department. We've been utilizing the services along with the police. Uh, we talked to the sheriff in regards to that. Currently, we have a program that we're getting our enforcement officers through a training so they can be special conservators of the peace to create some efficiencies. And so with that being said, and we're looking at all the types of enforcement and other means of uh, collecting the revenue and especially those delinquent um, taxes, what we're looking at now, we'll probably need one or two one to two individuals. We didn't ask for that um, in the mayor's budget because we're looking for those enhancements. And so what we, I'm asking, we, can you we, put a cost, an estimated cost to that for enforcement? I can tell you two individuals would be probably $120,000. Okay. We you. support what the mayor has put in his budget because I feel with that intact, we can do all the things that we need to do in regards to enforcement and enhancement and come back to council with the plan. Councilman Gray asked about positions, and I would be remiss if I didn't say every time we look um, to determine whether or not we want to fill a position, we also look for uh, efficiencies. And so that's why we did not come before you uh, and I feel that the mayor's budget is adequate for us, and we support that 100%. But any changes, uh, to me, will have a negative impact because I think the assumption is that we put fluff in the budget, and there is no fluff. It's down to the bare bone. And so I know when we come before you and say if you take, uh, whether it's 110000 or 120000 or more, I mean, it hurts because we're there at the bare bone. The mayor didn't allow us to put any fluff in the budget. It's a zero-based budget. We started from zero, and we have to justify every dollar that's being spent. There's no other way to do it. So I ask that you support the mayor's budget as I support the mayor's budget because we helped him to formulate the budget. Thank you, Ms. Reed. Mr. Helber. Thank you. Um, I have reported a convenience store in my district that sells Lucy's. If you don't know what that is, that's a loose cigarette where they're selling cigarettes individually. And yet, nothing happens. 50 cents a piece. Okay, I haven't, I couldn't tell you what the cost of it is, but I can tell you that it's outrageously illegal. So, why aren't we talking to these folks who are in obvious violation of the law right now? I can pass on an address if anyone would want to hear that of this convenience store. So, and, you know, and I get a run around of, well, it's Commonwealth's Attorney's Office, it's the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. We don't have the resources within Richmond Police Department to do this. What, where do I go? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'm not sure which law is being broken in, in that. We don't, we don't currently have a, a local cigarette tax. Right, and we, we confer with Mr. Jackson to get clarity okay. in terms of where we should direct All such right. occurrences. And let me add here that when we passed a cigarette, or excuse me, when we deferred, I guess, on a 50-cent real uh, cigarette tax, we had a chance to do 80, which would brought in another 1.8 million, which Ms. would certainly cover this. We Ms. chose not to do that. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hilbert. I am calling for a consensus to reduce finance contract. 
Okay, Ms. Trammell, I did not see that. I'm not trying to admit anybody, so if you just alert me, I will absolutely um, call on the member. So I'm not trying to leave anybody out. Ms. Gray? So my question um, is for the administration. Has any analysis been done on net revenue losses based on the data we were presented about the additional sales that take place with these cigarette purchases, the gasoline, the food purchased items, the hot meals, and what net revenue after all those things are factored in or net loss might look like, and also um, the, the job losses. We, we, we just had a long debate about how much we're paying to bring jobs into the city, but if this is going to cost 100 to 150 jobs as estimated, ha are we factoring any of this in to the budget? Has that been analyzed? Good morning, okay, Lenore yes. Reed, uh, DCAO Finance and Administration. We've performed some form of analysis in regards to uh, potential uh, loss, and so we think the net gain in regards to cigarette tax, what that's going to bring in. We will not be able to do that analysis until we look at all gross receipts um, when they come in. And when those gross receipts come in, we can do the analysis to determine whether or not the gross receipts from XYZ store is less than it was in the previous year. So we're not okay. looking at prior... Um, we don't have the data. Once we get the data after the cigarette tax goes into effect, then we'll be able to say XYZ store presented this for fiscal uh, for a calendar year, and then after the cigarette tax was imposed, we got this much in revenue, but their gross receipts went down. So we don't have that information. So how did we, how did we arrive at an amount per pack and revenue if we don't know how many packs are being sold and if there's if there's um, economic em studies information out there that say the average purchase is around $12 in addition to that pack of cigarettes then we should be able to come up with some amount or an estimate how are we coming up if we don't have data on cigarette sales how are we coming up with the amount of um, revenue we're expecting? I believe the information that we started with started with council staff and the information that, that they provided based on 80 cents per pack. And so we utilized that information to determine what that revenue would be if so it was 50 cents someone per pack. had to have known how many cigarettes are being sold in the city. Where did, where did we get that information? And my only question is if, if we're just... Be where are these numbers coming from? And was there an analysis of other sales that accompany those cigarette purchases? And if not, why not? Again, because we, we do not have, I don't know if the individual go into XYZ store and purchase a pack of cigarettes and a Pepsi every morning. I don't know that that person is not going to buy the Pepsi or they're going to buy a Pepsi. Maybe they buy a bag of chips. I don't know. I don't have that information. Thank and you. so we base it on an estimate number of sales in regards to tobacco, um, what that purchase is, and if we were to impose a tax on that purpose, uh, purchase at X amount, the amount variable would be the amount of which they purchase, the 
percent or the amount of tax, whether that tax is 50 cents, 80 cents, 30 cents. That's how I did the analysis. So, and, and I'm not trying to belabor this, but what I'm saying is there's a site that tells you when gas is three cents cheaper and people will drive from the West End to Chester to get their gas three cents cheaper per gallon, which might turn out to be 60 cents difference, which really logically doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's, that's a behavior that we know exists. People track the cheapest gas per, per gallon prices. Um, so are we taking into account that perhaps we're going to see a net loss if people go to Chesterfield and Henrico to make those purchases? That's my only question. And, and as a result of those net losses, will we see some subsequent layoffs and job loss as, as a result because they have to Okay. Ms. Reed, do you have anything additional to add to that? Oh, ma'am. Thank you. Ms. Trammell. Thank you, Madam President. Um, Ms. Reed, I was definitely I was going to say that I have had so many calls and so many texts and so many emails from the citizens that could not get down here Monday night because they're elderly, they don't have transportation, and also a lot of business people that could not leave their convenience stores to be down here, but they did send some people to speak on their behalf. And they were saying, too, how could we do this to them? You know, they hired people, and I'll say from my district, they hired people that maybe they can't find, a, you know, maybe a job working at Kroger or um, Publix or something like that, but they can go into the convenience stores and work because they hired them, and they try to hire in the community to give them a job so they can put a roof over their heads and pay the utilities and feed their families. And now they're hearing that they said if they would do the same thing if they were if they were a convenience store owner and we were going to do this to them. They would move their business to Chesterfield County, especially when it's only about six or eight blocks down the road, and they don't have to pay the meal tax. They don't have to pay the you know a cigarette tax now. And then these high-priced utilities Ms. that the com- that, that the convenient, I, I, I'm just saying, I'm speaking for them. I'm being their voice because they cannot be here today or Monday. They could, they, and the citizens are saying the same thing. Please don't do this. Thank you. Ms. Robertson, did you have an amendment that you, was there some additional? Um, based on the discussion and the capacity to perhaps cover the costs of the enforcement um, through existing uh, personnel. Uh, I will support Mrs. Lawson's amendment at 110. Thank you. I would like to now call for consensus on the reduction to finance contract and temporary personnel of $110,000. Okay. Thank you. The next item is reduction to sheriff's part-time. I'm sorry. I just want to clarify that that amendment um, did not go through. Thank you. The next item is reduction to sheriff's part-time salaries. Uh, Ms. Larson, any comment there? And Ms. Robertson. Um, 
So just similar comments to the the finance that um, the the number of full time positions have been increased um, and savings it, and there's turnover savings could be found there and applied to the part time position. I've also had um, detailed discussions with the sheriff about their positions and. Um, trying to get more clarity on the needs and um, I, I think she's doing a great job and I want to be supportive, um, just also want to have clarity on what positions are being filled and, and the best vision for personnel for this agency. Sheriff Irving, welcome. Good morning, Comments. Madam President, Vice President, members of council. In reference to the reduction in the part-time salaries, currently we have uh, 15 people that are um, working part-time, which reduces some of our benefits packages that we would have to pay. Um, previously, there were only two part-timers in the sheriff's office, and now we have 15 of those positions, and we're allotted 20. Uh, we're trying to best allocate um, the funding as we can with using part-time staff in certain positions instead of the full-timers. Um, we would like to be able to fill all of our full-time positions, um, and, and as it has been stated that there's an increase in the full-time positions, um, and if it comes down to full-time positions versus part-time positions, absolutely, I would rather fund all of the um, full-time positions. I mean, you know, currently we're having issues with funding those positions simply because we are the lowest paid uh, jurisdiction um, around, um, and that creates an issue for us as well, uh, and we can uh, get part-timers to work uh, more so than we would um, some of the full-timers. Um, we currently have about 65, uh, and every time I speak to you, our numbers go down because we're out there working diligently to um, increase whatever numbers we can in our full-time positions. Uh, so what we want to do is to be able to fill all of those full-time positions and with the pay, um, that if we can get a pay increase to ensure that we are no longer the uh, lowest wage uh, law enforcement agency around, then we will be able to do that. Um, but you're looking at in the previous budgets there were only two part-timers and now there's 15. Um, we have the allotment for 20. If we don't use those other five, that would be where your cut would come from. However, if we go back and we look at the overall reduction of 1.5%, that would be a larger increase than it would if you just cut the part-time positions. Ms. Robertson. Um, thank you, Madam Chair, and um, I appreciate you uh, giving me a call in regards to this amendment. Um, so I want to be make sure I'm clear in understanding what you're saying. For the part-time positions, you currently have 15. You have you you have uh, 20 slots, yes, but you only have 15 that are filled, um, and. In regards to the full-time positions that you that um, that you have not been able to fill, do you have a deficit as it relates to the full-time positions? Will you be able to full to fill those vacant position full-time positions with the current budget as is proposed? With the current budget that's proposed we will have a better opportunity to fill those full-time positions. Okay, all right. And with a cut of $100,000 from your part-time, 
you will still be able to maintain the 15 that you have, but you may not be able to fill the additional five completely. Yes, Is that ma'am. correct? Um, so if we were cutting you by 100000 for five positions, what would be the reductions in the positions if you had to take the 100000 out? Well, we just wouldn't fill those five positions. So would the 100000 cover the entire five positions? Maybe. Close to, yeah. Close, close to, to Okay. Thank you. At this point, if we could uh, look for a consensus relative to the reduction to the sheriff's part-time salaries first of $100,000. Staff? Ms. Brown? Mr. Addison, were you raising your hand? So. Okay, thank you. That, a, that amendment did not pass. Thank you. A reduction to sheriff's part-time salaries of two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. Madam Chair, Did, I, uh, you I withdrew am that. Supporting the hundred. I, I see. Thank we'll you. Take that off. Yes. Thank you. The next item: reduction in police fuel for department-owned vehicles. Uh, Miss Larson, and do we have is the chief coming forward as well? Miss Larson. So. Uh, Again, this was an area where staff identified an increase in budget um, that seemed like an overestimate um, based on previous year's funding, um, and that is what is bringing forward this amendment. Thank you. Chief, welcome. Good morning, Madam President. Good morning. Mr. Vice President, ladies and gentlemen of council. Uh, you are correct. This is an increase from last year. We had uh, budgeted approximately $1.1 million last year, and this is an increase to $1.4 million. There are several factors that come into play, uh, some of which are under my control and some of which are not in my control. When we look forward uh, into the next year, certainly uh, crude oil prices have increased this year, as you all are probably very well aware, having to fill up your vehicle. Uh, that is a precursor to increasing gas prices. Uh, we foresee increasing gas prices throughout next year. Um, the second part that we have slight uh, ability to control, which is our total call volume. Uh, total call volume has been increasing steadily uh, for the past several years and increased nearly 18,000 calls last year. We anticipate that to continue to increase given the uh, increases in city population and demands for service for police resources. Um, we do have limited ability to have impact there in that there are some things that we do that are self-initiated activities, such as traffic enforcement. Those are relatively small in, in terms of the total volume of calls that we manage. And then lastly, we have for the last several years been operating with a less than full capacity of fleet. We have been uh, operating with reduced uh, volume of vehicles available to our personnel. This has an undue impact in terms of our efficiency and effectiveness to place resources in the street uh, to handle those calls for service, meaning that at the beginning of shift, oftentimes officers are waiting for a vehicle to become available. Uh, this is not the most efficient uh, use of personnel, as you can imagine. Oftentimes it means doubling and tripling up in vehicles so that we do have people on the street. Uh, it is anticipated in this fiscal, uh, this upcoming fiscal year that we are going to address some of those needs going forward. We have a request of 60 vehicle replacements. Uh, that doesn't necessarily add to our total 
uh, capacity, but it replaces vehicles that have been deadlined from accidents or from excessive mileage or have excessive cost associated with them for replacement. Uh, obviously, having uh, replacing vehicles that are do not move, they are sitting at the garage in the dead lot, uh, they will incur increased fuel costs. So we anticipate an overall increase in our fuel costs throughout all of next year. Thank you, Chief. With that, council members, I would like to call for consensus relative to the reduction in police fuel for department-owned vehicles, $100,000. That amendment did not pass. Thank you. The next item is a general fund transfer to debt service. And so I would like to ask administration to speak to this as we try to find additional uh, funding to accommodate the budgetary needs. Good morning. Once again, uh, John Wack, Director of Finance. Uh, this is a budget reduction that we do not oppose. Um, in revisiting the uh, prevailing interest rates as of mid-April relative to uh, the, the projected spending in the cap from the capital budget and as well as the pace of spending, we do believe there's flexibility to reduce uh, the, the debt service, general fund transfer to debt service relative to the mayor's proposed budget. Thank you. Ms. Reed, are you coming forth for additional commentary? Yes, Madam, Madam President. Um, once we got the additional information from um, Richie with the assessments, it gave us an opportunity to go back and look at uh, our uh, assessments as far as what they would be, our projections of the actual cost in regards to the rates at the time. <laughs> Initially, we looked at what it would cost the city uh, for debt service uh, and the interest and all based on the rates uh, back in February. So it gave us an opportunity to look at those again. It appears that we will have those savings, so we are not opposed to uh, that reduction. Thank you. Uh, council members, I would like to uh, get consensus on accepting this uh, general fund transfer to debt service to the positive. We have five. That amendment passes. Thank you. Uh, at this point... The next item uh, would be the increase in city, city attorney's personnel budget and increase in planning and development personnel budget uh, as pertains to the development agreements that would be necessary to uh, accommodate or coincide with the $2.5 million uh, in additional delinquent real estate tax revenue. Any Madam President. Mr. Hilbert? I'm just asking for um, when, uh, and I think maybe the city attorney can also uh, shed some light on this. Until we set the tax rate, um, I think we're, we're um, I don't know where we are, but it just seems like that, uh, Mr. Jackson, aren't there additional time uh constraints on if we do increase the tax rate or they're not we, a week? Yes, and we have anticipated those, Mr. Hilbert, okay. in our timing uh, with the budget session such that we can get the papers introduced, get them noticed, that, that kind of thing. So okay, we're within that, that timeline. Okay, that was my main line. concern. Yes, okay. sir. And so when will we be bringing that up? 
after we have that. As soon as we get, we're almost through such that we can know what the bottom line is. Okay. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the two items, increase city attorney's personnel budget, increase planning and development personnel budget. And I think once we can conclude those two, we will be at time for this session. Uh, Mr. Addison. Thank you, um, Councilman, Council President. Um, question I have is, we have already discussed on Monday the difference between the $3 million, um, that Kristen and I have, Ms. Larson and I have, as well as the 2.5 for the other ones. I'm wanting to know the difference between 100 and, I guess it's $330,000 being asked for personnel and the difference between the two numbers being $500,000 and wondering if there's any middle ground to negotiate. Which, which one are we looking at for the potential revenue increase? Because with staff, for the, what I see numbers there, it's 330. Does that mean we can go from three million down three thirty to add that revenue back? Is it one number or the other? I'm trying to ask. Does the staff right, it change is which number? In yeah. order to accommodate the uh, delinquent real estate revenue with agreements, then staff would be needed both in terms of city attorney's office and planning. That uh, all that's associated with that in terms of the staffing, the and Mr. Jackson, I'll defer to you in a moment, would require additional time such that we could not realize three million. So it this would further be reduces that amount. Say again. So this would further reduce the two point five down by three hundred and thirty because if you're saying you're only gonna get two point five million in revenue and we need to hire two staff, then we're only gonna get two hundred and twenty I don't even math mad right now, but because it's on record. But um, that is where I see that would change the revenue as a top part, correct? My question about That's that is That's one way of looking at it. We've just uh, accepted three hundred and fifty five thousand that would could offset that it could. to the plus. It could, it could offset to the other positive. things as well. Yes. So that's one way of looking at it. Okay. Okay. Mr. Jackson, any comments and or planning staff, and we'll take consensus. I am not sure this is going to help, but let me give it a try. The difference between the $3 million and the $2.5 million is based on the number of properties that we'll, we anticipate being able to auction um, the three million figure assumed that there would be um, no development agreements. In other words, in substance, we would go. Our office would go back to the way we were doing things before, which generates uh, roughly 75 uh, parcels sold at each of the four auctions that we do during the year. With development agreements, we can't do. 75 per auction. With development agreements, we expect with current staff to be able only to do roughly 40 to 50 per auction. Um, with additional staff, once they are trained, we anticipate being able to get back probably by the third, second auction of the year, perhaps the third. Uh, to the same number of parcels being sold. Uh, but the numbers that you're seeing are based on historical receipts per parcel, so it's a very gross estimate, um, with the $3 million being based on 75 times 4, 
with the 2.5 million being based on 40 plus 40 plus 75 and 75. Thank you. I'd like to call the question in terms of a consensus on the increase to city attorney and planning in order to allow us to accomplish the 2.5 million. Uh, Madam President, there's several on here. Uh, 180 and 150. Yeah. And, and I asked staff to go back to um, check with the departments. And so if you would share, the, I can't see, my sheet doesn't have the current, but. Um, there were a couple of variations, but we confirmed that the city attorney's office would need 173,000. And uh, yes, 173,000. And the planning department would need 140,000. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Thank you. I'd like to get consent. Consensus on the two items, increased city attorney, increased planning, 173 for city attorney, 140 for planning and development. Thank you. We have the votes that those two amendments pass. Council members, uh, with that, um, not had a break, I would suggest that we take a break at this point and reconvene at 1 for our afternoon session. Thank you.
We will reconvene the City Council budget work session. I'd like to start at an item we had tabled uh, prior to departing relative to the uh, reduction in non-department for Owens and Minor grant. I think Mr. Jackson had and further discussion and Ms. Larson, I see your hand. Um, yeah, based on the discussion with Mr. Jackson, I'm going to withdraw that item. Thank you. Okay. The next item will be uh, smoking, provide funding for the health district for a smoking cessation and disease prevention program. The only proposal that remains on uh, our schedule is the one for 600000 for smoking cessation and uh, disease uh, prevention. And so um, if I could just have, if you'd like, uh, Dr. Vula, brief comment relative to this item, or uh, we can proceed with, with decisioning. Good afternoon, Madam President. <laughs> Council, uh, glad to be back. I, as I talked about the other day, I, I applaud you all for seeing the need for cessation services in addition to uh, the deterrent that the tobacco tax itself will be. Um, we are poised and ready to, you know, put that money to action in the in the way of nicotine replacement therapy, uh, targeted marketing to our communities of highest uh, tobacco usage and uh, in-person cessation treatment to augment nicotine replacement therapy. Happy to answer any questions. Any question or comment? Um, we have, um, I'm going to go on and call for a consensus. Uh, let's Mr. see. Mr. Hilbert. Madam President, I am yeah. uh, withdrawing my 1-8 for this program because that was based upon the additional uh, right. uh, 80 cent tax, which did not pass. So um, uh, I will defer to your uh, amendment for 600,000. And Mr. Angelesto, um, that I is- I echo the sentiments and we'll sign on to the 600,000. Thank you. Um, I would like to see if we would have consensus for a Provide. Is that a question or towards consensus? No, that's the consensus. Uh, okay. Can you finish your statement, please? Thank you. M Madam President, can you finish your statement? Uh, it was consensus. I was just going to repeat pro providing funding for the health district for smoking cessation and disease prevention program, but we have consensus. Thank you. That amendment will pass. Yes. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Dr. Vola. Madam President, present. just, just for my own record, that was for 600, correct? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. The next item, um, and we're just going through the balance of these because I think we can do these pretty swiftly, I believe. The next item would be reduce funding for leaf collection. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Madam President. I believe that is mine. Um, in talking with... Um, uh, director of Public Works to find out how much uh, and where monies and dollars were appropriated. Um, that seemed to be a particular amount that went to um, and what, what what I would call a nicety. As we talk about removing funds from um, that that would impact 
GRTC funds that would impact the um, seniors, that, that tax relief program. If there is, if there is something that is simply driven by a nicety, something that um, you know particular individuals can afford uh, to carry the burden uh, of a particular um, of a particular service that has been provided, I believe it's that one. And so, as we look to balance our budget, we're talking about taxpayer dollars of the entire citizenry uh, going to. Um, assist individuals in picking up leaves in areas in which they can afford to pick up leaves. I know it's a tough decision. Uh, it's all a tough decision. Uh, but uh, in balancing my proposal, that was an area I saw an opportunity to uh, balance my budget. Thank you. Any other comments? Ms. Gray? So I just want to point out that a large portion of the leaf collection has to do with um, requirements along the Chesapeake Bay Act and the combined sewer overflow. And we're mandated to remove those leaves from the sewer lines. And the program that was designed around mm -hmm. leaf pickup in the non-CSO areas was designed to have customers pay for those leaf pickups. And they are paying for it. They're, they aren't necessarily getting their leaves picked up when they're told they will, but we designed it so that they could have that service. We've already cut back drastically the services that are being provided, so I think that this would not be an equitable decision to make for our residents who are paying for it. And Madam President, just as a point of clarification, there's 650000 that actually goes towards uh, the things that we are mandated to pick up. Thank you. Ms. Larson? Um, when Mayor Stoney came into office, he dramatically changed the LEAF program. It had changed over the years. There used to be a twice-a-year LEAF pickup. Then it went down to once a year. Then when Mayor Stoney came in, he said everybody needs to bag their leaves. This was a compromise that we came up, that this council supported. Uh, the residents of the 4th District uh, appreciate this program. Um, they do pay $30 for pickup. Some of them pay for multiple pickups. I know there has been... Um, uh, We've had to work back and forth with DPW to, to get the program um, to where it needs to be. And I think this year we've seen some improvements in, in the way it's being managed. And I think it would be uh, very short-sighted of us to just eliminate this program. Thank you. Any comments, other members? Um, administration, any additional comment? Okay. Seeing none, I will call for consensus relative to the reduction of funding for leaf collection. Ms. Madam President, can I just ask one question from, because I know no one from administration came forward. Can we find out what we pay uh, per pickup? versus what the cost actually is. 
Do you mind, Madam President? I think that's Absolutely, Mr. Jones, please. Thank you, Mr. Vincent. Good afternoon, Council. Bobby Vincent, Director of Public Works. Um, my apologies. I believe the question was how much do we pay Does the city? It currently is, in fact, a subsidy um, for the leaf collection program um, where the citizens pay um, $30 and uh, we actually pay anywhere between $150 and $350. Yes, sir. Thank you. Ms. Robertson? Uh, I have a question. Is that a question for Mr. Vinton? Mr. Vinton, if you would join us, please, and then followed by Ms. Gray. So. Ms. Robertson and then yourself. Yes. I'm waiting for him. Ms. Robertson? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um... Question, my question is, how the whole program as to how we handle leaf collection. So my understanding is that folk have to bag their own leaves and put them out, and we'll pick them up as a part of the refuge yes, collection. Yes, ma'am. Um, but anyone can take advantage of... Um, the collection, how do you collect when someone pays $30 versus how do you collect when, when, when others are required to beg? So what service directly do you provide? Uh, we ask everyone to bag their leaves, and um, it can be collected um, through solid waste. If people choose to rake their yards and um, pay the $30, then at that point in time, we pay the additional dollars to have a contractor to come out of vacuum um, based upon the availability to, of those funds. they rake them to the property line and then you come through and vacuum them? That's what you're doing? With the contractor, yes, ma'am. With the contractor? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And I... Of the 500, that's a ceiling that we provide. So once you get past that 500, we are out of the um, subsidizing the actual costs, Right. Yes, ma'am. So <clears throat> previous years, it seems as if most of those participants came from the 4th District that participated in the subsidy of $30 and having us to provide the balance of the service. Is that still the case? Yes, ma'am. Are there other districts that are taking advantage of this service? Um, yes, ma'am. The 9th District and the 1st District as well. But the majority are still in the 4th District? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Gray? So this is a question for you. The 2nd District, I know, um, and Sherwood Park and other areas, they take advantage of this program. Um, are you suggesting that with, with the customer's $30, you said it's still costing 150 to 350 per household pickup? Yes, ma'am. So it costs your operation between 180 and 380 dollars to pick up leaves for one household. The cost is 150 to 350 dollars that we, the city, have to pay the contractor to come and vacuum the leaves from those willing to participate in the program. But if I were to call a private contractor to pick up my leaves, 
I could get it much, much cheaper. So I'm wondering, should we take this money and try to find a private entity to provide that service? Because if it's 180 to $380 for one leaf pickup, then we're not doing something right. Ms. Cuffey-Glenn? Yes. And then That's, we'll pull it back. Yes. I just find that outrageous. Yes, and we told city council at the time the costs associated with such a program that there is that delta and there is that subsidy. So when it was contemplated, we laid out what the pros and cons were, so, but it was the will of council to implement the ordinance to change and have this program in place. So, so certainly we hear exactly what you're saying. It sounds like a $1,000 toilet seat to me because if I can get it in the private world, I can get somebody to pick my leaves up for less than 100 bucks. But it's costing two, roughly two to four hundred dollars for the city to do it. Then there's something wrong, and it's more of a management issue or not negotiating a contract properly. It should not cost two to four hundred dollars to have leaves picked up. And I can get a whole tree picked up for less than that. Thank you. I'm going to call the question. Uh, do we have a consensus to reduce funding for leaf collection in the amount of $500,000? Thank you. That amendment did not pass. Thank you. Next item, reduce funding for home for the eviction diversion program. And then associated with that is create a separate non-departmental line item called the eviction diversion program. Ms. Angelesto, uh, would you like to speak to this. So, um, thank you. So what this is doing, there's two items here. Uh, it's no reduction uh, in the funding. It's more or less attempting to uh, ensure that as this program launches that the city council knows exactly how it's going to operate, who becomes eligible, you know, public housing, private apartments, you know, what's the eligibility criteria, how frequently, the effectiveness, and furthermore, um, you know, does it require an additional uh, legislation from the city council in order to enact? I'm, I'm still not fully familiar with that because right now it's as essentially operating as a pass-through to a non-departmental partner. Uh, and once it's no longer in the city's hands, you know, they get to do with it how they want, but is it something that the city could legally pay for such types of housing assistance? Not, Madam President, can we ask Councilmember Agilesto to lean oh, forward you lean a little? In, Mr. Agilesto, I'm having trouble hearing. My apologies. Yes, I will pull sorry. the mic co closer. So it's it's no reduction in funding. It's just simply asking to set aside the funding until council has had a full uh, briefing on this, how it's going to function, what are the parameters of the program, who can tap into it, how frequently are they limited based on their income, what is the long-term plan, uh, because one thing I've seen is you can get a repayment plan, but then you're back in the same situation if you don't have uh, the means. And uh, I want to see us do better uh, to combat the evictions in Richmond. 
but I don't have enough information on the program and whether or not any legislation might be required from the city council as a non-departmental grant. This is going to another agency who could potentially issue the funds to individuals, but do we have the ability to make that happen? You know, social services does it through other programming that we have. Uh, when I served with uh, CPMT, we asked the state repeatedly for funds to help with uh, the, the children who are in the most at-risk housing environments to help. And this was one of the areas that we could get funding to help, but it required collaboration with Richmond Public Schools, and we never got there. So we were essentially turning away hundreds of thousands of dollars every year that could have done exactly this. So what I don't understand is if that program couldn't work, how will this program work differently? What populations are we targeting? And I just don't at the moment feel like we've had a significant opportunity to go into the details. And I'm just simply asking that we, you know, put a, uh, a, a marker on the money. It's not going anywhere, but to make sure that uh, we are fully uh, briefed before the monies. Uh, for this particular program get released. Thank, Thank you. you, Mr. Agilesto. So Ms. Gray is next in question, and then Mr. Jackson, I'd like you to speak to it after Ms. Gray's inquiry. So the programs that I um, was told about in other jurisdictions are run by that particular municipality. Was this a competitive grant that was put out there, and how is this being administered? And I'm just wondering, is this the best use of these resources to try to combat the evictions? Who came up with this and how did, how did, how did um, the city decide on any particular contract with the, Mr. the provider? Mr. Jackson, I'll certainly if you would, and then if we have any comment from the administration as well. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Um, I can only answer the Part of the question, can it be done? Uh, yes. Uh, the way it is set up as proposed, um, the funds are designated to go to home. Um, pursuant to city code, the CAO or her designee would negotiate a non-departmental grant agreement, or a grant agreement, rather, um, that would fix the various uh, circumstances under which the money could be dispersed and to whom and, and so on and would set out the conditions under which people would receive funds through the program. The difference that I understand Mr. Agilasto to propose would be to change the non-departmental appropriation from going directly to home to a generic uh, eviction diversion program designation, which would still require a non-departmental agreement to set out all the conditions, but that non-departmental agreement would have to come back to city council for approval. As far as how this amount was determined and the program designed, I would have to defer to the administration because I don't know. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Anyone from the administration to speak specifically to this uh, programmatic strategy? Thank you, Mr. Gordon. Good 
Good afternoon again. Reggie Gordon, DCL for Human Services. Uh, this program, of course, came about in working with home. There have been several conversations about what we need to do in the city of Richmond to address the issue that made national news about our eviction program. So home was already involved in that campaign and that fight. So we partnered with them on this concept. The non-departmentals, we have no objection to what Councilman Agilesto is suggesting. Non-departmentals fall under human services, so there will be checks and balances and ways to analyze the best route to make sure that people who are appropriately in this plight have access to the resources. Thank you, Mr. Gordon. With that, I would like to move to obtain consensus relative to this uh, strategy of placement in non-departmental with the information we've received, et cetera. Ms. Larson. Just, just a follow-up question, though. I agree with the strategy that Councilmember Agilesto is putting forth as well as some of the questions he raised about legislations and an ordinance and all of that. Um, and I would like to see some sort of structure for regular updates and reporting. Um, and I don't know if we need to lay that out in a text amendment or if just talking about it here and then working that into legislation that comes forward about the program. Okay. Mr. Jackson, um, that can be tied into the grant agreement, is into that? Into the grant agreement. It's okay. typically reporting and monitoring are typically provisions you'll find in these uh, grant right. agreements. The difference here is that um, by changing the recipient to a program rather than a named entity, the agreement would have to come back to council for approval. Thank you. Ms. Robertson, and then we'll move back to consensing in this matter. I just wanted to make sure I'm clear on this. We're not taking the funding. We're just putting it in non-departmental. That's correct. Which means that there will be a grant agreement that will be granted between the uh, agency that's going to deliver the services. That's correct. Um, we, one of the things that, and I'm comfortable with that, um, and maybe this is just uh, um, the execution of these grant agreements sometimes are delayed by months. And so this is a very, uh, the initiative, the, the opportunity that we have to address this problem is, uh, is being addressed in, from different perspectives, which I think we could really make a huge difference and so we would just want to make sure that as a part of moving it, that we are also clear on an execution time for the contracts. Thank you. Again, I will again like to see where we have consensus in terms of, again, not eliminating, but simply placing this in non-departmental with all of the provisos that you've heard already and uh, the discussions from the administration and Mr. Jackson. Can I... See consensus here. Okay. Thank you. That amendment passes. Thank you. The next item is a reduction in the general fund contribution to schools for a dream for RPS strategic plan to be deposited into a non-departmental line item. And there are two items, but I understand one, only one item. So it is uh, a 
the item under Mr. Agilesto's name at, would move $11,760,000 um, to a categorical, I'm hoping I'm describing this correctly. Right. So it's no longer considered a non-departmental budget amendment. Instead, it's still an appropriation to that schools. goes to Richmond Public Schools, but because there's also a, uh, a budget amendment to do categorical funding where we do the transportation, the administration, the uh, maintenance, technology, all those, there can be an additional category that is a contingency fund that is not ascribed to one of the, the other categories. And because it's categorical funding, we can basically make that contingency fund equal to the amount for the RPS strategic plan exclusive of the compensation for teachers, the five to six million dollar number that we would automatically transfer. So by doing that, as the RPS strategic plan begins to be kicked off and uh, action items initiated, the funding can be then uh, done by a budget amendment introduced by Mayor Stoney to the City Council to move those dollars from the contingency line item into the individual category that is associated uh, with this. Part of that is to make sure that we're all understanding how the strategic plan is being implemented. Part of it, I think, is also, uh, from my estimation, you can have a strategic plan, you can have 20 action items, but sometimes it can be very difficult on your organizational capacity to initiate all 20 items at once. So this would allow for there to be an orderly process in drawing down the funds to execute this. Um, and I need some assistance from uh, uh, City Attorney Alan Jackson because it was my understanding if we had a contingency fund, it could roll over fiscal years and not necessarily be returned uh, at the the closeout of a fiscal year. But maybe under the scenario that I have just described, that no longer applies. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Yes. Um, Madam President, the, the um, difference is uh, form rather than substance. In either case, uh, the funds would lapse at the end of the fiscal year. If no budget amendment is proposed, then the money would stay in a contingency account, never be spent, and would roll into the um, unassigned fund balance or an assigned fund balance, depending on how, uh, how council uh, deals with money at the end of the year. Um, but in either case, whether it's a non-departmental contingency or whether it is a contingency within the category the categorical funding for school, uh, for schools, uh, a, a budget amendment would have to be proposed by the mayor uh, and then uh, acted on by the city council. Uh, but again, in either case, um, the funds would lapse at the end of the year. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I will, and we can seek input um, clearly from Mr. Addison, who's also introduced a, uh, another version of this, but also if the administration has any comments, because I did have a conversation with Mayor Stoney uh, previously about the concept uh, and had asked that uh, Ms. Reed and Ms. Cuffey-Glenn 
also uh, consider it. So, so and I you. will ask for them both to speak to it as well as Mr. Cameras. If he's inclined, I'll go to Mr. Addison and then I'll ask, I think Ms. Coffey Glenn, I, yeah, but Mr. Addison is next. Uh, Ms. Coffey Glenn and Ms. Well, in terms of the folks who are coming up to share any comments, Ms. Cuffey, Glenn, Ms. Reed, Mr. Cameras, Mr. Addison, and then Mr. Gray. Okay. Mr. Addison? To me? Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you, Council President. Uh, for me, this is a way to kind of bring the conversation to a public dialogue of process. It was not meant to be anything of attack or criticizing or created a barrier of access to the funds. It was a way of going, we support the hard work done to outline these recommendations in this, in this uh, upcoming budget year for RPS. I think the engagement in the community has been well-received by many parents in my district and my schools, um, as well as across the city. So for me, it was more of a way of just being accountable, of supporting this funding being used for these exact purposes so that we can um, have a, you know, support of these outcomes we're trying to achieve improving our school system, especially as it relates to the strategic plan. Um, these are separate from, I think, a lot of the basic school operations. This is, you know, additional support needed to impact the classroom, impact families that are needing um, assistance, as well as those who um, might speak another language. And I wanted to make sure that we are seeing this the, that hit the classroom. That was the whole purpose of my support for this outcome, just trying to build some accountability and conversation around this funding going towards what has been outlined and presented for. Thank you, Mr. Addison. And you did defer to the amendment that, Mr. Agilesto has placed here. Yes, ma'am. Which would be 100% of the funding. Yes. Thank you. Ms. Gray? And in my um, conversations behind the scenes with um, Mr. Agilesto and Mr. Addison, I was um, wanting to co-patron whichever, whichever paper gets moved forward. So um, right. if we're deferring to Mr. Agilesto's paper, I'd like to be listed as a co-patron. It is Mr. Agilesto's paper. Thank you. Ms. Trammell, are you indicating the same? Thank you. Uh, Ms. Coffey-Glenn, Ms. Reed, Mr. Cameras, any comment? Oh, Ms. Larson as well? Um, yes, I'd also like to co-patron, and I do appreciate my colleagues for coming up with this strategy. I feel like I talked to both of you about some sort of option like this within 24 hours, and then you all connected and worked it out, which is great, and I appreciate you being creative. Um, I did want to bring up um, the mentioning about accountability and also having it in the special fund with the drawdown gives us more information, and um, that was part of what I had tried to set up uh, after the meals tax for the school construction money. And so I don't know if there's anything we can do in this budget process, but I think it's important for this body to address that as well because that information has not been out there on a regular basis, and we haven't gotten quarterly updates. So I'm, I'm glad we're following this process with the, the strategic plan and all that. I'm happy to support it. Okay. Um, but we, we also need it with the meals tax. Thank you. Um, Ms. Coffey, Glenn, Ms. Reed, Mr. Cameras, if any comment relative to this item? Uh, Welcome. I'll, I'll, uh, my name is Jason Cameras, Superintendent of Richmond Public Schools, President 
Newbill and Vice President Hilbert and council members, uh, I will be very honest, I do not exactly understand what this amendment proposes. And so it would be helpful to get further clarity on this. It would be helpful to get further clarity on exactly what the import of this is, um, because I'm not sure that it is um, fully clear, certainly for me. I'm also a bit concerned that um, I've not had an opportunity to uh, discuss this with any school board members whatsoever, um, and none were able to be here this morning. So I would like to just start with exactly what are we or what is the body discussing specifically? So this is 100% of the funding requested for Dream for RPS. What's different here, and I'll punt to Mr. Jackson to get into the specifics, is that this would be placed in a category. This is categorical under schools. Mr. Jackson, I'm trying to lean over to look at you so that you can provide the clarity, right? And that this movement from this category would require a uh, uh, initiation of budgetary change by the mayor, which would come before this body for approval. Is that? Yes, ma'am. In substance, under, under state law, the council has the option to um, appropriate funding for schools either as a lump sum or uh, segregating the money into, I think it's 11 categories established under, uh, under state law. One of those categories is a contingency. What is being proposed is that a, a certain amount of money uh, be placed in the contingency. The upshot of of doing that is that in order for that contingency money to actually be expended, there would have to be a budget amendment proposed by the mayor and acted on by council that some or all of the money in the contingency would then be reallocated among one or more of the other 10 uh, categories where you're actually authorized to spend for certain specific things. So if I may ask a few follow-up questions. So is the proposal to move all 11.7 million into the contingency fund and then any time Richmond Public Schools wants to spend it, we have to come back to council to have it appropriated? That is correct, but what I cannot answer is the relationship between the number of dollars and the actual programs that you've proposed uh, to um, and apparently have allocated some amount of money to. So I, I, mechanically, I don't know enough about if, if dreams be, for RPS. If I may ask a specific to, question. So one of the items in the plan is to purchase additional buses. What I'm hearing is 11.7 goes into a contingency account. Then when we want to purchase the buses, the mayor needs to submit a budget amendment that comes back to council for us to then move the money into the transportation account to then purchase the buses. In substance, that sounds, that sounds like exactly how it would work. My layman's understanding of this gives me pause. Seems it would be 
rather difficult and cumbersome and time-consuming for us to expend these funds if every time we were going to attempt to spend them, it required a budget amendment to come back to council. So if I am misunderstanding this, I would welcome corrections, but that's what I think I'm hearing. I, I can only comment on the nature of the process that would have to be followed. Whether that is or proves to be a cumbersome process is an issue that you would need to discuss with the council and perhaps with the mayor. So, Ms. Madam President. Well, I want to Go ahead here. have, Sorry. we have Ms. Coffey Glenn and Ms. Reed in addition, uh, and Mr. Cameras, if that provided clarification, I hear that it gave pause, but if that provided clarification, if I could hear from the it two did. and then bring it back. It uh, did provide clarification. Okay. So, thank okay. you. Ms. Coffey Glenn, Ms. Reed, and then I'll come back, Mr. Hill. Yes, Madam President, and from what I know about categorical funding, I think there are about eight categories if I'm not mistaken, and your intent is to ensure that the dollars are being used for the program or the intended program. Um, I think when you all were able to do this about two or three years ago, Mr. Angelisto, we worked closely with schools to ensure those particular requirements were followed. So certainly if it is the will of council and there is that working relationship uh, with the school system uh, and the mayor, we would certainly be available to assist in any way. Uh, I think the important thing is ensuring the dollars are protected so that the uh, forging RPS uh, can at least execute what has been contemplated. Uh, but we would be available to work closely with the superintendent uh, and the council and the mayor, of course, and school board uh, to ensure that the objectives that are laid out are certainly in place. But as uh, the superintendent uh, indicated, he just wants us to understand the logistics uh, because I think we had the process to be uh, logistically smoothly moving when there were needs for amendments. Uh, we work with the council prior to bringing anything um, that either one had issues. We re resolved those issues when you did it about two years ago. So it is a process that the council is familiar with. It can work, but certainly there has to be a comfort level as it relates to the superintendent and the school board. But we're willing to assist in any way possible if that is the will of council. Thank you. Lenora Reed, um, in addition to the comments that have been made, uh, if committee could be waived uh, when those amendments come forward and bring them straight to council, that would speed up the time. Um, right, from organization, organization development. That, that's, that's correct, and that would, that would speed up the time. But I met with Mr. Jackson earlier to um, discuss a process in which council felt that those funds could be protected for schools and their accountability be there, then that would be categorical funding. And out of those categories, I think Mr. Cameras is correct. So if he has a contingency and those dreams for RPS, wanted to use some of those funds for transportation and then some for instruction, and some for other purposes like technology, then that amendment would come with those amounts to move those dollars. But I guess the major theme there is to protect the funds. Okay. And so what I'd like to first do is to get consensus if there's a level of readiness and then look at that additional item relative to foregoing committee and coming straight to council. We would look at that separately. And we certainly... Mr. Cameras, any... I see... 
So are you, are you taking action now on this right now? Yes. What, what, what we have before us is 100% of what has been requested. The, well, you get the difference in terms of how it would be handled. Um, Exclusive of the salary component, right, which the, is automatically yes. being put into the, to the appropriate categories. Right, but this is 100% beyond that. The salaries must sure. I mean, we're I want to express appreciation for that, that full amount. Um, I do also think it is my duty to express on behalf of the board there may be some concerns with this procedurally, um, and they um, do not have the opportunity to speak this morning, so I just wanted to share that for the record. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think it was Ms. Robertson. I'm uh, sorry. I can't. What about me? Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me get the line up. So, okay. I believe it was Mr. Hilbert. Then I'll go Ms. Trammell, Ms. Robertson, and Mr. Jones, if that's okay. okay. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, I think that this is a... Uh, uh, this is an innovative strategy and one that uh, uh, merits a, a great deal of work. I think that we all uh, wanted to do as much as we could for uh, Richmond Public Schools, and it sounds like that there is a, uh, a consensus. Well, there may not be, but at least, I mean, this provides the accountability uh, that we were looking for and that, quite frankly, the public is concerned about, uh, given uh, some issues of, of that relative to schools and redistricting, schools being open, redistricting, the feedback that I've received. And so that was, that was why I didn't feel like that we could uh, efficiently and effectively spend the whole requirement, and that's per my reduction on line 14, but now it sounds like that there will be that accountability uh, in place. So I'm going to withdraw on line 14 my reduction for RPS of $6.1 and we'll support this, uh, this item. Thank you, Mr. Hilbert. Thank you. Ms. Trammell and Ms. Robertson, Mr. Jones thereafter. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I just I spoke to the um, school superintendent earlier in the elevator. I didn't get my information that I asked for on Monday, and um, I guess he forgot. But anyway, I got a text in reference to the 300 students that walked out of George Wythe today. They are supporting their principal, Reva Green. And They're I want to know supporting what, Ms. Turner? Hmm? Pull, pull a little closer to. You. Uh, 300 students walked out of George Wythe High School today in reference to supporting their, their principal, Reva Green. And, you know, this is just horrible when we have children that are not being heard when they love their teachers and they love their principals. And there's, you know, we have a school superintendent, I guess school board, too, that doesn't really, I don't know what they're doing for them, but, you know, I know I'm getting a lot of calls because so many people love that principal over there at George with and other principals that will no longer have a job. And also, um, some 
employees that Richmond Public Schools let go that live in my district, and they're asking us about the eviction program. I got a text earlier. Y'all going to help people with evictions? Who's going to help me keep my house now that since the school superintendent and the school board has laid me off or got rid of me when I was doing an excellent job with those children? So how do, how do I answer to, to the people in my district when these are questions that need to be answered? They're going to be homeless, too. No homes. They're going to be evicted by the banks. Are we going to give them some money and help them? Thank you, Mr. Amel. No answers again. Thank you, Mr. School Superintendent. Ms. Robertson. Thank you, Madam President. Um, yeah, I'm going through the questions first, and I'll pro provide an opportunity, Mr. Jones, if there is response relative to Mr. Amel. Ms. Robertson. Thank you, Madam President. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I have one, one question for clarification first, and then I have a question I'd like to ask in regards to the amendment. But we are looking at two amendments, so I'm asking whether or not the 11.7 if we take out the salaries for the teachers and so forth, does that reduce it to the 8.1 that Mr. Addison? No. They're two different. Two different. He withdrew that. He withdrew that. Ms. Brown? Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you for and that clarification. The, the salaries have already been considered. The salaries are not included in, in the 11.7. Yeah. That's okay. correct. I just needed that clarification first. Uh, so my comment and question in regards to... Um, the amendment before us. I do think that there is there is concern as it relates to the implementation of the funding and I know that we have a strategic plan before us. It's uh, um, there are a lot of things in the strategic plan that I think aligns with what I have read as it relates to the equity and disparity study that that our superintendent did coming into the city of Richmond, which I think really set the right benchmark for us to understand the disparities that are going on within the system. And in many ways, I can see how the uh, strategic plan aligns with addressing some of those disparities that exist. Um, but I have always said from the very beginning, I think there is... There's need to make sure that we are adequately funding schools to be able to accomplish the job to take care of educating our children. And for me, the academic achievement rises to the top of the level. Um, I want to make sure that the execution and the implementation of the funds are going to really address those disparities that we see and that... We have means by which we are measuring the performance outcomes, the indicators that we're going to use, and that we have means of measuring them so that not that we are just being uh, critical with oversight, but that we are, we are knowing what we're doing, and if it doesn't work, we know where to make things different. And I think that it's important that we understand that because we should not be looking at this just as a one-time funding this year, but a continuation of that five-year period with an assessment at that 
time and even before that there's an obligation and commitment to funding because what I've seen happen too many times is we'll increase the funding in one year. The next year we go back down, we drop off significant millions of dollars. Whoever is impacted by that can justifiably say they didn't get the continuation of funding over the years and therefore the outcomes are not achieved and we're spinning our wheels. So I will withdraw my amendment for um, $2.3 million. Three. I was coming to you about that. Yes, I will withdraw my amendment for that with the understanding that uh, we're looking at a more accountable way that we're going to look at knowing what funding is being and what the outcomes and objectives that we're trying to achieve. And I would also like to suggest that we probably could move this forward in a more holistic way rather than every time you know, whether you're buying a bus or whether you're doing something else, that we have to come back through this process and go through the line of questions that you're probably going to get asked as to whether or not that's a legitimate purchase or not, that some type of execution of a plan that has those outcomes, indicators, and that we know what that is, that perhaps we can adopt and perhaps we can minimize the number of times that amendments would have to be made and we could do it more holistically. And I would recommend that we strive to get to that place. Thank you. But Ms. we are not there now. So I support this. Thank you, Ms. Robertson. Similarly, Ms. Larson, does this action impact your proposed reduction? Uh, yes. I just told Megan to take that off the table. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, at this point, all three proposed reductions uh, for school funding have been withdrawn. And then, Mr. Cameras, you are going to come. Councilwoman Trammell had um, some. Uh, Madam, Madam President, oh, my hand was raised on this, I was and I'll defer to him. I'll, if I let me get him. through all the questions. You're absolute, Mr. Jones, because it may be something that he would respond to as well. Thank you. Thank you. I, I mean, I celebrate full funding. Um, I think. That is the primary. If there's an end result, it's fully funding schools, period. Now, how we get there, do the, the, do the ends justify the means? That's the only thing that kind of, you know, causes me pause. I understand that we want to understand school board's plan. You know, we want to do that. Are we becoming a mini school board? Uh, you know, are we going to oversee every purchase, everything, and question it? Because, again, when we talk about um, certain conditions, upon certain conditions, I would really like to know what those are. Um, because, again, from an organizational standpoint, you're talking about a moving target. I mean, it could be here one month. It can be there the next. And... For for me, there are just too many moving pieces, and we're setting up. I don't want to set up a dynamic where uh, we're fighting with administration, with school board, and with my colleagues. And so I, I just want to make sure that there's a way that we ensure that this is uh, kind of bickering proof, that we're not going to bicker back and, at, back and forth, and we're not going to try and uh, 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 solve vendettas that we might have, or if, again, if there's something that we just don't agree with, fundamentally, can we hold 
those funds in if it's something that um, the school board wants to do. But we, you know, can we sit back and say, well, we don't want you to do it, so we're not going to release those funds. And so I, I guess I'm just trying to understand yes. that piece. And if I can get and, – and if if the patron can kind of, you know, walk me through that piece – um, so I, I would appreciate I'm gonna an understanding ask of that. Mr. Agilesto to weigh in, but I'd like to go back to Mr. Jackson because when these funds go over, they are already within categories. Yes, ma'am. The the proposed amendment. Well, right now the the ordinance that's proposed by the mayor uh, has funds uh, appropriated in a lump sum, but it has been the case over the last two or three years that. Uh, as part of the council's amendment process, you've broken them down into categories, and council staff would have to tell you how that all gets worked out. I assume it's some sort of exchange between council staff and the school staff. Um, but the effect of this, again, is to take funds and put some of them in this contingency reserve, and I've managed to find the statute. It's actually nine uh, categories. And the effect of putting funds in the contingency reserve is to require that before they get spent, there's a council, uh, there's council action based on a mayor's, the mayor's recommendation. Um, and I also want to point out, under council's rules of procedure, this such an amendment would not require referral to a committee. It would automatically be waived and simply come straight to council at its next meeting. Thank you. Mr. Angelesso, if you could briefly, so that I, Mr. Cameras and then we can decision in this sure. matter. So one one thing that I would um, just mention uh, for Mr. Jones, this would be an appropriation to Richmond Public Schools, right? So it's not in the budget for any other purpose but for Richmond Public Schools. Council, once we adopt our budget, we don't have the discretion to introduce our own budget amendments. So the only thing that we have an option to do is to respond to those budget amendments submitted by the mayor, right? We can't change his budget amendments. We can vote them up. We can vote them down. But I would expect, uh, based on my conversation, that the administration wants to work closely with the schools so that as they begin to execute the action plan of the strategic plan, that these amendments are pretty much tied to what we have already seen and what the public has seen for dreams for RPS. Okay. So, so then we could vote down something that came before us, correct? Theoretically, In theory. but it doesn't change where the monies are. The monies are still for RPS. Right. I, I mean, I, I understand that. And so my concern wasn't the appropriation. It was the releasing of funds. If it was something that for whatever reason, Council just said, five of us said, you know what, we don't think that's necessary. It's, you know, we just choose not to support a particular budget amendment. And so that, that, that's my only concern. That was my only question. Okay. Um, okay, Miss, is this pertaining to this item? It's pertaining to ever, several comments that have come out. Okay, so then if, since I have Mr. Cameras there, can I go yeah, on and he, have him address yes. Ms. Trammell and then, and then we'll come back? I'll wrap it up. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, 
I'll, I'll be very brief. I want to apologize to Councilmember Tremel. Um, I've not had an opportunity to follow up on your question, but I will do so publicly now. Sorry, can you start over? I was talking to, to yes, my staff. I, I wanted to apologize to you for not responding yet to your question about the cost of the phone call. Um, the cost is zero uh, because there's an unlimited number of calls that can be made once we purchase the software. Mr. I thought that was the question that... No, Councilwoman Trammell was speaking to a staff matter at one no. of the schools this in one. terms of the principal, I think. is Also, what. Madam President, that was one of the one the questions I had asked Monday at the council meeting, and he said he would get back with me, and I told him just put in an email. He didn't have to, you know, call me, because I know that, you know, we're in a budget, and, you know, he didn't have to call, but he said okay. he would um, email me, and now he'd just come here today to clear up as to well, give me the answers that, that I guess he you know, didn't I hear yesterday. You. Okay, but also I, didn't I was know about asking question, about, yes. and also I just want to say um, to one of my colleagues that if I have a question, that's the second, I know the police department, I ask questions about their budget. I never, ever get a, a response or, or something from them that they do not want to get back with me or give me the answers. And this is no reflection to you. Um, school superintendent, this is to one of my colleagues. If we're giving the schools $156 million and I have a few questions, that's from the city or the state. I know you were in the middle of trying to get the information. But if I have a question and I'm concerned about those students that walked out of George with with their principal, Reva Green, and also several people that live in my district who were like the truancy officers that would go into the homes that, you know, find why the children went in school and they're losing their jobs. And I know that you stood before us and said that you're going to try to help them find another job. Um, I don't know if it's in the schools in the city or I know that they're calling me saying that nobody has reached out to even try to help them and that they're also saying there's going to be more layoffs pretty soon. So enough I have a concern about that, I should be able to ask those questions without being, you know, crucified about it because that's very, very important to me. So, Mr. Cameras, when Ms. Trammell has such questions, are they to be directed directly to you? Yes, President Newell. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Gray? So, um, Mr. Cameras, you said it's zero cost, but I would um, beg to differ because as a parent, that system that is intended for communications about incidents at schools and emergency situations has been compromised when you start robocalling political pushes. And it, is, it was never intended to be used that way. I object to it as a parent of RPS students. When I give my information to my doctor's office, to my children's schools, to any entity, there's, an, there's a level of integrity that has to be maintained. And robocalling for political action is not consistent with what the school parent link system should be used for. I object to it. I hope that someone looks at that and reviews it because I don't think it's ethical. It may have crossed the line of, of being even legal to utilize my information that way. Parents oftentimes pay for those text messages on their cell phone provider services. I would not want to have to pay for a political call. Now, if it's a call that, hey, there's a tornado warning and we're going to keep the kids in the building on lockdown and buses will be late today, yes, that is a critical communication. So I think that compromising that 
has a heavy cost because parents will stop picking up those lines when they see that phone number come across. Duly noted. Mr. Cameras? Madam President. Is that correct? Yes. Mr. Jones? And then I would like to call the question. Awesome. I just have a quick question, Ms. Cameras. Oh, yeah. for, for, for oh the I'm truancy. sorry. Excuse me. Mr. Jones, Ms. Larson, then we'll call the question. No. You. Okay. Awesome. I, I just have a quick question. What is the cost of the truancy program? Do, do you know that line item or that, that cost? I don't have it off the top of my head, but I, I could find it. Okay. okay so, so. And I want to just be clear for the record, we are not eliminating the entire truancy program. We are, in essence, refashioning it so there is still a significant amount of funds in the program for next year. And are individuals losing their jobs, though? Some are, but we are working with uh, the individuals who are to see if they can continue in these new roles. I will also add that we recently um, had a multi-hour session to provide supports to individuals who were losing their positions in the budget and are taking action to place individuals into vacancies where they do exist. I'm not gonna lie. I would I would love to know what that number is and just what the cuts are. And, and because again, are you're, you're not cutting the individuals simply because of past performance. No, no. It is just because of a budgetary. Correct. Correct. I, and I, I know I know Reeve and I are almost probably right here on that. What does that cost, <laughs> and okay. what would we need, what we what would we need to do um, to, to to save those jobs? Mr. Cameras, you'll so, follow up. Yes, in yes, terms President. of that question, Ms. Larson. Yes. And um, I don't think it's a question. I think it's a comment. Is that correct? It's a comment, and it's based on comments that were made like ten minutes ago. So stick with me. But um, you'll give a summary, executive <laughs> summary, and then please. I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you. Um, Council Member Robertson was talking about long-term planning for RPS, and I think we have already um, dedicated to doing that with the the dedicated funding model that this council adopted six weeks ago or so with the vote. So once this number for RPS comes out. We figure out what the percentage is, and that's our baseline moving forward. So even though there's been some chatter out there that, you know, this is not a good plan, it's a solid plan, and it's the most solid plan there's been out there for RPS ever. So <laughs> I think we're, we're working in the right direction. I think that with the, the drawdown, which, um, you know, I understand some of the questions and concerns, but when we did the budget transfer coming to city council the first year we were on council, we were told by the administration that this would stop city services from moving forward. And we haven't seen that. And the city has continued to move forward. And we get the budget transfers. And, you know, the city is operating. We're getting more information. And that's all we're asking for. We're not trying to micromanage. We're just trying to provide a level of transparency at, as well as get more information in our hands. We can only be supportive if we have the information. Thank you, Ms. Larson. I'd like to now call for consensus on this item. Thank you. 
That amendment passes. Um, just so that everyone is, understands, I'm not going to list it on this spreadsheet because this indicates that it's going to non-departmental since the strategy has changed. It will just be an additional text amendment and how we actually adopt the school budget, so you won't see it on this spreadsheet, but we'll still be doing exactly what you guys all have just agreed to. Thank you, Ms. Brown. The next item, um, and we only have four more before we get to discussion of the rate. The rate. And we'll get to the discussion of the rate, which then we'll have more information from the proposals. The reduction in cash funding for CIP paving. Mr. Hilbert. Yes, thank you. Mr. Uh, Jones. This was just uh, uh, an item where, as I understand it, we were taking money out of general fund to pay for part of the CIP paving. What I was looking to do was not reduce the paving itself, but to borrow that money and to take it out of general fund. That will add some money to debt service, but uh, I know we've talked about best practices. I've put this uh, in in perspective. The only way I know how to do it using layman's language is it sounds like to me that this was money to, for us to put some cash into uh, CIP paving versus borrowing all the money. So you could have a, and I think this is 2%, I think the number is, so if there's a 100% loan available uh, and you kind of need that cash, I'm saying why don't we just do the 100% loan instead of doing the 98% loan and using precious cash for something that's a CIP improvement of fixing our roads. We're strapped for money here as far as trying to balance this budget. This wouldn't affect the paving itself, but it would affect uh, the source from which it's coming. Either we're going to go in debt for it uh, by a small amount or we're going to take precious dollars out of the general fund. So that's my amendment. Thank you. Mr. Well, Jim- every road still gets paved. We just do it with debt. Mr. Jones, any additional comment before I ask the administration uh, to come I, forward uh, with this? Uh, Madam President, I'll withdraw mine. Mine was just a matter of uh, uh, balancing uh, my budget. So Thank, thank you, you, Mr. Jones. Um, <laughs> A comment from the administration relative to this particular item and being able to use uh, uh, look at debt in this way. Now there will be some. There will be yes. Okay. After uh, consultation here with council staff, I'm going to withdraw this. Thank you, Mr. Helbert. The next item is 1.5% across the board reduction, excluding RPS and debt. Uh, this is Mr. Hilbert and Mr. Addison. Mr. Hilbert and then Mr. Addison, any comment before we... You know, we, we got this uh, pad of paper here. I'm trying to find it. Anyway, we've got a lot of paper here saying how all the catastrophes that were going to happen if we reduce the budget by one and a half percent across the board, excluding debt service and uh, and uh, RPS, which we have gotten past already. We are fully funding the school budget. Okay, 
So that should be the headlines, uh, Mr. Robinson. <laughs> so I know you don't write the headlines, but it would be nice to get that out there. The, uh, <laughs> we did one of these impact studies. If we move a dollar in this budget, I mean, it's just, and I don't know if we ever fixed that thing on the roof here that uh, if we didn't fix that thing a few years ago, the whole city hall was going to fall down. We have to start making some cuts or lessening the increases in this budget somewhere. This is something that uh, we're going to have to start making cuts. If we want to get down to the level of every teeny line item in the budget, we'll be here 24 hours, seven days a week until the end of May. So let's look at getting serious about closing this budget gap. One and a half percent isn't going to kill anybody. If you can't manage your, your department with a one and a half percent cut, Maybe you need to find something else to do. Thank so you. So I am, uh, if we're going to get here, if we're serious about balancing this budget, we have to do this. Thank you, Mr. Uh, if Hill. If we're not, then, then we're not. Thank you. I'm done. Thank you, Mr. Hilbert. Ms. Addison, anything additional beyond Mr. Hilbert's comment? Uh, yes, I, I have a couple uh, just clarification points. So um, my approach for s supporting a, a, a cut like this was more about maybe not necessarily having it be a 1.5% across the board, just cut everything. It was more about finding an amount that fit um, what I feel like is a right sizing of the budget based upon what we've approved for previous years. When you look at the spending by department across the reports we have from years to year, and just from the first year, first budget we approved, We've seen a growth of $83 million in spending. And that's quite sizable compared to what's proposed to us today. And so when I look at this, this impact, I know in that it's been staffing, it's been raises, it's been fully getting um, some turnover reduced in police. And I know there's a lot of costs that we've, we're very supportive of happening. But when we look at this aspect, the point that I was work, working on with the 1.5% uh, reduction, reduction was can we not just use the budget we have right now to the best of what we have in our current FY 2019 budget we approved last year with the modern improvements we need to make that are required based upon legislation and other things of that level, but just using the budget we have right now with the current staffing and the current aspects of operation because we're being tasked to fund a lot of really important overdue priorities. And the way that I was looking at it was we can't expand operations of government. We can't expand staffing and expenses across all departments or many departments and then also fund schools and also fund maintenance and also fund streets and sidewalks in one fell swoop. And so for me, with the challenge um, of funding all these priorities, which is a key need for our city, my task was let's reduce the expensive expenses in the budget that were increased to meet that demand. And that was where I went for. Thank you, Mr. Addison. Uh, any comment from, I'm sorry, Ms. Gray. And then comment from administration. Um, as I've said before, and I think I was under the belief that we were going to go through three more proposals and then discuss the tax rate, we need to come up with a definitive vote on what we intend the tax rate to be, and then we can figure out if it's 1.5%, if it's 1%, if it's 2%. But we keep going back and forth on these 
debates without knowing what our bottom line number is, and it's putting the cart before the horse. If we have a majority here who says we hold the tax rate harmless at $1.20, then we should vote that and work from there to figure out what cuts or additions we can afford to make. Thank you. Um, at this point, we're proceeding. We have three more items. So do well. And I've had discussion about. But this. it's it's futile because we're going to have to go back to this. And and if if we get to the end, and we could have had a one percent across the board cut, but because we didn't arrive at what our bottom line number is, then we're then we're doing ourselves a disservice. I think we all need to decide what the tax rate will look like before we start saying what cuts we're calling for. Okay. Okay. I think we can, Madam President, I think we can come back to this. I, I understand where you're coming from, Ms. Gray. My cut here that I talked about or my reduction to the increase uh, is is based on $1.20. We're going to get there a, was given assurances by Madam President that as soon as we get through these items, we'll vote on the tax rate. I'm right there with you. I hear what you're saying, but we've got three more items, and then we can get to the tax rate so, and settle that matter once and for all. So essentially we're saying, are we going to go on our Disney cruise, or are we going to go to King's Dominion? Well, we don't know what our income is going to be, so let's just cut the Disney cruise and go to King's Dominion. Then we get to the end, we have enough to go on a Disney cruise. I mean, but we're this a is week not, away this from is that. not, I'm sorry, the way you budget. You. you figure out what you have and then you work within that. But we don't know what we have at this point if we haven't taken a definitive vote on what the tax rate will be. Okay. Any additional? No. Okay. We are going to take a vote on the tax rate. And we have uh, three additional items here that people did due diligence in coming up with reductions and or increases. And we will conclude those and go immediately to the tax rate. Ms. Cuffey Glenn. We've got everybody lined up to tell us Armageddon is about to happen because we're looking at one and a half percent across the board cuts. I, I honestly, that's going to take hours. Let's, it's not going to take hours here. Let's figure out what the tax rate is going to be. We have five people at a minimum who say $1.20. Let's, let's arrive at that. And I understand that. that, but I also have folks who are willing to get through these reductions and or increases and then go immediately to the tax. Well, it's so. basically working our, against ourselves. If a majority of us are saying leave it at $1.20. Why are we working against ourselves to, to increase This is it? not working against ourselves. Staff, That's what it as is. As we go through the reductions, Ms. Gray, they are getting where, where we're out. Then we have that information. This to process is working us towards a tax increase, and I object. Madam President, what's the harm in us doing it? What, what's the harm in us doing it now? Why not? Like they just, Thank like you, she Ms. just said, look at everybody lined up. And I'm already getting a text, don't do this. Don't cut 1%. Why can't we? Why, I understand. Why, well, why can't I, I understand. We have a process that we're pursuing we that will get us right to now. the She's same right. place. Madam President, it, we, do we this. will decision on the tax rate. You can still be exactly. This doesn't force you to change your position. It's simply for people who took yeah, time it does, to come right up now, with I don't proposals. Want to see, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this happen. I don't want to okay. see the you know these departments get cut. We need all these departments. And that's why I said, why can't we? Okay. I mean, just. Okay. I am asking that we proceed. We have three more items here. 
to uh, address and then do the tax rate. You will see where we are. You will know how much you are out. And then if you want to do 120 or not or stay with 120 and go back to talk about more cuts or 120, whatever the case is, the work still will need to be done no matter what. Ms. Coffey-Glenn. I was just going to get a pulse because the three items that you want to get through are the 1.5% across the board reduction, excluding RPS and debt. Right, the voluntary retirement, reduction, um, the vacancy funding. Vacancy funding That's it. and the VRIP. Okay, those yes. are the three that you'd like to That's get through. That's it. There are, no more, there are no other proposed That we reductions. have not agreed to, correct. Yes. And, and then you want to get back to the, the only other revenue item, which is the, the real estate tax rate. That's correct. Okay. So before seeing how we're down to this little group here, can we just get a update on where we where are? Where we with, are, with and that's what staff is and doing. How much we're not to the good? Because I'm Correct. pretty sure we we're operating a deficit right now. Yes, staff is doing that as we go through these items. Based on everything that council has agreed to thus far, um, there would need to be an additional 12.5 million in reductions in order to get to a dollar 20. 12.5 reduction to get to a dollar 20 if that is the goal. Um, less if there are other considerations. And Madam President, yes. my hand's been up. I've been waiting patiently. I'm sorry. Okay, Mr. Jones, Ms. Larson, this, Ms. Cuffey Glenn, if you would give comment and then no, we'll. Because there's 18 different ways to get here. I, I agree and I understand where Councilperson Gray is coming from. I understand where you're coming from. And I, since the beginning, I've been talking about what's our process, what are we going to do. Since we only have three that's left, can we just handle these three and then move on? Because again, the five who don't want to move, if that's their choice, they're that's not. That's correct. For the four who may or may not, I just want to get through these three so we can at least deal with the huge elephant that's in the room. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. Kim, I've wanted to handle this since we started. But and so the only thing I'm asking, can, and, and I don't know if we need five, Mr. Mr. Jackson, to say this is what we're going to do. So I put a motion on the floor at this point that we would handle these three items and then move to a discussion of the tax rate. That is my motion, Madam President. Thank you. Um, is there a second? There's a second. Okay. I call for the question. Mr. Clark? Without, uh, I mean, we've discussed this already. I'd like to call the question and vote. Would be my preference. We haven't I can obviously the motion be. Already. I'm sorry? We haven't discussed the motion already. I think. The motion is on the table. The Mr. Que- Clark, can the you call question the question? Here, Madam President, there's a motion that's on the table that that's has been what moved I've just said, Mr. Jones. If there's a, a misunderstanding on it, then we can discuss the misunderstanding. But if not, uh, Mr. Pres- Mr. Vice President's call for the question. That doesn't mean we call the question. It means we vote on whether to call the question. But That's correct. And but that's the, what we're looking to vote as on. As the presider, you should recognize that we have not had discussion on the current motion. We've had discussion prior to the motion. Is there something additional? The additional is you all are acting as if this, these three are going to be run through really quickly when we know we're going to have 
every single sky is falling. I mean, we have gone through this over and over again. We have not, as a body, made one cut to the mayor's budgets that have been presented since I've been on this council. And we have to start making some hard decisions. And if we sit here and allow the process to go against what we're trying to accomplish as a, as a majority, then we're, we're shooting our own selves in the foot. Thank you. And we have made cuts today to this budget. So um, I want to go on a call the question, Mr. Clark. Council is voting on the motion before them. Mr. Jones? Aye. Ms. Robertson? Aye. Ms. Larson? No. Mr. Agalesto? No. Ms. Gray? No. Ms. Trammell? No. Mr. Addison? Oh, man. I always do this, don't I? Yeah. Um, Well, because I know it's going to happen either one way or the other. So. Mr. Addison? Yes. Let's get this over. Yes, Hilbert. support. Okay. Mr. Clark, if you continue the call. Vice President Hilbert? Aye. President Newbill? Aye. Thank you. Madam President, this is a point of, of order here. I don't want... I'd prefer, let me put it that way, not to have every department head come up here and discuss this. Could we put a, a gentleman's agreement and a lady's agreement that this discussion will last no longer than 10 minutes from presentations from the administration? You gave more time than I was anticipating. But, okay, uh, great. Please, that Anything is less preference. would be appreciated. Yes, Ms. Cuffey Glenn. <laughs> Madam, Madam Chairman, I'll certainly keep my comments very Thank brief. You. Uh, and it's not about the sky's fall, it's about the reality of what we've indicated in the budget that was submitted by the mayor. Uh, these needs are critical. Uh, just this past weekend, I think I got about seven requests, Councilman Hilbert, as it relates to your community, and other requests I've gotten from council persons as it relates to work needing to be done because your constituents are counting on us to get the work done every single day. So it's not about the sky is falling. It's about the reality of how we provide services. And it's compounded when you're looking at not only the 1.5%, but also the vacancy funding that is also being recommended for reduction. For us as employees, we want to provide exceptional services to the citizens of this community. But we do realize there is a symbiotic relationship. The funding, the services, the timeliness of response, they're all connected. So I don't think we can sort of bifurcate when it's convenient that it's not. The level of service and the level of response is based upon the funding that's going to be appropriated. So that is real. It's not about the sky falling because we want to do a good job every single day. 99.9% .9 of the people that work in this building and other buildings come to work wanting to perform. It's not that we want to fail. But from my perspective, when I see the reductions that are proposed, I believe that success is a choice but the cuts in the recommendation for reduction gives me the impression that we're looking for failure, and that is not what we want as a workforce. With that said, I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Thank Reed, you. and she'll talk through some of the other impacts. Thank you, Ms. Coffey-Glenn. Ms. Reed. Thank you, Madam President. Um, no, it's not going to be Armageddon. The sky is not going to fall. 
I will not give my prepared speech. It's about 20 pages. And no, so ma'am, but thank I am you. going to be very, very, very brief. I'm going to speak first to my portfolio. Um, there will be impacts. We were asked to do a zero-based budget. And with that zero-based budget, everything didn't get included in the budget, but we got all our needs in the budget. So I support the mayor's budget. I ask you to support the mayor's budget. The reality is something will have to be left on the wayside. It's something we will not have to or be able to do. The 1.5%, I'm just going to pick a department. It can't be across our whole operating budget because certain things like our contracts, we cannot not fulfill. There are certain things we will not be able to do, and we have very few dollars in discretionary income. And so I just wanted to, to bring that out. Um, and then you look at the major departments that it's going to impact the most. It's going to be the sheriff's office, fire, non-departmental, police, public works, and social services. And hopefully in social services, is not taking away anything in which we receive state dollars and revenue for. Uh, and a lot of our departments for our constitutional divisions, we do get state dollars. Um, and so we don't want to take away from that or any of our grant um, dollars that we get as well. And so it leaves a little bit more than a 1.5% of the things that are discretionary. So I wanted to bring that to council's attention, that there will be service level impacts as it relate to the reduction. Thank you, Ms. Reed. Chief. Good afternoon, Madam President. Ladies and gentlemen of Council, William Smith, Interim Chief of Police. Uh, I will highlight, uh, like Ms. Reed uh, mentioned, we do have contracts within the police department that we don't have the ability to reduce. Uh, I do want to uh, focus on the impacts to personnel. And when we talk about a 1.5% reduction to police funding, that equates to about 19 sworn officers. Um, and the difference is, is that we do not hire at the margin, meaning when we have 20 vacancies, we hire that one person. We hire an entire academy at the class, meaning that I have to have adequate funding to fund that entire class for the remainder of the fiscal year. So our budget is impacted more so than the simple 19 positions. Uh, further, when we look at the mayor's budget as presented, we are not fully funded for all our vacancies. We, we had 55 vacancies with a $1.116 million which equates to about $21,000 per position. So your police department currently is not fully funded under the mayor's budget. Adding any additional budget reduction, any reduction in vacancy savings will have an adverse impact, meaning that we will not be able to staff and or sit a, a recruit training class for an extended period of time. Um, to give you a comparison, that equates to essentially an entire sector of patrol services. Um, where those people come from and where we fill those positions will have an impact across the city. It may impact our ability to enforce traffic regulations. It may have an impact in our ability to provide services. So it is an Armageddon, but it is an extremely uncomfortable position that you are placing the police department in. Thank you. Madam President, I have Is this a, question? a question for the chief. Yes. Chief, how many vacancies did you say you had? How many um, vacancies? At the time of the budget pool, we had 55 vacancies. Many of those have already been filled because we seated an academy class on April 1 with 26 new recruits. 
We are presently at 15. Uh, I will remind council, and and this is um, this is not a statement against council, but we are the lowest paid police department in the region, including Game and Inland Fisheries presently. You all have worked diligently in support of your police department. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, but we cannot take away from the fact it is a challenging situation to hire, recruit uh, police officers. So our attrition rate remains a challenge. Um, we are at 15 current vacancies for our sworn staff. Our civilian staff, many of whom, uh, many of the vacancies that were uh, from the initial budget draw have been advertised and officer, offers made for those civilian positions. So these are not positions that have been uh, vacant for years upon years. They are a result of normal attrition taking a snapshot in time. Um, and at the point of the budget poll, we were waiting to seat the new academy, so our vacancy numbers were um, slightly elevated uh, from normal. And that's not counting how many people might retire or resign or whatever or... No. That, that's correct. And, in fact, it includes the chief of police position, which is a substantial funding. Thank you, okay. Chief. I'm going to press. Um, thank you, Chief. I see the sheriff. I see Mr. Vincent and our fire chief. So if you all would come um, for any brief uh, impact statement. Madam President and other members of council, I, I'm going to make mine very brief. Um, our positions generate revenue. Uh, and the positions that we have that are vacant, if we can fill them, when we fill them, it'll generate revenue for the city. We have contracts that we have to do. We have to pay light, water, and gas. And we have to pay people. Just like Chief said, we're the lowest paid. And if we can't pay people, we won't have people working. And the more people we don't have working, the more overtime we're going to spend. So either we take it in the front or we take it in the back. Either way, we're going to get it, and it's going to come down hard. Thank you. Mr. Benson, if you could be um, equally as brief in your comment. <laughs> Good afternoon. Bobby Benson, Director of Public Works. That's a, that's a tough act to follow right there. Um, I'll be the first one to say that um, I certainly support the mayor's budget um, and know the sky would not fall. However, many of our services that we do, in fact, provide will. Uh, three years ago, I stood before you and we pleaded not to make some of the reductions that unfortunately were made. Grass was remaining high within the public right of way. Um, alleys weren't able to be done. I'm not saying that that's the extent that we would get to at this point in time because I don't want to go back there. We have got the ball rolling within our public right of way. Many of you contact me on a daily basis, on a daily basis, to take care of what appears to be some of the most menial tasks throughout our city of Richmond, and our people respond. They respond to the alleys, they respond to the trash, they've been responding to the bulk and brush. With regards to our vacancies, we have over 90 vacancies within the general fund. We can't afford to continue at that rate. Continuing at that rate impacts our services, and it impacts our services to the point to where we then have to bring in contractors to do the work that many of our staff, if they were in fact here, would be able to do. We need the funds. We don't need to be cut anymore. I'm hoping to get even more money so that we can continue to do more work within the public right of way. We want to do more with regards to sidewalks, more with regards to alleys, and we want to keep our city clean. Thank you, Mr. Vincent. Ms. Giles and Chief, 
I really, if you would come forward, but really need you to be brief in your impact statements so that we can move forward. Good afternoon, members of council. Shonda Giles, Department of Social Services. Um, the proposed reduction for social services and expenditures is a little over $860,000. So when making that reduction, please make the corresponding reduction to your revenues of 757000 which would really be a net increase to the city of $103,000. Um, the question really is, but what's that reduction to our citizens and services, to social services, from social services? Um, it will definitely have an impact for our agency. It will, you will see and hear the impact with respect to the timeliness of responses from us and direct services that are not mandated um, from us will be hit. And I, if council will recall, that was burial assistance and that program decreased significantly and it's a direct service to the client. So just be mindful of any reduction to social services will have a corresponding reduction to your revenues. Thank you, Ms. Giles. Chief. Good afternoon, Madam Council and, and members, Madam President and members of council. It's not too often I get to stand before you as a citizen and as your fire chief to speak about the potential devastating cuts that I proposed with the 1.5% reduction as well as the vacancy savings. The 1.5% reduction represents a $807,000 reduction of my budget, which equates to about 11.5 firefighters. This will affect staffing and response, fleet maintenance, the fire department's cancer initiative, our potential ISO rating downgrade, our facilities, and overall firefighter safety. Our fire department is, has a minimum staffing of 103 persons per day. That's roughly 15 people per fire company. 11.5 firefighters takes a fire company away, or potentially takes a fire station away, from my ability to respond to the citizens of the city of Richmond. It also potentially staffs our fire companies with three persons, more than four people. And let me be clear, to even suggest responding with anything less than four firefighters per apparatus is reckless and dangerous here in the city of Richmond. I do not want, I do not want nor will I ever support riding with three on our apparatus. Reduced emergency response times is a possibility. Potential <clears throat> greater reliance on our regional partners such as Henrico and Chesterfield to come to the city of Richmond on their yellow and green fire trucks. The city of Richmond's technical rescue teams, our water rescue team is the busiest in the state, busier than Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Virginia, Portsmouth, Suffolk, Newport News, to name a few, not only responding to river calls, but major flooding events that occurred during heavy rainstorms and hurricanes, swimming pool rescues, and we also teach water safety. And like you, Councilwoman Gray, I too learned how to swim at Calhoun Center when I was a young kid. And those are services that we still provide that may be in jeopardy. Technical rescue, with all the cranes that you see around the city and all of the tunneling, our technical rescue team supports that. Okay. The tools and equipment they use are critical to rescuing people's lives should they occur. The Port of Richmond is expanding. Our hazardous materials team is responsible for responding to that. The $807,000 will greatly, greatly impact that. Fleet, the auditor recently listed a report that said 40%, 46% of our fire apparatus will be more than 25 years old in four years. Any reduction in DPU's funding, potential funding, will greatly delay repairs, maintenance repairs, decommissioning, or may increase decommissioning 
or more apparatus that are deemed unsafe or unable to perform annual tests or both. It will definitely delay the replacement of the antique fire apparatus that we have. It will po also possibly, because of the apparatus issues we have, impact our ISO rating. These are some of the unintended consequences cut to my budget and other budgets that affect the mayor's budget. Simply put, a reduction in funding equates to a reduction in the firefighter's safety, health, and potentially citizen safety. Cancer initiative. It also may impact or eliminate firefighter physicals, the physicals that we rely on for early cancer detection and warning. Chief, also, are you yes, winding up in terms of your presentation? Because we did receive the statement. I was just any highlights that you wanted to make sure that we heard. Lastly, I'll just speak to the vacancies. Uh, the vacancy funding right now, our, our department has been spending years of dysfunction of chasing and trying to fill positions. The past two budget cycles, we've been able to get our staffing back up to a point uh, right at 97% staffed. Uh, the vacancy funding that's been approved represents a 67% vacancy funding. The proposed cut represents a 55% funding for vacancy funding. What that means is that equates to three positions, three firefighter positions that would come offline. We would spend more money in overtime than the proposed cuts if that cut is made to make up the difference. And I'll just leave you with that thought. Thank you, Council and Madam President, for allowing me to present. Thank you, Chief. Ms. Trammell. Madam President, I'd like to hear from um, from Department of Communication. From who? I can't DEC. hear you, I'd like Hamill. to hear from DEC, okay. 911, and also the courts. I'd like to hear, hear from them. And the Commonwealth Attorney. I would ask if you would come forward with brief uh, impact statements. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Madam response President. response to the inquiry. Other members of council. Uh, Councilwoman Trammell, was there a question for me, or would you just like to hear my brief statement on impact? Just, you know, a couple of minutes, how it would affect your office if, if you had to take this cut? So you, you got our response to the inquiry. We either take it from operating or we take it from personnel. Our operating is already pretty much skeletal. So we take it from personnel. Within the last nine months, I've worked with our uh, our budget analysts to bring online staff to successfully and completely implement our new case management system, which is now an essential part of our budgeting process. If we have to absorb the cut, frankly, I suspect what we'll have to do is eliminate one of the positions we just filled. It doesn't strike me as a step in the right direction. True, the sky won't fall, uh, but it seems to have, it, it would seem to negate a whole lot of good faith work that we put in to bringing our staffing up to a workable standard earlier within the fiscal year. Thank you, Mr. Herring. Yes, Stephen Willoughby, Director yes. of Emergency Communications. Um, as Ms. Reed mentioned earlier, we have, a, we have a lean budget and very few non-discretionary items. And uh, reviewing the budget, uh, the two places that we can cut, uh, the one being is overtime. And so what that would require in order for us to, to, to make sure that, that we stay within budget is cutting mandatory uh, minimum staffing uh, probably would result in one person less answering 911 calls. That's 14%. Uh, which would equate to about 700 calls uh, based on 2018 stats that would uh, 
uh, go to a recording as opposed to being answered uh, immediately by a call taker. And how Mr. many Bob, vacancies? I'm sorry. How, how many vacancies do you have? In the general fund, there are, <clears throat> at the time of the capture of the budget, was nine. We have filled five of those, so there are four in the general fund. Thank you. Good afternoon, Madam President and Honorable Counsel. I'm Ed Jewett, Clerk of the Circuit Court. I'm here to speak on behalf of the clerk and the judges about our budget. Um, we have a very small operating budget. We only have about $240,000 in our operating budget. Uh, the rest is all personnel. Um, about half of that are things like jury fees, which are really not discretionary, uh, publications for the judges, which they have to have to do their jobs. So there's hardly, that leaves about $100,000 for us to absorb 1.5%. Uh, as far as the uh, personnel budget, we had three vacancies when the budget snapshot was taken. We now have four. One of those was a judicial uh, assistant position that the judges are giving up, so that will go away. The other three are being uh, filled by the clerk's office currently, and our positions are set by the state compensation board in number and salary. So I don't believe the city has the discretion to remove that funding from the budget. Thank you, Mr. Jewett. Thank you. Bringing back to Madam Council, Mr. Hilbert. Here, I, uh, I'm looking at trying to, to, uh, to exclude some departments, but let me put it, this into perspective. I've gone through every one of these departments that have that have been affected by more than $100,000. Let me put this into perspective. The allotment over last year's budget for the city sheriff's, city sheriff's department is $3.5 million, and we're asking for a 16-15 cut. So, excuse me, $615,000. $3.5 million increase, it'll only be two point nine. Finance, up a million bucks. We're asking for a reduction of the increase of a million of 176,000. Fire and emergency services gone up 2.4 million dollars. We're asking for 807 of the 2.4 to be reduced. Every one of these departments has an increase. The judiciary, 500,000. They're giving up one point, excuse me, 178,000. The Justice Services, $700,000 increase, 148 is the reduction we're asking for. The non-departmentals, $2 million increase, we're asking for $1.4 million of that back. So that department, I can see the pain there. $2 million, uh, excuse me, $1,700,000 increase for Parks and Recreation, we're taking 270000 of that away. Two excuse me, two point, the police department absolutely has the best argument whatsoever because we're talking $1.6 million increase and we're going to take away $1.4 So, you know, if we want to accept the police out of this, I'm all for that. Public works, an increase of $2 million. We're asking for a half a million Decrease, so really they're getting one and a half million more than they got last year. Social services, an increase of seven hundred thousand. 
we're taking away 860,000. That's the only department, the only department that's actually seeing a decrease in their funding through these cuts, social services. So I'd be willing to exclude the police and social services. And even, you know, let's look at some others. We've got to cut somewhere. I've given a, been given a figure if we exclude which departments. Uh, would you share those, Ms. Brown? Yes, Ms. Brown, could you share the ones that, uh, that, you, that we discussed here that, of, that would be excluded from this? Oh, well, the ones that we discussed up here would be a two million nine cut versus the seven million that I've asked for. These are reductions in the increases, with the exception of the social service department. These are reductions in the increases, not not uh, not cuts to last year's budget. So, thank you. So, Mr. Hilbert, just as a point of clarification, you are holding harmless several departments in that comment. Was that correct? Well, I was saying that, that I'd be willing the fire, the police, and social services hold harmless. Okay. But I still need, we still need this money from somewhere, so that just means the other departments are going to have to take a bigger cut. Mr. And I'm sorry here, Mr. Addison, if I'm undercutting your argument, but... Okay. okay. So first, let me be clear. The $7,509,951 would uh, be reduced by public safety. Is that correct? Yes. Social uh-huh. services. So the uh, social services, the uh, uh, non-departmentals, the uh, police department, and uh, the fire and emergency services. Okay. Uh, Ms. Brown, do you have a number? Madam, Madam President. Yes, I'm just trying to get I, his you know reduction. You know what? This is not fair. This is not fair to her. This you is Ms. Hilbert's proposal. Because she had her hand up way before this discussion even started. Maybe Megan needs to look over here on this side okay. so that we don't get neglected, or especially we can do her. That. We can do that. But we were discussing Mr. Hilbert's proposal. He is making amendments to it, so I was trying to get that first, and then I'll come over to Ms. Gray. Ms. Brown, do you have what that adjustment would be? Yes. Uh, now excluding police, fire, social services, and non-departmental, that brings the reduction from 7.5 down to 2,951,598. Okay. All right. Ms. Uh, Gray? So my comment on... Oh, I have comments that predate Mr. Hilbert's comments, but the increases are due to the 3% raise in most of those budgets. So if you're talking about cutting that, we're talking about cutting the raise. But again, I go back to we're having all these discussions and all this indigestion, and we don't know where we are and how much we ultimately need to reduce in this budget if we don't arrive at a tax rate. That should have been the first order of business. I've said it from the beginning. I understand that someone has locked into a process and we're stuck in this process. It's like Groundhog Day or something. But um, I don't... It can't work one way. If You can't say if you cut us 
you're going to lose services. But we send more money to departments, and we see a reduction in services as a result. We sent more money to planning, development, and review. We've seen six-month delays in getting a permit out. We have seen zero improvement. We've seen less potholes and paving projects when we sent more money to public works. We've seen less service. The cost of services cannot be going up higher than the amounts that we're sending over to these departments. I, I really don't believe that. I understand Mr. Olinger said he just made some um, offers to hire those positions that we funded in last year's budget. We're 10 months into that. Um, but, you know, we got to stop doing things the way we've been doing it. Everywhere I go. I went to try to clear my head. I walked the track at Bird Park, and I wasn't expecting to go there. So I, I didn't even know that the little water fountain still worked. I went to get some water, and there's water spraying all out all over the place. And I was like, gosh, I wonder how long this has been broken. The guy behind me waiting to drink, have a sip of water says, you know, Everything the city does is horrible. I hear this everywhere. I didn't solicit. This man didn't know me from Adam. He's like, that'll never get fixed. And you're, you know, you're crazy to even be talking about it. So I'm getting tired of getting less but being asked for so much more. We need to arrive at what we're going to tell our citizens that they need to brace for with respect to real estate taxes. That needs to be our first order of business, and then we can move from there to decide what level of reductions and the increases that are being proposed will be. Thank you. What is on the table at this moment is Mr. Hilbert's uh, proposal that has now been reduced from seven million five hundred nine nine fifty one to two million nine fifty one five ninety eight. And so, yes, I'm looking for consensus relative to that. In, Asking for a consensus on his correct. proposed reductions. Yes. I haven't had a chance to speak yet since they presented, so I need to have a chance to give my counter to that, too. If okay. it's Mr. Hilbert's, then he can have his, but I have right. my own this is, Yes, this is Mr. Hilbert's proposal, and he's proposing now to reduce it. Right. That's, yes. You, you're wanting to speak to... Yeah, I was going to... So okay. Yes. So can I speak now? Okay. Um, I hear all of these... Uh, objections and concerns, but I'm also looking at increases every single year in every department, except for the ones we've made some moves around where either split operations or move things around. I have a hard time in the face of asking to fund a lot of overdue priorities to also increase expending in all, the, all these departments at the same time when we're asking for what I feel like is a slight right-sizing of what we've done, funded before, same funding levels. And I feel like if you're going to say that we're not funding these certain basic operations, then how are we operating right now? And my challenge is I'm being tasked to do a lot of work right now in figuring out this budget. And I'm looking at these increases across all these, the charts you've given me, and I'm seeing increases in the past two years of $42 million in spending in departments. 
And that's hard for me to swallow when I'm being asked to fund almost the exact same amount in one year for priorities that are overdue and have been underfunded for years. And so I hear the objection of not addressing certain aspects of funding for these departments. But if you want me to make a decision on how to fund what we need to fund, I need to make cuts. And I'm not saying that these are fair. I'm not saying these are equitable. I'm not saying this is the best way to do it. But I'm also looking at it going, if you want me to support an increase in every department's budget for the most part, and you're not willing to make sure that I can understand that these, improve, these increases for the last two years aren't justified being cut a little bit, I have a hard time saying that's, a, that's accurate. And I'm holding true to the fact that I think an argument about a 1.5% cut for the original proposal needs to be still on the table. I can remove certain aspects of the ones that are constitutional offices. That's fine. But I'm looking at increases year upon year in the same departments that are saying to me that this is going to cut in ser- their services. And I don't believe that because we're operating right now, and we've got vacancies. We've got unfunded other, other projects, or we have funded projects, and you're saying that you can't do with what you're doing right now. Okay. And this increase is not going to make any difference for that, and I want to cut that back. Uh, Ms. Larson, and then we will... Mr. Brown, and then we will do, go to consensus. So um, Ms. Brown had told us that we were $12 million negative, right? So just for everybody to note, that does not include the additional revenue from the increased assessments. Or does it? It does. It does include yes. the so 6.4. All, yep, for, so the 6.4 that um, is increased assessments at $1.20, as well as the $2.5 million for the delinquent um, real estate. Okay. Then it's still a $12.5 million shortfall. Okay. Okay. So, um, and then just a comment. So, uh, Councilmember Hilbert, I understand what you're trying to do, and I, I think some of that work needs to be done, and I appreciate you reading all of those departments out because you're right. This money is only there on paper. This is in the mayor's proposal. So we're getting all this feedback about cuts, but all of these departments have significant increases, and most of them will still have a significant increase even with the reduction. So I think I'm probably somewhere between you and Councilmember Addison. I'm going to support his amendment, but with a a footnote of I think we're going to need to circle back and and make some adjustments to the 7.5 and fix some of the constitutional offices as well as departments that have actually been cut, which is a small minority. But since we don't know what our tax rate is yet, I'd like to support the the larger cut, knowing that we can then work our way back from that. Mr. Brown, and then we will... Thank you, Madam President and members of council. Just wanted to... uh, clarify just a few things in terms of some of the comments that were made. Uh, most agencies did not receive an increase outside of what Councilwoman Gray mentioned was the 3% increases for retirement, health care, vacancy funding, which is a significant increase in the sheriff's office compared to this current, current year, and contractual obligations, primarily in the sheriff's office and in public works. Outside of that, most of the agency's budgets remain relatively level. Thank you. 
So what we have on the table, Mr. Hilbert, um, are you making a modification to what is presented here at the 7509951? I thought I... Saying that the bottom line number there has to be the same, so we're going to have to make bigger cuts in other departments. Okay, so your amendment is as proposed here. So I'm looking for a consensus on this across-the-board reduction, 7509951, with excluding RPS and debt with the proviso that there, if I'm trying to hear your last. Right, that there are, there's 2.9 that's definitely there. Okay, excluding these departments. What I'm saying is if we exclude these departments, we're going to go ha have to go back and gain that $4.5 million uh, from other departments. That, we, that this cut, the total cut, has to be there. I understand some departments, particularly social services, the only one that's worse off uh, with this cut. Uh, and uh, so... That's, that's what I'm sticking to. I don't have the numbers for the various departments, but I am sticking with the $7.5 Thank you. So, thank you. Um, so, the consensus is uh, relative to a 1.5% across the board reduction, excluding RPS and debt, uh, with some opportunity, I guess, at later point to talk about and hold some departments harmless. Do we have a consensus in that regard? Thank you. Next item, Voluntary Retirement Incentive Package, VRIP, Mr. Addison. That passed. That passed. Madam President, did, did, that, did that go or no? That, yes, that passed. That did. It did pass? Yes. yes. Mr. Addison, uh, the Voluntary Retirement Incentive Package, do you want to speak to that before we ask for comment? Sure. Um, back in 2015, um, a proposal for a voluntary retirement incentive package was um, done within the city, and it was meant to be not a forced retirement. It is a we have a 200 approximately the same amount of number of uh, employees who are at retirement age or beyond or eligible for retirement, and this was a way to encourage um, their their retirement, and it was a way to incentivize that that next chapter. And sometimes it's done financially. Um, as a contribution, and the terms of that, um, still, I guess, looking for more information in regards to the exact cost per se to do that. But if you look at the numbers for the second year, 2015, they did 2014, 2015. Their estimated savings uh, was uh, actual savings was 3.2 million dollars, and the number of, of employees is technically 200 employees are actively in that range right now, and this is to deploy a new program at the same level. Uh, for FY 2020 to encourage retirement for those who have worked and done a good service here in the city of Richmond and to pursue that, that number to be part of this program. Uh, there's a cost to administer the program depending on the engagement with that effort, but um, there are savings that can be done either in cost savings for um, that position having possibly a higher salary rate being replaced by a, a lower salaried employee, but also in the fact that we have positions that we could also provide opportunities for promotion within departments as well. So that was the, the initiative I was pursuing with this program. And the numbers are done at a conservative level on page two 
which is what I was looking at because the number of the top matches what we have right now. Approximately 200 employees are, act, are in that same eligibility criteria right now. Thank you, Mr. Addison. Any comment relative to impact from administration? Mr. Brown. Good afternoon, Madam President, members of council. Um, you should have received our implications. Yes, this was a program that was implemented back in FY14 and FY15. Um, that program simply is not feasible at this time. We do not recommend the implementation of another voluntary retirement incentive program um, for the following reasons. Um, the program did not generate the estimated amount of savings that it was originally projected to. Um, the city pays for and continues to pay for um, the cost for that program um, at first through an additional lump sum payment to the retirement system, but now um, for the past few years that has been built into our retirement rates. So that will be an added cost to the city in future budgets. Human resources has not received any inquiries from the workforce regarding any um, interest in enrolling in such a program. Uh, most of the employees that will be eligible, or really all of them, should be in the defined benefits plan. And only sworn staffing and only a handful of employees, particularly those in the executive group, um, are in that plan now. So that we do not feel that there will be a strong interest in that program, which would bring the numbers um, extremely down. In addition to that, the program has not been, to our knowledge, um, vetted by the retirement system. Um, and that would be something that would need to be discussed with the retirement system to see if there would be an impact to the, to the retirement system's funding status, which we know, I believe, is less or in the 60% range currently as we speak. And also takes a considerable amount of time to analyze and to assess the merits, the costs, and any projected savings, if any. And that will take at least 30 to 90 days. And it will also require, based on when this was done five years ago, the drafting, review, and approval of an ordinance to implement such a program. Thank you. Mr. Addison? Um, thank you, Council President. Thank you, Mr. Brown, for your explanation. Um, my, my question would be, what if they retire now anyway? Wouldn't the same outcome you just explained be a reality that we'd have to pay for all those same costs would change? I, I understand the, the objections to sometimes the, the, the impact was not maybe fully received, but I realize that they could retire at any point, and there's no say that that costs that the impact of our retirement expense would be otherwise different whether they retired this year or next year or the year after that. We're still going to have that aspect of that compensation. So I understand the opposition in terms of that point, but there are certain aspects where they're able to, able to retire tomorrow. I don't see how that's going to be any different. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? We have three I'm sorry, two, just Mr. Addison in this case. I've dropped down to the next category. So what we have before us um, that I would like to call for uh, whether or not we have consensus on this voluntary retirement incentive package, $3 million. Thank you. That did not pass. No, um, I guess my question is... I'm still not confident that the last program for the VRIP worked. For the what? The, v, the, the voluntary retirement. Uh -huh. um, and so if it didn't work, and I hear the administration say that they wouldn't support it, the $3 million number is a best estimate. 
And how many employees would qualify? Right now, it's approximately 200. It's give or take a couple above above 200. But it's 200 is the eligible. That's why I use that number for 2015. The FY15 budget was because it's almost the exact same. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, again, um, if you and would... would I'm sorry, but in order for VRIP, for us to take advantage of this, we can use this $3 million number as a best estimate? This is what has been proposed. This staff administration has spoken to that. You've heard their uh, comment relative to impact and implications. Any th additional clarification, Ms. Brown or staff, relative to Mr. Agilesto's question? Um, I don't have any further clarification. Um, I think as the administration indicated, we'd probably need to get um, some idea from the retirement system, um, but I don't have any additional clarification at this time. Okay. I just want to make sure that it doesn't require any certification from a third party. That's, I guess, essentially the question that I'm asking. Okay, that's uh, slightly different. Will it require certification? I would have to defer to the city attorney. I'm not sure if that would Mr. Atalesto? I'm sorry. Looking that way, Ms. Angelesto is asking the question, Mr. Jackson. Sorry. Certifications relate to estimates of receipts, not to estimates of expenditures. Okay. This is, I don't understand how, but this is a reduction in expenditures. So, no, it does not require a certification. Thank you. Um, again, Mr. Addison, this is, we really need to move. So. I know we do. Yes. I would, and I know that we've already had that. This is one of the things I wanted to highlight is when you look at the charts for the vacancy and separation differences, which means the difference between vacancy in terms of turnover versus depart departure on their own terms, that difference is usually retirement and or death. In that, we have a 3% about give or take per year. Um, rate for that. So this is just trying to leverage what usually happens throughout the year anyway as a way to identify how we can use that to make our balance of our budget work because these are employees currently in, in employed in City Hall that are of el eligibility for retirement and this is they're probably going to retire at some point anyway because that's where they're at right now in their careers and we appreciate their service for that. Um, but in that we're using that this program to claim that as a way to reduce potential expenses in the budget. So I just want to make sure I clarified that as well. Thank um, you. I'm calling for whether or not we have uh, a consensus again on this item. Thank you. The amendment passes. Next item would be reduced vacancy funding. There are three proposals. I'm not sure. Yes. Say again. We can't see other people's hands on the other side, so we don't know what's I moving. Said it carries. Okay. I've, that's the only thing. Every time we... I've yes, I've asked Megan to indicate uh, so at the end so everyone will know the state of the decision. The last item before we go to the tax rate is reduced vacancy funding. There are three proposals. Have any of these been... 
um, collapsed at all or withdrawn. Yes, earlier today we handed out Ms. Robertson and Ms. Larson's um, full proposals um, that show the, um, the reductions they're proposing for the vacancy, and we will also be um, passing out one for Councilman Addison. So all three of them are before us, is that correct? Yes, uh, Mr. Addison's will be coming. Okay, so um, we can go to Ms. Addison, Ms. Larson, Ms. Robertson in that order relative to the reduced vacancy funding. This is our last item. Mr. Addison. Me first, huh? All right. Thank you, Council President. Um, I have an initial handout that deals with some other justification for this as well. So we got a, we got a chart that showed, showed all the additions um, in terms of the, the vacancy funding as currently proposed. Um, we also see last year's vacancy funding um, for the current fiscal year as well. And we see an increase of the vacancy funding to the tune of from 13, trying to see the numbers directly, but it's um, 13 point, I'm trying to find the number in front of me, I just moved all my papers around, of course you asked me to go first. Um, 13.7, and that's inc being increased to 17.6. Um, and that means that we're funding more vacant positions in addition to staff support for that. So one of the things that I worked at doing was the increase um, was 4.9 million and for new, for new um, positions for increases or 5.4, sorry. And so I just removed the increases to allow for the current funding of vacancy to be remaining in the budget. Um, and my justification for that change was done on the fact we have um, a vacant positions funded right now of 496, and we have a turnover ratio of 12%, um, which I would push for separation as we just did the VRIP proposal. Uh, separation of positions is 9%, which would put us at 320 people will probably leave the city at some point this year, whether to find another opportunity or to leave for other reasons. Um, this combines to uh, be a considerable amount of over 800 employees um, that we have funding for or will have position funding for in some fashion during the next year. So my reduction was based upon the fact of saying this reduction should not hurt operations. We're still leaving $13 million in vacancy funding and with a separation rate of 9% uh, throughout the year on average, I see that we, we're going to have the ability to fund 800 positions at any point to be hired at this next coming year. Okay. Uh, Ms. Larson, any further comment relative to your proposed 3.5 or Ms. Robertson relative to the 1.8, 89980? Um, Ms. Larson. So mine's a little bit lower than uh, Councilmember Addison's in terms of the vacancy funding. And I guess uh, philosophically, I... Um, get a little confused that um, 
the administration's working off a zero-based budget, but yet we're carrying over these vacancies from 2016. Um, if we're doing zero-based budgeting, then each budget should start at zero, and we shouldn't be carrying vacant positions on our books. Um, so okay. I'm, I'm just eliminating some of those. I, I do think a deep dive needs to be done so that each year we're not um, talking about these vacancies. And staff helped me work through also looking at the different departments and departments that are filling the vacancies, that they, the, the positions that were funded in last year, but there are still vacancies there that haven't been filled from last year's budget. So we're adding additional positions. This is the proposal on the table when departments aren't filling their staffs completely now. Thank you. Ms. Robertson. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I think we've already talked about some of the departments that would be impacted by the vacancy uh, cuts, but I did not uh, propose the 1.5% across the board. And I think with the across-the-board cuts that we've already put in, um, I, I'm not comfortable that I'm really sure about the impact that I'm having, uh, the double impact I could be having on some of the departments that are included in this um, recommendation uh, for the cut to get to the $1.8 million. Uh, so I'm feeling as if we've already done a significant cut with, uh, with the 1.5% across the board and some of the other changes that we've made. So at this time, I'm more inclined to withdraw. Thank you. So at this point, we have two proposals for consideration relative to vacancy funding. Any, Mr. Lack, are you wanting to speak to? And or Ms. Coffee-Glenn. Madam President, I think uh, it's been clearly communicated from the administration of the impacts, especially compounded with the 1.5% and now with the vacancy funding. Uh, I know there's been a lot of back and forth as it relates to the legitimacy of what we've been able to convey, but I know with all certainty with what we know today, uh, we will not be able to certify any new revenues as it relates to what's going to impact the organization and the departments that are responsible for the day-to-day -day operations of the city. So I want that to be clearly understood by the council in the community, and I'll turn it over to Ms. Reed. Ms. Reed. Good afternoon, um, Lenore Reed. I'm going to speak first um, to the vacancies within the Department of Finance and within Finance and Administration. Vacancy funding for the Finance and Finance Administration, I came before you, I believe, two years ago now, requesting funding for vacant positions. And that was when the CAFR couldn't get done. Um, we had 36 vacant positions in the Department of Finance at the time. We had $111,000 total to fill those 36 vacant positions along with the um, other benefits. 
with that being said, I came before you and I told you at that time I needed $1.3 million to fund those positions. And that was granted by council. And I appreciate that because that was the way we were able to increase our revenue collection at the time. We were able to get our CAFRs done. I came before you because I did not have a finance director, did not have a controller, I did not have managers within the department, I did not have a chief of revenue. At this time, I am down some critical positions. Um, at the time of last year, budget, yes, you do see an increase in the requests for vacancy funding in the Department of Finance. When we came before you in 2019 for that budget, we had 13 vacant positions. When we formulated the budget for FY20, we had 29 vacant positions, many of which has been filled subsequent to that. And so if you take that funding away, then we won't be able to fill the remaining uh, of the vacant positions. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about citywide. Citywide vacancies, when you look at the dollars to fill the vacant positions, we budget them at the minimum of the pay range. We budget only close to 50% of what would be needed to fill all of those positions because we realize there will be attrition. We realize that there are timing in which we're not going to fill all positions starting July 1. They are not the same positions that are vacant that you see year after year after year. We do fill positions. Um, it takes some time to fill positions because, as you know, we are not the first choice of employment within the region because we have the lowest pay. Um, we fill positions throughout um, the city. My biggest impact will probably be my Department of Finance when I look at my portfolio. And those positions are critical because we actually collect revenue. I came before you a couple of years ago and I said to you, you give me the positions, I can increase revenue collection. I've done that. In the fiscal year 20 budget, I put 2.2 million extra dollars in for extra collection of revenue because we're increasing the uh, collection rate. I can't do that without the positions being filled. So when you take away the positions, you also take it away revenue because I'm gonna have to go back to last year's collection of 96%. And that's the reality. And that impacts all of us. I don't want to do that. We have revenue enhancement initiatives that we're doing right now without additional staff. We're doing license plate reader. We just purchased another vehicle so that our tax enforcement agents can go out and collect additional revenue. We're taking individuals to court who are not paying their taxes. I mean, we're doing a lot with a little and I'm saying, let us go through this year, let us fill the positions, let us show you the additional revenue that we can collect that's going to benefit us citywide. We can't always rely on reassessment and all. We have revenue that's left out there on the table, but I need the staffing to go and get it. I need the staffing to produce reports. We don't just produce the CAFR. I mean, we have a list of reports that we produce on an annual basis. We're looking for efficiencies across the board. I wish we just did the CAFR, but that's not the reality, and I can't do it alone. Thank you. Ms. Gray? So, oh, sorry, Mr. Wack, did you? Did yes, you if I a, could just. Uh, uh, hold uh, just on one second. Was your question for Ms. Reed, Ms. Gray? Go ahead. Mr. Wack. 
Yes, just to be a little more specific to the Department of Finance, um, when I did my budget presentation, I noted of the vacancies, three were new in July, and also that we had already filled 11 of the positions from the budget snapshot. As of today, we're, we already have nine additional positions that are at the interview stage after they've been closed and screened by human resources. Uh, but essentially, uh, the finance budget in 2020 is – it seems the majority of council wants the $900,000 in there for revenue administration system. A replacement. So I'm already looking at a decrease from 19. If you exclude that $900,000 and we have a 1.5% across the board cut, it's already a decrease with the additional programs that we have to do. We have to implement a new cigarette tax. We have to implement expanded tax relief for the elderly and disabled. I just don't feel that we can uh, fulfill our mission. And uh, I guess the proposal from Mr. Um, Addison to reduce $825,000, we just cannot certify the revenue. You have the impacts before you. Uh, we did, in, relative to the five-year projection, increase the presumed collection rate from 96 and a quarter to 97. So that's $2.2 million that would have to come off the top right there. Uh, we would also we also have several hundred thousand in revenue enhancements that presumed the vacant positions were funded. Thank you. Ms. Gray. So I have a couple of questions here. Uh, here I've heard um, Ms. Cuffey-Glenn and Mr. Wax say they cannot certify revenue. Is that the 8.3% real estate tax increase that we're not certifying as an increase in revenue? Is that what we're saying here? Are we holding that money hostage to say, if you cut us, we're not going to show that money on the book? Selena Cuffey-Glenn, we're not hold holding anyone hostage. I'm clearly stating we are not certifying any new revenue. So we're not going to acknowledge the additional funds that I and the rest of the city are paying into the tax base. We're going to say you have to pay more. Um, I, f I find that very offensive, and I don't think that this um, – I think it's taken us down a nasty, ugly hole. Anytime we try to make a cut to this budget and, – and there's a serious flaw in this charter if – we can, if we can do this and hold every single taxpayer in the city hostage anytime we try to make a modest cut to a budget that, in a comparative analysis, we are spending more in every department other than Parks and Rec than any other locality in the state. So we need to ask ourselves what's going on with the management of these taxpayer dollars. It's a serious problem. Why does it cost more to put a little section of sidewalk in in the city than it does in Chesterfield? Why is it costing us $30 million more to build a, these schools than it does in Chesterfield, Henrico, anywhere else in the state? Why is it costing us so much more? We need to be asking that. And if you're not willing to certify the new revenues because we're trying to find a way to make this work without putting more burden on our taxpayers and our renters included in that because their their rates will go up then then shame on you we need to find someone who can figure this out i'm also wondering if if we're saying we're only funding vacancy at we're only budgeting 50 percent of the vacancies then why is it showing those numbers on this vacancy report is funded if it's funded at 50 percent then we should be showing half the amount this is misleading. If we're not being given correct information to make informed decisions, we are the stewards of these taxpayer dollars. Shame on us 
for allowing this kind of politicking to go on with the people's money. It is not their money. It is the people's money. Shame on all of us. What we have before us is a reduction in vacancy funding to, uh, in this category, 4.971121. I'd like to go on and move with these so that we can move on to the real estate rate and whatever additional modifications will be necessary. Madam President? Yes, Ms. Larson. I I have to comment on this, um, the certification as well. This is taking our duties away from us. We're here as the fiscal agents of the city, and we know the assessments are going up. That's why the assessor, we have the assessor. He reports to us. He's anticipated another 2% in growth. And so for the administration to stand up there because they're upset with us because we're making cuts to their budget is inappropriate and not collaborative. And this whole budget process has not been collaborative at all. The PR campaign that's out there saying that all of us who don't support a real estate tax increase aren't supportive of children, all of this nonsense that out, that's out there is extremely frustrating. We're in the process of this. We have not gotten to the finish line yet. So to come up and say you're not certifying the new revenue is hard. Madam President. Mr. Hilbert. I uh, have to say that I'm just flabbergasted. Um uh, you know, this is my 15th year on council. This is my 15th budget, and I have never been through a more difficult one than this. And to say that you're not going to certify revenue, which is there, unless we go along with either fewer cuts or an increased tax rate is just outrageous. I, uh, I like the mayor. I voted for the mayor. But i got to say I'm a little disappointed getting tweets talking about the libraries aren't going to be open because of these cuts. And I'm also disappointed that I didn't get, and none of us, not one of us, had a heads up that we were going to look at a 9% tax rate increase. Not one of us. So if this is going to be the way we can go at it, then we can go at it this way. I'd like to do something that's a little bit more cooperative and a little bit more collaborative. But if this is, you know, the Donnybrook that we've got to go through, uh, it's very, I've had, you know, this is almost to the point where we're throwing the school board out of City Hall uh, in direct violation of an ordinance that I co-patroned. Uh, this is really breaking down. So let's all take a deep breath and try and get where we need to be. This is the governing body of the city. I respect the mayor. I don't appreciate the way we're going about this. And I do feel like that we were left out of the tax increase, which is fine. But then don't expect everybody to fall in line with it when we had no consultation on it. We're left with, with not a lot. Mr. And so uh, I appreciate uh, the time, Madam President. Mr. Addison and then Ms. Gray. Um, Thank you, Council President. I have a question for uh, for Megan. What is the difference currently, as proposed, 
for the budget as we have it with this vacancy. Well, we haven't missing. taken any consensus on this particular item. So. Well, I know that for my yes. current, I know we haven't, but I know that for my current proposal with a tax rate as it currently stands at $1.20, the gap with what we've approved thus far is $2 million. Yes, it's $2,013,617. So if this is going to be the contention of, of, of the body, my thought was my proposed vacancy funding to match that gap difference to make it whole, so my that proposal will be balanced considering we've already approved this 7.5 for the one and a half across the board cut, the VRIP program, then the difference would be the $2 million if we could make that that's assuming the tax increase for the assessments and if the administration won't certify that. Correct. We'll be and this was there. a way of a negotiating for that aspect of removing $2.9 million from a vacancy cut to be a lower burden since we are also cutting our other budget. Okay. So let me be clear. Mr. Addison, are you asking or indicating a desire to reduce the vacancy funding Amendment item that you have before us—is that what you're saying? Because right now, the tune of two million and yes, because right now I'm out of. I, I would if that were if we were to approve that, it would be out of balance. And my thought was, given the arguments we heard from from the administration, to look at that difference and right size it to what the the gap is. That would be where I would like to recommend we go forward. So the recommendation is to what is the exact amount, Ms. Brown? Two million, two million thirteen thousand six hundred and seventeen. Okay, so we have that amendment from Mr. Addison. Ms. Gray, did you want to? Was that relative to this item? Well, no. I want to recommend that we roll back the tax rate to a dollar twelve if the eight percent increase isn't acknowledged here. Why don't we just roll it back? Okay. So what is on? If it's the not going to be acknowledged on paper, then maybe we should just roll it back and not accept the money from the taxpayers. What is on the table before us is the reduced vacancy funding to the tune of two million and thirteen thousand six hundred and seventeen. Thank you. Um, do we have consensus for that? Mr. Yes. I would just like clarification on what is what is what are we asking? as it relates to consensus. This is the last item we have on here, reduced vacancy rate, uh, reduced vacancy funding, excuse me, I'm sorry, reduced vacancy funding, Mr. Addison proposed 4,971,121 initially, Ms. Larson 3,005,000, Mr. Addison has uh, indicated that he would reduce his to the difference, um, notwithstanding the information that we've received about certification and non-certification at this point. The question is whether or not we have consensus for that rollback amount that Mr. Addison is proposing for his vacancy funding reduction. It would be my hope that that could get them the staffing they would need to do the certification. Okay. So the rollback amount that he is proposing instead of four nine seven one, it's two million. Ms. Brown, would you give that exact amount? Two million thirteen thousand six seventeen. And does it clarify where the vacancies would take place? It, I have not gotten to that oh. because my four point nine was in there first. I will go back and share that with you once I get to that. But the point of it is the balancing of. The dollar twenty tax rate, assuming we could get to that as an agreement as a body, was what I was trying to solve. That we can do that. Thank you, um, Mr. Addison's proposal 
Um, is there consensus for that item? Ms. Brown, what do you have, Ms. Cal? Just I always, oh. no. Follow, you'll finish with that. I'll follow yeah. the question. Well, no, we still have three point five million, okay. Ms. Larson. I just want to clarify, we did not get a consensus on the $2 million. Okay, Ms. Larson, $3.5 million. Do we have a consensus there? I do not. Is, are you raising your hand to vote in favor? Of, right, exactly. And Ms. Brown? I did not receive a consensus on that. Okay. At, Ms. Robertson had removed that item. Yes. Okay. At this point, we have gone through all of the proposed reductions and increases. Miss um, Brown, could you tell us where we are and so that we can now uh, consider real estate rate? Currently at $1.20, we are out of balance by 2013617 Again, um, that is dependent on the certification. If we do not receive the certification, that will increase by an additional $6.4 million. Ms. Robertson. Um, I would, my question is the funding, the certification, what funding needs to be certified that, if I heard correctly, that there would not be certification. But which, which funding amount are we talking about and from what solicitors that we need certification based on where we are at the present time? The two items that we would need certification on is the amount that would be additional revenue from the increased assessments. So at $1.20, that would be about almost $6.5 million. And also, we would need certification on the additional delinquent real estate revenue for giving the city attorney and planning some additional um, personnel funding in order to keep the development agreements. Both of those would require certification by the administration. And that amount is two five. Uh, the the assessment is two five, and oh yes, the other one is two five as well. It's a six four and two five. The, it would be 2.5 for the real, delinquent real estate revenue amount. 6. And then 5. six at 120, it would be 6.478.815. So both of those items that require certification would be almost $9 million. Okay. Okay. So at. Let's see here, I'm sorry. Me, I'm just getting some very bad news over a text, so I'm. Trying to pay attention. Uh, are we saying? I'm sorry. We're saying that if the six million is not certified in additional assessments for nine million dollars in the hole, if the six point four at one twenty, the six point four seven eight eight one five, and the two point five from delinquent real estate revenue would okay. then result in that com combined amount of about nine and. Okay. It's roughly I about nine that. million, but then also since we're still two million out, we'd be looking for an additional almost eleven million dollars. And 
uh, I heard that there was going to be no certification before we voted on this vacancy issue. Was that going to be the issue that put us over the top, or is that just, let's just blanket, we're not doing it? Is that, okay. I mean, we voted oh. that down, so I'm assuming that that only held if if we weren't, uh, if we weren't going to add this vacancy. Is that the... Right. Uh, is that the position of the administration? Ms. Reed or Ms. Cuffey Glenn, and then I'll come back to you, Ms. Robertson. So. Selena Cuffey Glenn, I would recommend that the leadership of council sit down and meet with the mayor myself and have that conversation. Okay, we're going to have a public meeting? I guess we would need to. Okay. Ms. Robertson. So my my question is this: um, I didn't I didn't hear that comment. What was the response? Miss Cuffey Glenn uh, suggested that there be a opportunity for the mayor and the leadership of council to sit down and discuss where we are at this moment. Miss Cuffey Glenn, do you want to add anything? The leadership. Uh, okay, thank you. What does the leadership mean? You and the mayor. It would be uh, I'm myself, the vice president, the mayor. I would object to that. I think the mayor should come here and speak to the issue. I would strongly object. If a majority of us are saying we don't want to increase taxes, I would strongly object to that. I met with the mayor a week before he came forward with this nine-cent increase, and he laughed like it was a joke when I asked if there was going to be a proposal to increase real estate taxes. I find it insulting to no end as a representative of so many people who are struggling right now to pay their taxes that, that someone thinks this is a joke that can be played around on the people of this city. Ms. Robertson and then Ms. Trammell. Okay, so my question is, um, like Chris, I've been around here a little while, and I recall um, a previous mayor that refused to uh, certify income in the budget. And consequently, uh, by the absence of certification, it meant that our budget was not balanced. And when our budget is not balanced, that means that the proposed budget from the mayor walks and I don't know what is involved with certification and how long we have to wait uh, for certification from the administration on income uh, that we are proposing in the budget or that we'll be willing to adopt as revenue into the budget. So the question I have is this. We were informed a couple of days ago, to much of my surprise, and which I'm still having difficulty dealing with, is that if we adopt this budget, if we pass our budget on, March, on May 13th, and I'll let the attorney correct me because I may have it wrong, um, the mayor has 14 days to veto. To consider a veto, that's correct. Okay. To offer a veto. He has yes. 14 days. If he chooses to veto... Um, and chooses to not certify income, 
he doesn't certify income, we're out of budget. We're out of balance for the budget. I don't know how long they have to give us the certification. And I would assume that they have to give us the certification before we vote on the budget on the That's 13th. That's correct. Okay. So if, if we do not have the certification, um, there's a lot of time left. We need to make a decision so that we have time to deal with that absence of certification. Because, and if what sounds like could be a major change in this proposed budget versus what council is suggesting in some of the changes and amendments that we've already made, if the mayor chooses to do a, to, to veto our budget, my understanding is he has up until the 28th of May to do such, right? Yes, ma'am. Pretty close. That's and we correct. were also informed, to much of my surprise, because previously we've always been told we have 14 days to take action on veto. Previously? Yes, I'm, previously, I'm previously, but given I'm, the I'm time frame in this instance, That has yes. always been the understanding that the mayor has 14 days, we've got 14 days. Just a few days ago, we learned that, oh, no, you don't have 14 days. You got to the 31st of May, which could be two days. That's correct. So just based on the conversation and what I'm feeling right now, uh, Madam President, I, need, I would suggest that we call for a special meeting of council to be held on the 28th today. Just in case, so that this council knows that we need to be in place, 20, of May. 28th okay. of May, mm -hmm. uh, so that we will be in place if we need to be in place, just like we have a budget planning session. Thank you. Okay. Ms. Gray. So... Again, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't say that this is malfeasance, but I believe it to be nonfeasance, and that's a failure to act on a duty. And I believe that our city officials have an official duty, along with the mayor, to certify the funds that they know will be available. It is, it is unconscionable that we are having a discussion about whether or not these funds will be certified, because I know... When I get my bill and it's paid, that that money is going somewhere. And everybody else in the city is paying these bills, and their money has to be going somewhere. To, just, to say that we're not going to acknowledge that money because we don't want to have to see any cuts in our budgets is, is nonfeasance at the very least and potentially malfeasance. Thank you. So at this point, what we... We have a couple of things on the table. There is, from Ms. Robertson, the last thing that we go on and um, declare a special meeting for May 28th. That's one. The other discussion, and Mr. Jackson? Yes, ma'am. The yes. council already has its regular meeting scheduled for May 28th. So we don't have to declare a special. No, ma'am. It's ma already scheduled. And, and all that's required... And all that's required to override a mayoral veto is a motion to do so. So there's nothing 
no further advertising or notice or anything else that would be required. You could simply do it during your meeting. Okay. Any other comment? Because the other item I'd like to have us, Ms. Trammell. Thank you, Madam President. You know, what Kim just said, I've just gotten a couple texts, and the people are supporting her with her comments, what she just said, and also with Ellen. They're mad. The citizens in Richmond are mad. I mean, they, for a mayor to sit there and, and say that he's for the people and all of that, and then to do the things that he's doing, and the administration to come out and just say what they have said earlier, that's unacceptable. And, Chris, you said a year ago that if this thing if these things kept continuing, you were going to support me because you know that I voted against this form of government. Let's change it back. I think the people are ready to get rid of this form of government, especially when they're saying that they don't trust this mayor and they don't trust the school superintendent. I have never heard someone in all the years I've been on council hear people say they didn't trust the school superintendent, and I'm hearing it 24-7 with the mayor involved with it too. And to me, I think we need to have this discussion. We need to get rid of this form of government because it's not working. And for the administration to stand up there and say what they just said about holding the money, I mean, it's, we, we, we answer to the people. We don't answer to the mayor, and we don't answer to no one but the people that put us in these chairs. And I will tell you right now, if we don't start paying attention, it's going to be one hell of a big changeover in 2020. And the first person's going to be that mayor. You better believe that. Thank you, Ms. Trammell. Because the other thing that we have on uh, the table that Ms. Cuffey-Glenn offered was to the opportunity to sit down and see if we can arrive at uh, some resolution in this matter. And I would like to think that we would want to try to get resolved as opposed to other options that are clearly delineated, um, charter, et cetera. So if I'm hearing correctly, um, the administration is willing to uh, sit and um, look at look at the uh, what we are um, proposing and then um, to see if we can get to some res resolution. Ms. Larson, is this in regards to that? Yes. Um, so I believe on Monday we have a joint meeting for the education compact. So I would propose that since we'll have the bodies and the mayor there, that we discuss it there in a public forum and we set aside some time to discuss it so we can hear the mayor's reasoning behind why he wouldn't certify extra revenue that we know is coming into the city. Uh, okay, so let me be clear. You're saying in the education compact. I say to, we cancel that meeting and have them come here. This is the, the most important work that we have to do as council members. So if he's available for that time, then let's come here and have a public discussion. Ms. Larson, um, let me be clear. You said in terms of the education compact that you were well, looking to have that be the forum for such a discussion. My, my thought was that the meeting has already been noticed by all the bodies, so we're all going to be in the same room. So why not discuss this item, which is the, the most pressing item in front of us right now? 
Okay, Ms. Robertson. Um, I am, I'm disturbed by the fact that the two sources of revenue that we're speaking of, that we'll be informed that the administration will not certify. We've already had these discussions as to whether or not these sources of funding are reliable sources of funding. So to make a decision in the midst of, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I, I, I haven't voted to support all of the amendments to this budget, okay? Consensus of council rules, and ultimately our vote will rule. But to make a decision in the midstream um, of funding that we have talked about, that is a reliable source of funding that will not be certified, I don't know what discussion we're going to have. I'm not going to be here on Monday, so I would hate to not be a part of the conversation. Um, but I, I find this to be extremely uh, lack of a spirit of, of, of attempting to get to a place where we can all agree that this is the best that we can do on behalf of the interests of the citizens of the city of Richmond. I'm not happy with all of the amendments, but I have I've come to this place with a very sincere confidence that the sources of revenue that we were, have identified were reliable sources of income, and to just arbitrarily say, we're not going to certify it, I'm, I need a better understanding that I think I can get from the administration now as to the reason why they won't certify. What happened? What made reliable sources, uh, dependable sources, you know, for the last, since, since um, you know, the 15th of the month, or whenever we got this budget, uh, and the times that we've gone through to get our amendments, what changed that these are not reliable sources of revenue at? I need to understand that, and I'm, I, you know, I, that's a meeting that we can have. Um, it shouldn't be a meeting that we need to have. If we were we, not confident that they were reliable sources of funding for the past weeks that we've had this money on the board, relying upon the, it as reasonable sources of revenue, to be told we're not going to certify it, I need to know why. Madam President. Mr. Hilbert. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I remember my colleague, Ms. Robertson, saying, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to compromise with you, and I don't see you walking towards me. Uh, and so I think that's where we are. Uh, you know, we had fully funding the schools, fully funding the roads. Uh, you know, what was stated as the priorities of this budget you got all of that. This is math. When you get what you want, but there's not all the revenues that you want, then you're going to have to cut something. And uh, uh, I ran on sticking the tax rate at a dollar twenty, and I don't feel like I need to break faith with my uh, constituents because I made that promise to them uh, because we don't want to certify the budget. I mean, that is, we're at a crisis here, 
And uh, I'm certainly, if I had any inkling for voting for one nickel of a tax increase, it's gone. I'm at a dollar twenty until the end of the day. So we can just take that off the table. Chris Hilbert ain't voting any differently. Uh, and I would hope that we could, uh, and these kind of lobbing bombs at one another is not helping. Thank so you. So I'm ready to move forward with some negotiations on this. But when you got everything that you said was your priority, I don't understand why we can't get there. Thank you. At this point, I want to, because the part of the concern was that we would get to a rate. And so while there's been conversation, there's been recommendations, there are several rates on the table, some of which uh, will leave us out of balance by, what is that, 11 million, and some will leave us to the good. So I want to press now for real estate rate. I'm sorry, before... Miss Gray's hand was before, and I'll come back. No, I'm happy to go to the discussion about the real estate rate, but I think it still leaves um, for more conversation, and and clearly we still have to have a whole conversation about the capital improvement program, which we haven't even barely acknowledged during the last two months. Um, But I, I do think Ms. Robertson has a very important question that is on the floor that has yet to be answered, and I would support Ms. Robertson in pursuing an answer to her question at this point before we move on to the real estate tax rate. Ms. Gray, is that similar, your concern? Well, I'd like to motion that we keep the tax rate at $1.20, and then we can have discussion about that. I'd like to put a motion on the floor that we maintain the $1.20 tax rate. Second. Thank you. And discussion, I want to be clear in uh, putting that forth that the delta is, could you share that number again? Roughly about $11 million. Right. Okay. Is there a consent? I'm, I'm sorry, in the discussion, if we could hold for a moment. Mr. Agilesto wanted to try to get a response. Is that correct? For anyone from the administration relative to response to Ms. Robertson's inquiry? No? Ms. Robertson had a question relative to the certification Um, or indication of certification for the additional revenue for increased assessments as well as the additional delinquent real estate revenue uh, that was included here to the tune of um, certainly if you start at uh, 2.5 and at 120, 6.478815 million. Any comment? from administration relative to certification and or and Ms. Robinson's question about the change in that over the period of time that we've been deliberating. Let me hear your question once again. Ms. Robertson, would you restate your question, please? Thank you, ma'am. My question is that we have had 
as a part of this budget discussion and the additional revenue that we've identified for the past few weeks. Uh, we've identified the $6.23 million as it relates to, um, due to land book values, assessment values, um, and the 2.5 due to delinquent sales. And mine, and we've, we've been dealing with this as, a, uh, as an understanding of a reliable source of revenue to balance the budget. My understanding is that, administ that you administration has changed its mind that, or has said that we will not certify um, revenues that have been identified. And my question is what changed as it relates to the reliability of them being reasonable sources of revenue? Is it, is it due to the fact that it was based on um, a tax rate of 129, as is proposed in the budget? Or was it certainly the delinquent sales should not be impacted by the tax rate by no means? I can understand how the uh, assessment could be impacted by the tax rate. And so my question is to say we will not certify uh, sources that we've claimed so far as reasonable, reliable sources of revenue. What has, what's transpired that you feel now that you would say not certified. Oh, I'll try to answer. I think there are a couple parts to your question. Uh, the claims come from your staff as it relates to the reassessments, as well as it relates to the tax delinquencies, um, those dollars being available. I've always made it very clear as it relates to certification. I think there was a discussion on Monday regarding my statement made at that point in time. The mayor's budget has always been his priority, all components, including his staff, as well as schools and roads. And he made that clear to everyone in the community. So that has not changed. The item on the item on the table at this point is the real estate tax rate that has been proposed um, at 120 with the clarity that we will be approximately 11 million out at that rate if the funds are not certified. My question is that we would be out of budget at 11.57, whatever you said, um, if those funds aren't certified. If That's they correct. are certified, which administration, I'm not sure if they said they will or they won't now, but what we, rate if, if they are certified, we're out by a couple of million dollars, right? If, if it is? If, 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 those the, sources are certified. if the funds are certified at $1.20, based on what you've agreed to thus far, council would still be out about $2 million. Okay, thank you. Any additional clarification in this matter? 
There are other levels to be considered, but we are at 120, and I need to get clarity relative to consensus. Dollar twenty. We had an actual motion on the floor. We're at 120. I know this is a motion, so it's not a consensus. It's a vote. It's an actual vote. Well, my understanding is that we're taking consensus at this point, which will culminate in a full vote. Mr. Jackson, do you want to provide clarification there? Yes, ma'am. It, it would just be a consensus at this point. Uh, you can only actually amend uh, the papers or strike the papers um, with an actual vote that would have to be noticed. Right now, uh, all we're having is a work session. The papers have been continued okay. to April 29th. So, on so the you 29th, could only do it then. Yes, ma'am. That will be part of the drafted amendments if it gets a consensus. It would be with respect to the tax rate. Right. With respect to the other amendments, I, I simply don't know at this point whether they could be available on April 29th or if they would have to wait until May 6th. I just, I don't know at this point. With that clarification, is there a consensus relative to this real estate rate? Thank you. Uh, let me say that uh, we have work to do um, between now. Ms. Robertson, was there a question? Okay. We have work to do. This We must get a balanced budget. Uh, we are sitting today on the 24th. And so... Uh, Ms. Brown, do we have a schedule that will allow us? Because we're we're going to need to do some work here. This is Madam, Madam yes. President. Are we considering balancing the budget with the anticipation that the revenues that have been suggested are not going to be certified? So we are really looking for almost twelve million dollar cut. Did you say almost twelve million? Eleven. Yeah. Eleven. Dollars. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's what um, there was not a willingness to sit with the administration to have a conversation about possible resolution here. So that's where we are. Ms. Brown, in terms of uh, We do have a, another work session on April 29th, which is this coming Monday. Um, we will have to get the general fund balanced as well as if the certification of the additional revenue does not happen. Um, as well as since we're going down to the $1.20 tax rate, we'll have to do significant cuts in the CIP program in order to get that to balance as well. So um, there will be a significant amount of work to be done, and um, we will have to be balanced by Monday in order to, for staff to have time to work with the administration as well as the city attorney's office to get all the amendments prepared in order to still adopt by May the 13th. Ms. Robertson. Madam Chair, I will not be here on Monday. Um, we can certainly on the connect you telephonically. Yeah, well, that didn't work very well the last time I tried that. Well, you know, we can give it a try. Could, and I couldn't hear you. And this is too important for me to try to yes. figure out. Um, 
and I will be in conference, so I won't have access to being able to sit, you know, and listen for a day. Um, the trip has already been paid for by the city, and so I can't just back out. Um, I think we need to have some more meetings, like today is what, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I, I don't see us doing it all in one day. Not at $12 million. Are you proposing a, um, a, work, se a work session? 24-7. Okay, so I would ask if we would first take a look at uh, tomorrow. I know that people have some obligations. Uh, they've indicated the time we needed to end by today. But if folks are willing to reconvene and let's go for it tomorrow. I have stuff. I mean, my calendar gets books booked weeks and weeks out. There's yes. no way. I mean, we all had our schedules set so for Mondays. So I just, I don't think it's. I'm trying to simply offer a suggestion that might allow for everybody to be present. Everybody in this may space. not. I mean. So. I had to cancel this, meetings this afternoon. My kids are, I'm having to call people to pick my kids up right now. Right. We are going to adjourn as soon as we can get any further movement relative to possible work session. Ms. Angelesco. Thank you. Um, in the possible work session that's being proposed tomorrow is only on the general fund, not dealing with the CIP. And if there are five members who have voted in support of the $1.20 tax That rate, is correct. And we are out of balance now by $12, $11 million. Approximately, yes. Would it not be in responsible to go ahead and identify from the list where, whether we even have the potential for $11 million in cuts because otherwise we're going to have to go back to the budget and identify different things that haven't been proposed. And if that's the case, I think it's more work than I think people just showing up to continue hashing this out. I think Furthermore, that is certainly an option to consider at this point if people are willing to stay longer. I just had a sense that there were some commitments, but I'm certainly open to that. And furthermore... My main concern here is the assessments that have been put in here, that's already a real number. These are real numbers that the city assessor has reported. My understanding is that the only way to not certify this is for the administration to essentially declare that they're collection rate is going to be significantly less than the 97 or 98 percent. And I don't know if that's in the performance measures in terms of their tax collection rate. Um, I know that the city had been in the 95, 96 percent for a while, and most localities are in 98 to 99 percent. So I, I, I have some concerns about unintended consequences, particularly as a result of 
of the response that Ms. Robertson got to her question and kind of just the flippant nature of how that came even into discussion today. So I think if council needs to find the $11 million cut before we reconvene so that whenever this conversation occurs with the mayor, I think it's important for, for that to occur because otherwise I don't know what the use of time will be. I don't understand how you're outlining the next step forward. Ms. Larson. Um, and regarding this issue, I'd also like to get a legal opinion on, I be believe this has happened in the past, and what, um, what legal recourse um, and all, all the history and details of this. Sure. Uh, Mr. Jackson, it's been quite a while since we've looked at uh, this scenario. Um, regarding availability, I have availability on Friday. Uh, and okay. on Monday, you know, I'm willing to stay as long as it takes okay. to, to get this done. Thank you. Mr. Jackson, do you want to speak to Ms. Larson's comment? So the, the relevant provision in the city charter um, is 6.10. And what it says is, in substance, it, it imposes a prohibition against the city council. It does not impose a duty on the mayor. The prohibition is the council shall not alter the estimates of receipts contained in the budget except to correct omissions or mathematical errors. Omissions do not include, at least as we have construed it in the past, a change in an existing tax. An omission would be um, someone forgot to put into the budget some set of fees, some particular type of tax, maybe the personal property tax. Uh, and so what we're dealing with is not a question of the mayor having failed to perform a duty. It is simply a prohibition against council changing what he has estimated. In terms of whether that, and again, that's been the historical construction, um, whether some type of legal action might be available is not something that I have considered. Um, and would would be very reluctant to try to evaluate off the cuff as we're here tonight. Ms. Gray? So and I understand. we'll get to closure here. It's my understanding that when Mr. Lupasi was here, this may have been um, a concern, and he talked about the writ to sue for certification of these funds? Never heard of it. I, I'm sorry. I wasn't here when Mr. LaPosse was here. 
Um, so I, I, mean, I, I know nothing about it. That's one of the reasons I'm reluctant to try to talk about it because I find it ridiculous. And, and what I find more ridiculous is that this council voted to say that people don't have to live in the city. So we are being told by people who don't even pay into this pot that the people who are paying into this pot, their money doesn't get counted. How is that, how is that a democratic way to operate? I mean, it's crazy to me. This, this has gotten, gone too far. And, you know, we're, we're all talking about negotiating with the mayor who didn't have the decency or the courtesy to even tell one of us that he was contemplating a dramatic tax increase. In our, in our monthly, weekly, however often we meet, we make time for that. This is not a game. This is people's lives and their livelihoods. This is serious stuff. It is not to be played around with. It's not to be flippant about whether or not funds will be certified. Funds that we know are there that exist, that people are paying out of their pockets. And they still can't get a pothole or a tree taken down or a sidewalk repair or, or an alley filled. Okay. And then they're going to stand here and say they're not going to certify the money that they're putting into the pot on an emotional reaction to a cut that was suggested. Not even done, suggested that it happens. Okay. Unacceptable. Yes unacceptable on Ms. so many levels. Ms. Trammell, and then uh, we're going to move to action here. I wasn't going to bring this up, but I just got another text from somebody in my district that asked me about what happened um, last year when the school superintendent um, came up with a, the opposed to real estate tax to us for 10 cents. And I said that, you know, this is unacceptable for the school superintendent to, off, to tell us that we need to raise the real estate tax by 10 cents. And the mayor. So now is the mayor asking staff to leave? Is that what's been? I mean, everybody's getting up to leave in unison. What, okay, is this so mean what we don't get question? our questions answered? I mean, why is oh, everyone leaving right now? You know what? The this, CAO this is, is getting up this to leave wrong. this body. She ought to be this here is not along right. with the staff. And I'm saying this for the people who are listening online. And they are who cannot listening. see what's happening here. The entire staff, 40, 50, and it's not even five o'clock yet. Okay. And it's not even the this is city. The mayor. This is not a joke. This, this is, is city council's budget work session. These and staff members were asked to join us. That, that they the were asked to join us to be, be responsive staff to our has questions. Has an obligation to answer these questions that we are asking on behalf of the people we represent. This is outrageous. Enough is enough. This is really bad. If I may. Um, I am going, Miss. If I may, at this point, I'm sorry, but I'd like to set some direction because I think we're we have completely gone off our rails. Yes, and I think that they've gone off the rails. Don't say at we. this point. I have not gone off the rails. My Don't outrage, my outrage here. Excuse me, Miss Gray. Is I well okay. Uh, at this point, this meeting is recessed, and we will if, reconvene on Monday. We've never had this, Madam President. This is outrageous. We have never had nothing no, like this. No, we should stay here and work. If they want to get up and leave, let them. We need to stay here and work through this budget. Well, well can we work civilly together? 
that, that's civilly, the, hold on, how is it hold on, hold on, civil for the entire administration you're right. to get Everything, up and leave hold on, here? Michael, they're not on your side. Okay. Michael, they're not on your side. Just like I, dude, I understand. I'm saying, can we work together? Because I don't have time to keep coming back and forth. I'm they not being uncivil to now, you. Kim. All I'm, I'm saying is, can we the, work together outrage, amongst ourselves? I am outraged you that these administrators got up and left this room when we have questions that are still unanswered. And you're right. the mayor thinks this is a joke, I compel him to come into this room. Kim, you're right. Now, All I'm saying is, can we talk? He needs to be talk? here to answer to the people who elected him. And Michael, it's not even 5 o'clock. They're still on a payroll, I would think. All I'm saying is, can we talk? At this point, this meeting has been recessed. If we wanted to deliberate another time to meet, you have indicated, several of you, that you have constraints. I'm willing to entertain other times to meet to work. I have no problem with that. I thought we indicated but at this we were point, we are here. recessed. I thought we indicated that we were going to stay here and work through this. Yeah. No, there were no. differing re- persons who had commitments. So, I mean, I couldn't have anticipated that everybody would have gotten up and walked out. Uh, so. Because we have childish, childish antics going on with, with serious business that we have to take on. It's I childish. I concur. It's childish. And it's unacceptable at so many levels. And I'd like to know who's running the city. Is it the mayor or is it the CAO? Who is really running the city? Evidently, it's not him. Did we have a consensus to meet on Friday, or I guess the clerk will send something out? I'll ask the clerk to work through to get some time. If my colleagues would indulge me, Uh, I know that Council President has put us into recess. If a majority of five of us wish to continue to work through this, we can uh, come out of recess and reconvene our meeting and continue to work. It would need at least five. I I can stay until 5.15. We are... We have already adjourned. We are adjourned at this point. However, if you would like to consider reconvening for work time this afternoon, we can do that. But I want to see that we have commitment to work through that from at least the majority uh, of folks here. And we have, I'm not sure, I was given the impression that you had constraints. 
and could not continue to work. If that is not the case, I'm fine with that. Who turned our mics off? That's what I want to know. Who Can we just move on the to, did. they're working on that. The clerks did. They're on. Yes. When I majority, the, So I just want staff to know, council staff, that they work for a majority, not council president. When I adjourned the meeting, the mic was turned off, and that would be the case. So, That's again, never happened before. if that, again, we've had a lot of things that have not happened before here. And so I'm trying to see if we can't find a path forward. If there are individuals who want to and are available to work, I'd like to see such that we could reconvene and have a work session. Then I'd like to see indication of that. Madam President, are you saying, like, from now until what? Or are you saying from now until what? I'm trying to get clarity. I was, you know. I'll stay okay. until 530. Is that, Is that the consensus of everyone here? Is that amenable? You got five? Okay. Five. Okay, well, we got 30 minutes. Okay, so is it that we would reconvene and have a work session as far as we can get through five? Is that correct? Okay. Well, he has to leave at five, and we're going to. He lose. said five. That's why I was saying. Right. Okay. So let's. Okay. Okay. Can we have? I guess we can't have a two-minute break. We'll just leave as we need. Okay, to. Okay. So that's basically a polling of members. At this point, the additional council budget session is reconvened. Thank you, Madam President. Let's get underway. Could Thank we? You. Yes, Madam President, we're in the hole here, $11 million. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I had a few tax increases that were rejected. I don't know if we start back at those. Um, you know, I... I could go on for minutes here about where we are, but I'm not going to do that. Let's. So, I guess I mean we've been through everything. Do we want to go back to as a process? Go back to tax increases, or do we want to look at cuts? At this point, what um, staff has indicated is that we are 11 million and whatever number of dollars out. So. Um, that would indicate reductions. Okay. Ms. Addison. Thank you, Council President. Um, in, in light of the conversation, or however you want to define the last 30 minutes, um, <laughs> I'd like to just make a point of clarification, or just a point of personal privilege as a, as a comment. We have fully funded every single priority posed before this body from the mayor's budget. We have funded his exact, all the things he asked us to, we had a discussion about GRTC expansion, and we had justification for that. We've given him everything. The only thing we really cut was reduce his budget. Everything else has been in line with, with supporting as best we can with this, with this agenda uh, that's put before this body. I have a hard time having it get to this contentious point and having to spend even more time exploring something that I feel like needs to have a conversation first. I'm all for civility. I'm all for collaboration. I'm all for partisanship across make whatever aisle you want to walk, walk on. But right now, the work we put forth, 
I have a hard time understanding why we got to this point because I'm looking at this budget item going, we have funded every priority asked of us with minimal cuts that I think people are actually looking for us to actually look at doing. And here we are at a point where we're now at contention that's going to be in the headline of the paper tomorrow. And I have a hard time because I'm not sure which way they're going to play it. But I know that we put forth a lot of work to get to this point. And I also know that the administration put forth a lot of work to get the budget where they did before March 6th. And here we are now having to have this crazy conversation about how we're going to make this work. I don't want to spend the next 30 minutes, however many days, going through $11 million when we have options in which to close that gap considerably. And I feel like we have to have, let our emotions cool and let our minds prevail moving forward. I'm not saying anything that has been mentioned before. My comments in the past hour or so are out of line or anything. I'm just saying that from this point, looking at what we have before us, I don't know where the fight is. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Gray? I think that your point is well taken, Mr. Addison. Um, We have, we're pretty much a rudderless boat here because we have bent over backwards to fund what was put before us. I don't agree with most of these things. I don't have faith in it. I really don't. But we sat here, and I've sat through days and hours of this budget and tried to find a way to work within what the mayor has proposed. That's what we've done every year. And if we don't go along 100% with everything that the administration, and nothing works that way in the world. Nothing works that way. It's not if I don't get 100% of everything I want, I pack up my stuff and I leave. I leave the sandbox. I'm going to take all my little toys and run home. That is not how the world works. There has to be some communication, some collaboration. This is ridiculous where we are right now. The fact that the outrage came in that we, because we talked about a 1.5% cut across the board, when state agencies, when I was at the state, we looked at 5, 10, and 15% cuts. When, when other localities go through this, they don't start at 1% or 1.5%. I've never seen them start lower than 5%. And they go to those departments and say, here, we need you to make some, some cuts. But a 1.5% proposal and across-the-board cuts has caused the entire staff to pack up and go home at, I'm, I'm assuming, at the command of the mayor, who they think they work for. They work for the people of the city, so I'm really offended. But I understand why they might want to get up and leave so they don't lose their jobs. But So, Ms. Gray... I'm, I'm bet, really. I'm just trying to make a point here that we have done everything we can to work with the mayor. I think we need to move forward and stop trying to appease or negotiate at this point. We need to move forward with a budget, and we need to have a majority of six of us to move forward with that, with that budget. And if they choose not to certify, we need to make a decision. Whatever legal action is available to us that we take it because it's gotten to a point of ridiculousness. The mayor put forward a 2020 budget last year 
that didn't look anything like this. It had none of these expenses in it. I don't even believe in this strategic plan because it's not a plan and it's not strategic for the schools. But I say, I've got my kids there. I want them to have a good education. I've fought for that. I have been fighting for that. So I want them to have a chance at it. I don't have any faith in it, no. But we said, yeah, let's go ahead and fund it, but let's do it in a way that there's some accountability. Now, I'm I'm frustrated, and that's what you're getting right now. I'm very frustrated. I I think that uh, that's shared by many. I would uh, make note that while the mayor did submit a uh, real estate rate of 129, there was not a member who uh, had, as a part of a proposal, a 129 rate. So let's, let's get that clear. That was not the case, that there was wholesale embracing of that rate. There was, uh, and you have these, I won't go through them, you have the uh, proposals that person submitted for consideration uh, at this point. So it was not a simple matter of just uh, uh, supporting the mayor's position uh, in terms of real estate. With that, I'm going to ask for additional uh, comments, and it's clear that we're not going to have this be the kind of work session that, uh, Mr. Agilesto, you might have intended, and so it looks as if we're going to get to Monday as it is uh, right now. So uh, there was Mr. Mr. Jones, Ms. Larson. Yeah, I just want to try and move this forward. Um, um, our delta right now is what, $11 million? That's correct. Eleven million without counting the without certification of okay. Uh, so my question is, what do we cut? And that's that's really our, what our focus needs to be right now. How how do we move there? My and and again, let me get this straight. My main focus was on fully funding schools. I think that has been consistent throughout this whole process. So my question is, where we are now? You know, no infighting. What, what do we want to cut? And, and anything outside of that is is just conversation. So I'm, my, my thing is, what do we need to do to start looking at, to start moving to that $11 million number? And I, I would feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't say that there are other levels. While I hear and concede we've gone to 120, there are other levels of real estate tax that is less than 129 that would allow for the priorities that we focused on that would not have us be out of balance. But I hear that there's not desire to consider any additional level beyond 120. So, Madam President. So that's my thing. Right. So one way to address it would be to consider additional real estate tax rate. And we had several levels that were proposed. But that, I'm hearing, is not something anyone wants to uh, to uh, consider. So the next then would be to look at what else to cut. So I, I'm not even sure of the hands. Ms. Robertson, Mr. Addison, Mr. Agilesto, Mr. Hilbert. Uh, first of all, Madam Chair, I'd like to say that um, I've actually been pretty impressed with how we've gone through this budget review process and the leadership that you have provided as it relates to the decisions and the process of making decisions up until maybe the last 30 minutes, hour, whatever. 
so I want to thank you. I know that this is a thank lot you. of uh, challenge that we've placed on the leadership of this council to facilitate uh, this discussion and so forth. So I want to take time to do that. And also to thank our staff because it doesn't matter what changes we make. They have been exceptionally helpful in making the adjustments to the numbers, giving us a pulse as to where we are. And I, I really want to take that time to thank, you know, the clerk, our staff, for hanging in here with us and working with us and giving us good feedback so that we can perhaps make a good decision in the process. Um, I am not the least bit confident that we will be able to reasonably get to an additional $11 million cut in this budget in, 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 a, in the form as to where we are at the present time. So to make sure that we are using our time wise, I would like to propose that, uh, that you and the, that the leadership of council meet with the mayor as been a requested so that we cannot say that we did not at least acknowledge that invitation and find out if we can at least get with the understanding that we're looking for certification of the monies that are in this budget. Um, secondly, I think that we need to task our staff again. Uh, we have to look at some options of where we can find and then take those options in consideration because at this point, and we, and we should give, give them some leadership as to what we're talking about because I, you know, I can't imagine, and we've gone through everybody's proposed cuts, including my own, which I've taken off the table, okay? Um, and so, you know, coming to $11 million collectively, agreeing to it with consensus, I don't see us getting there um, without having some options on the table for us to consider. So I would strongly ask that we consider uh, going to the uh, painful as that may be, I, I, I think it's most unfortunate uh, what has happened in the last half an hour. Uh, I pray God that council never gets to that point, that if we're not pleased with something, we just call, hit the gavel and walk out the chamber. Um, but it's our duty and our responsibility, and so I would suggest that we do those two things. Uh, thank you, Ms. Robertson, and I'm certainly we're amenable to both, uh, both having conversation with the administration and then certainly getting with our staff to look at options to bring back for this body to consider that would allow us to come within the uh, cut uh, that are before us in terms of uh, this 120 rate and what we've already approved. Ms. Trammell. I just, I was just wondering what would have happened if the mayor was in here presenting a budget to us and all of us got up and walked out on him. I would, I, I hope you would bring that up to him too. I'm, I'm I know more than willing to do I that. I know that I know the citizens and the taxpayers, they are mad as hell at the text that I'm getting because they are okay. listening to this. Thank you. So if you're amenable to those two things that I, along with Chris, would have conversation. I don't know the result, but I'm willing to do that. And then we will also work with staff such that we look to bring back a set of recommendations relative to the $11 million that would allow us to close the gap. Ms. Say again. Yeah. So 
the right. If we, yes. Okay. Miss um, Larson. Yes, and I can't remember what council member said this, but maybe it was council member Addison. But I, I do believe that working towards the two is a better use of resources, mm -hmm. um, because not certifying revenue I hear you. that we know is there and is going to be there is we need to pursue all avenues in getting that resolved. And I would mm -hmm. like to have a closed session on Monday to consult with legal on this further. And I'd like if the council could request that Mr. Jackson research it a little more since he doesn't know the history of it, and be ready to discuss options with us. Uh, Mr. Jackson, and then I think we were needing to look at a closed session anyway on Monday, so in addition. Or I, 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 let me comment about the first one. One of the issues that I have to deal with at the threshold is whether it is professionally permissible to uh, advise you further than what I've done already. Um, should the council elect some sort of litigation, I cannot represent the council because I am also obligated to pro uh, represent the mayor. So we would be in a situation, as happened a few times during the Wilder administration, where the council has its lawyer, that is not me, and the mayor has his lawyer, which also is not me. And I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know where the line is yet. It's one of the things that I need to think through. Okay. Um, we are not. Doc, yes. Dr. Newbill, I'd like for us to immediately engage in pursuing an outside counsel. We have to get guidance on this, and we cannot hesitate wait, waste time. I, I think it's really important, and we need to pursue it as soon as we can. Okay, so there are three things on the floor. One is pursuit of outside counsel relative to next steps. The other two items was having conversation with the administration relative to uh, the uh, confirmation of dollars, and then the other item was working with staff to come back with recommendations relative to potential. So there are three things that we're talking about here to get to a closure. So um, my opinion on you all meeting with staff, as long as you don't agree to anything, I don't. I don't think that what I did not hear, I heard um, a request to have conversation bring back to this body any set of recommendations. I don't feel like I can uh, say that this body would agree to anything at this point. I mean, this, this body makes that decision. We get consensus and then we vote. So I'm not looking to do that at all. Okay. So, Ms. Ms. Gray? So I'm on the record objecting to any closed-door conversation. It's about the people's money. I think that conversation needs to be I had in public with the entire body. I have strong objection to that. Um, you've already gone on the record wanting to increase taxes, and anything less than $1.20, um, as the majority of us have agreed to, um, 
isn't a negotiation right now. I mean, we have been the only thing that's on in so real estate I've, is I have the floor, so I was Madam President. I have the floor. Um, the other, the other point is, um, I'd like to know from Mr. Jackson if someone is willing to offer pro bono assistance to us in pursuing this legally. What we would need to do to make that happen very soon. I, I would have to make contact with uh, attorneys with expertise in this area. I can ask the question, but that's all I can do is ask so the question. So what if, what if a legal expert reached out to a member of council? Well, ultimately, the decision to appoint council needs to be with the city attorney. Um, but you can't be, represent us. So if you're... if you, I don't understand how, if it's a conflict for you to give us advice, how you can appoint our legal help. Because, because that's a duty over which I don't have a conflict, is finding a lawyer to represent you. Okay. So you'd be doing the same thing for the administration? No, actually, as I recall, the charter, if I am unable to represent the mayor in a conflict like this, he gets to choose. But we don't. You do. I recommend who it would be. Okay. So the city attorney would make recommendation to this body. This body would decision. It's okay. just that simple. So if there's somebody that um, has approached us, I guess, then that information needs to be shared with the city attorney. Now, so I haven't gotten any um, word well, from anybody. I'm not suggesting that I have. I'm just saying hopefully somebody out there is listening so we don't end up in the hole trying to figure out how to certify money that we know is there. Um, okay. I so, just I don't think we should be having closed-door discussions. We've gone this far. We've been hour upon hour in open discussions with the administration in the room. I don't agree with a last hour, and I feel like this whole day has been running the clock down. I asked early on if we could vote on a tax rate or, cert or confirm or whatever the process is, the tax rate. I'd like to have some legislation on the agenda so that we can vote on a tax rate so that we don't run the clock down on that tax rate and it reverts to $1.29. I think that's time is of the essence for that. I'd like to see that happen. The whole day that I've sat here and gone through this whole process seems as if it's been a waste. And I started off saying, let's confirm if we have a majority of us who agree on keeping the tax rate at $1.20, Let's start from that point. But it Thanks. feels as if some of us here don't agree with that, and there's a deliberate attempt to run the clock down. There uh, were seven members who took the time to prepare proposals. Those proposals warranted our consideration for reductions and or increases, period. People took the time to do that, all and that's what—that's what all we did. So that was not a waste of time. I worked with everybody who was willing to work with me behind the scenes on these proposals that came forward that we were to discuss. So it was not taking away from any of the work because I, God well, knows, I've been up till three, four in the morning going through these budgets. 
Okay, I was responding to the fact that you indicated it was a waste of time to review the proposals that people put forward. And so that was not a waste as members chose to put forward. At this point, Madam President. There, at this point, I want to push us to decision what it is that we're wanting to do to move forward. And if I heard correctly, the city attorney is uh, one of the places you're asking to identify legal guidance relative to certification or non of funds. Is that correct, Ms. Larson, what you're asking for a legal read on? I want this council to immediately pursue an outside council to represent us. To what end, Ms. I'm just trying so we On can get the certification issue. Yes, that's what I was saying. Yes. Okay, relative to certification. Second. Yes, and I think all of us as council members and knowing folks in the community should reach out to any and all of our contacts to see if there are folks that we know who might have resources, knowledge, and be able to help us on this matter. So is there, is there motion in this regard uh, to ask our, okay? I did. Okay, I didn't hear the second, thank you. Um, all those in favor? I'm sorry here. The, What's on the I'm table is a I'd motion like to have the city attorney to have the city attorney retain legal guidance for council relative to certification of funds that have been identified thus far. Okay. Okay. Right. okay. It looks like there's majority. Is that correct? At the same time, uh, there was there were two other discussions. I am still going to get with staff relative to uh, this $11 million and what might be options or opportunities um, because at the end of the day, that's still on the table. Um, and uh, there anything else at this? Ms. Angelesto, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, and it wasn't my intention, obviously, to keep everybody another 30 minutes to, for what has transpired. Um, but I think it's important for everybody to hear some numbers before they leave and convene the meeting today. Even if we accept the numbers of all the proposals that are here, we're still short of balancing this budget without revenue certification. At least three or four million dollars. We have to come up with three to four million dollars worth of additional cuts than what is currently here proposed in order to balance that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I think it's very important that that we start laying those items on the table or we start looking again at, at the revenues increasing, whatever, you know. But um, okay. I, I will offer, and this goes to the legal challenge, <clears throat> we can hire somebody next week. We really only have about a month to try to get a case heard before a judge before the budget deadline or else the mayor's budget gets approved. Exactly, and that's why I'm indicating that I'm going to be working with staff and anybody else who would like to do the same to look at how we address the $11 million at the rate that this body has um, consents that it would like to proceed at. Now, I would like, and this, 
I think does not require outside counsel because we haven't taken any legal action, but I would ask for our city attorney to provide an opinion on whether or not uh, a city assessor who has essentially certified that the land book value, not just that he thinks the land book value is going to increase, but the, the land book value has affirmatively changed, that that is not considered an omission or some sort of mathematical error because if they say that they're using this collection rate and the land book value changes, then we don't need the mayor necessarily to certify. We are fixing an error or an omission. And I would ask for that legal opinion to come as quickly as it can possibly come because it is this situation every single year because of the timing of when the land book value gets finalized. And last year we balanced off of it. The year before we balanced off of it. I've been on council for, this is my seventh budget season. We typically balance off of these increasing land book values that the assessor comes after they draft the budget in November or whenever it is. So I think it's a very important and essential legal opinion that we have. Thank you. And I understand, attorney? The, theory. And I understand the, the theory that Mr. Agilasto has suggested, and I will explore it, and I can do that. Uh, without uh, running into the conflict issue. You can do that without running into conflict, if I heard correctly, so you will provide us with that. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anything else um, this afternoon? Seeing nothing, this budget work session stands adjourned. <laughs>